I'm the target of a meat missile going 150 miles an hour plus. That got really <laughs> exciting all of a sudden. I'm doing canopy safety. Um, I drive like an Asian, so I don't know if it's the most appropriate thing ever. I'm killing it. Utah, give me two. You're listening to Gravity Lab Radio, hosted by DJ Marvin and produced by Nicholas Lott. Have we talked about skydiving the whole time? Welcome, gentlemen. Yo, yo, what's up, Mr. P? How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Yourself? I'm doing good, man. It's, it's kind of weird. I got Mr. P sitting in front of me, and to my left, I have actually have JP. Hola. Oh, hola. Mr. <laughs> Ferrari. I've always called you JP Ferrari in my, in my own mind. Yeah, I've, I've heard that more than once. Dude, you're named after a fucking badass sports car. <laughs> like, what kind of nickname do you want? Not quite. If I'm going to start off in, in geekdom here, I'll, I'll tell you that my, uh, my last name's actually a derivative of the word baker in Italian, apparently. Let's stick with Ferrari. Okay. <laughs> I'm a bread maker or I'm a badass sports car. So um, people watching live, you obviously see Mr. JP is sitting here in front of me. You're listening to this at home. JP is one of our good buddies. I've known you for, when did you first come to Spaceland? March of 2010. I, I love this because a lot of my friends, I can just say, when did you come to Spaceland? I've <laughs> known you since March of 2010. You started skydiving 19 years ago. Yeah, uh, June of 1999. And if I remember the years right, you'll help me with this. Yeah. I think you'll have it. There is a website called DramaZone.com. No, no, no. <laughs> it's DropZone.com. Like yeah, yeah. yeah. DropZone.com, yeah. DramaZone.com, whatever yeah. it is. It's, it's been a fun site. You are, have posted on there, I think, like three or four hundred thousand times. I, I may or may not have had the dubious claim of, of being like the third most prolific poster there at one time. Fortunately, I've fallen way, way off that list now. So I actually think I've known <laughs> of you or who you are because of that website. If I remember the years right, I think they revamped it in 99, but I, I can't remember right for sure. It kind of like had a rocky start. Yeah. And you've probably been on it since that time frame, I would guess. I think about then. I think, uh, well, maybe, maybe a little bit later than that. Maybe 2001 or so. Nick, did you ever uh, frequent DramaZone.com? No, I wasn't on it very much. Good for you. Maybe uh, <laughs> just a little bit for the for the classified stuff. I think uh, I think I tried selling the first canopy I ever sold yeah. on, on DropZone.com. But uh, the forums and stuff, I never really got into it. It was what we had before Facebook. And there's two people I've met from DropZone.com who both introduced themselves to me the same way. Hello, my name is JP. I'm Diablo Pilot on <laughs> DropZone.com. <laughs> or, you'll love this one, my name is David Lunn. Yeah. They call me Aggie Dave on DropZone.com. Yeah. And both of them immediately said, do not hold my own online persona Against me. I was going to go there. I was definitely, because I, I yes. know I've used that line more than once. Yeah, you have. <laughs> and I mean, to be fair, it's a, a legitimate like, hey, man, I, I have a very strong opinion. And on the interwebs, it's hard to get people's attention unless you speak very boldly. Well, and, and I think uh, you know me well enough, uh, as do you, Nick, that, that I tend to speak pretty directly without sugarcoating. You? And that, no. uh, that doesn't work at all. On the internet, no man. It's uh, I was actually talking with a guy recently who wanted to take a a uh, coach course, and one of the things him and I talked about is I think you should wait a little bit, and it's not your physical skill set; it's your attitude, it's your personality, and part of it is is a lot of people have problems with you, and it's the way you speak, it's the way you approach, and nobody's going to receive you. Well, man, but this is what I meant. I'm like, I understand what you meant. I agree. Your intent should mean everything. Unfortunately, 
it's everybody's perception that means everything. I have the same problem. Trent Alkek has the same problem. <laughs> we speak our fucking minds. Yeah. And fortunately, as you and I've matured, as man, Trent doesn't care still. As you and I've matured, we've come to that understanding like, oh, God, I hate this perception bullshit, but I have to deal with I, it. I liken it to a, uh, a, a lifelong experience of banging your head against the wall and realizing you have to change uh, a habit to stop doing that. So I slowly learn to maybe soften my approach and, uh, and, and come at people in a, in a kinder, gentler way. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it's something we talked a lot about this on the show because you know me, and, and you, not only do we know each other well, but I think we have very similar personalities with that problem. Uh, Matthew Peterson as well, and I've said it before. I'll say it a million times over. If you're a new jumper in skydiving, and let's leave that sport, you're new to any dangerous situation, dangerous sports, dangerous hobbies, anything that has that extra level of danger, those experienced guys and gals who are coming at you with a passion mm-hmm. might sound bad. But it's a fucking passion, man. Well, and, and in in our defense, um, being that we both came up about the same time, and I, I think you you as well. Nah, he's a skydiving kid. He's young. Okay. I think I started in two thousand six. So, but not far off. I'm yeah, willing yeah, to bet. Back in the day, you know? I'm willing yeah. to bet there was still a vestige of of the old school present. Oh yeah. And that's the way you came up in skydiving. Is, yes, sir. Is there was no? It was it was harsh love. You know, it was uh, not sugarcoated. It was hey jackass, you're fucking up. You know, get your shit together. And now, if you turn around and say that to somebody who is fucking up, you uh, hashtag triggered. Oh yes, absolutely. Where's the picture? Of the triggered hashtag triggered. What? Huh? Yeah. Triggered being triggered. Triggered. Are you familiar with the term? No, I feel like my dad right now, but no. So be, <laughs> being triggered, like uh, let's say the JP's coming at me with some microaggressions, and I'm gonna feel tri- the feelings that I have. That if you're an adult, are insecurity. Or uh, just having to deal with criticism in general. Mm-hmm. The feelings that you have, you just say mm-hmm. that you're triggered, and now you're the victim. And now it's their responsibility to, to uh, fix this. I like this word, man. I'm in. I'm sold. Uh, imagine, it's your fault. Imagine it's, it's 2000, and, and it's the year 2000, and, and the sky god on the drop zone comes up, sees you do something stupid, and tells you about it, and you go run to the DZO and say, he hurt my feelings. What would the response be at that point? Well, in that's the year, the year 2000. And that's, it's now the year 2017, and that's yeah. the answer. Yeah. No, man, in 2000, he's like, well, then you fucking deserved it, asshole. Yeah, exactly. So. And it's, it's hard, man. People, if you, if you hear myself, if you hear JP, if you hear any of us coming back at you, and sometimes we sound passionate, ignore the disdain <laughs> in our voice. Ignore the anger and the upsetness you, we seem to have and the impatience we seem to have. I can't count the number of friends I've lost in the sport, and I don't think you can either. Give us five minutes to reset and and come at you at a different angle because we really do mean well. Fuck yeah, man. Yeah. It's just a passion. You actually give a rat's ass. Yeah. If I didn't care, I'd let you do stupid stuff. And again, I don't care what sport, what life, what anything you're in, almost always somebody coming at you with heat has a passion. Yeah. My One of my stupid favorite sayings in the world, and I'm Nick is sick of these sayings, I'm sure, is ignore the delivery of pewter and pay attention to the message of gold. Yeah. I might have bad delivery, guys, but but what I'm trying to tell you is super important. Nick, before we started, I bumped my head vo- headphones down half a click. Put them back up that half click. I should have trusted you. Better? Yeah, no, you're the man. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> so we've got you here. I've known you for, God, you said 08? The year before Nationals is 08. Yeah. So you were here so, a year. No, I got, I got here in 10. You got here I in 10? I got here in 10. So just after. After, after Nationals, because Nationals was 9? 
Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. So I always like to kind of have that starting point just to remember where I'm at, but I want people to know more about JP because there are a lot of people today who will show up to a drop zone, get in an airplane, and you're the next grumpy pilot. (laughs) And first of all, thank your pilot, man. People people sit here and think the pilots are regularly grumpy because as a, as a whole, you have a reputation as such. So I'll tell you what, people. Do me a favor. Hop in a school bus. Drive the school bus for 14 straight hours, getting out to take a piss three to four times, and people bring you your food and give you nonstop shit. That is what you're doing. Would you say it's so, a fair analogy? That's pretty close. Pretty close. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Drive the short bus. <laughs> now, now I'll add add to that is is spend four years on the road traveling around being a pilot for all our contracts and meeting an entire new bunch of people. Wait, wait, they meet you, but all you ever see is the back of their heads and the colors of their helmets. So you get yeah. somewhere new yeah. and you don't know anybody. It's uh, so the persona people pick up on is you exhausted on a Sunday afternoon after you've flown, you know, fifty hundred loads in the past four days kind of thing yeah, so man. it and shouldn't it shouldn't cause a person to uh, to appear grumpy but it, it shouldn't but at the same time if you're a jumper in the back of the plane put yourself in the pilot's shoes how many times has a pilot been asked that same question all day long it doesn't justify our anger it doesn't justify us getting upset like i've asked this i've answered this question 12 times a day and it's stupid if you read the <laughs> manual you'd know the answer is how i want to say it but as jumpers, put yourself in that pilot's shoes. 14 hours a day, flying loads. What's the most load you've actually flown in a day? I have, I just looked this up in my logbook. I think my record day is 41 loads. Good Lord, is that a caravan? Yes. Wow. Yeah, 41 takeoff and landings. I think so. 41 cargo dumps. I mean, I, I don't know, <laughs> Nick, have you ever heard this saying? Skydivers are self-unloading cargo with attitude. Uh, no, I've never heard that, but it makes absolute sense. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard of it, JP. Yep, yep. And I believe you preach it. We are yep. self-unloading cargo with attitude. So you've, you've been flying now for a while. And I'm, I, I'm trying to get back to where we started, but you started jumping. You just celebrated about two weeks ago your 19th anniversary. Yep, yep. Uh, back, uh, I think it would be June 6th. Now, I'm sure I've had this question of you before, but my memory is... June 18th. July 6th was when I graduated AFL. June 18th. Okay, June 18th. So that puts us just about three weeks ago. Yeah, you're right. Where did you make your first jump? Uh, Skydance. Skydiving in uh, Northern California. For some odd reason, I I, I always associate you to a Cal City jumper, and I don't know why. You know, I'd never actually been there. Cal City. I had neither. Elsinore right down the road from there. And I don't know why. I always want to say you were an old Cal City jumper. So you started in Skydance. How long did you jump there? Oh, I started there in 99. I started working there at the beginning of 2000. Uh, Took over uh, as an office assistant and then the office manager for a jumpsuit company and a gear gear sales company. And um, I did that, got my tandem rating, was a videographer, and I think I left there June of 03 and headed down to uh, Paris Valley. And then from... You were a parasite. I was a parasite. Uh, uh, Kate Cooper. That's really funny. I haven't heard that before. Parasite? <laughs> uh, is uh, that a... 
Is it's that a, common slang down there? Yes, sir. Yeah. Any bay from Elsinore will call you a parasite. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what you call us from Lake Smell Some More, but <laughs> Lake Smell Some More, if you've ever been there, makes sense. Well, I, ne- I never had any disrespect for Elsinore because uh, yeah. the first place I lived when I moved down there was, was on Grand Avenue, okay. just, uh, just on the uh, west side of the lake there. So yeah, I know where that's at. I had to drive past the drop zone to get to my work at the drop zone. And that was in 03, you said, right? Yeah, that was, uh, should have been June 03. Okay, so that was, uh, the Wallaces were gone, the Wallaces were now at Paris. Yep. yep. Once upon a time, you know, they, they owned Elsinore. Yep. And when Hamo and Carl took over, they actually, uh, they didn't kick Jim and Gail off the drop zone, yep. they bought it from them. Yep. So Jim and Gail move on, and they actually opened a gear store for quite a while, right there at the intersection of, yep. uh, you know what I'm talking about? Yep. I can't yep. remember the names of the road, but... Literally, Nick, like a block out the drop zones driveway, they opened another gear store. It's ridiculous how much skydiving history there is what, in that what area, dro- too. This is Paris? Valley? This was Elsinore. Elsinore. Oh, Elsinore. Okay. So in the late 90s, uh, uh, actually for the yeah. longest time, a very, very uh, good dude, a guy who, who really has done a lot to teach jumpers, a guy named Jim Wallace, uh, owned Elsinore, and they were bought out in 98, if I remember the year right, or late I 97. So. I believe it was 98. And, uh, of course, the DZO says, hey, we bought the drop zone. Um, sorry, but we're running all the businesses here. And I, that's to be expected. So Jim had also had the gear store there and everything else. And he had nowhere to go. So literally, a block down the driveway, you know, you, you leave the drop zone, a block down the road, there is another gear store. Well, my question is who had the better gear store? Depends on the era. So when it first happened, I stopped at Jim's gear store all the time because I always got what I needed there. But Elsinore, at that point, called the gear store Ground Zero Paraphernalia. I forget what they call it today. Yep. And I can't remember who was running it anymore. Uh, but they very quickly saw the problems. They very quickly saw the issues. And not only did they do a good job of getting what we wanted as fun jumpers, they did a good job of ordering gear and communicating. But one of the big things that I think is just so stupid but super necessary is they had dope shirts. I mean, how many new jumpers and how many jumpers in general walk around with, like, I want the coolest skydiving shirt I can have on? And that's something I, I think so many gear stores neglect are having pretty badass shirts. And Ground Zero Paraphernalia, just by the ne- yeah, he's pissed off. <laughs> you guys can't hear this. Yeah, if you guys can't hear, there's an angry cat scratching at the door. <laughs> so if you hear uh, a dying animal in the background, that's what's happening. <laughs> it's, uh, I, it's my cat, Ralph, and Ralph is a dick. If I ever invite you to the house and you meet Ralph, just understand he's a dick. He didn't bite you, did he? No. 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 But then I, I was cautious. I respected I, I mean, he knows him. his own kind. Yeah. Well, I looked at him. Exactly. <laughs> I see what you did there. I see what you did there. <laughs> yes. So kind of back to the story, one of the things I'm letting hopefully people see is into JP. He's not just the back of a head with headphones on driving your plane where you want to go. So far, we found out you've been skydiving for 19 years. You actually worked as a tandem instructor, a gear sell, a gear store manager more than anything, yep. more or less anything else. Uh, worked in jumpsuit manufacturing and at office admin. It, a common thread throughout my skydiving experience as much as i've tried to get away from it has been in in gear sales you know i started in a gear store Hmm. uh, i moved to southern california for a different gear store did you work at square one uh yeah kate and tony uh had me come down and i worked uh uh, for about a year uh, doing internet and uh, phone sales at their corporate side um they have an off off drop zone location where their warehouse is and whatnot i had had no clue yeah i i don't know if i had ever told you but i lived in marietta for a while yeah so for me, Elsinore and Paris was a, was a toss-up, and for various reasons, Elsinore won, but 
just the vibe there was what I liked. I yep. mean, don't get me wrong, I loved Paris. We jumped there regularly. At nights, we wouldn't. We would commonly go to the bomb shelter to party with our friends. Um, it, they but, each had very unique flavors and yeah. and and were very attractive in, for different reasons. Yeah. I thought anyway. I liked both places. Yeah. And a lot of people might have no clue about these places, but Paris Valley, California, is in a city called Paris, California. Elsinore, Skydive Elsinore, is in a town called Lake Elsinore, Elsinore, California, and they are twelve miles apart, if I remember right. Something like that. Something yeah. around super super close. Like I remember climbing the altitude and going, "Oh, look, there's Paris's well, plane. We see each other." There used all the to time. be a meet. I can't remember Dueling the name disease. of it. Yeah, Dueling Disease, yeah. where where you would take off from one and drop into the other and then do the reverse and, yeah. and there were, I don't know, maybe four or five rounds. Yeah. Load one yeah. would take off from Elsinore, yeah. drop in Paris yeah. and then vice versa. And so that's kind they of... They may still do that. I don't know. Every now and then. Yeah. So one thing that's been weird is as close as they are, they're either best friends or mortal enemies. <laughs> and you've seen both, yeah. I bet. And, and I've always, I, I don't know how the, how the management has been with each other necessarily, but I think... I've always interpreted it as being more the the jumpers themselves. Absolutely, yeah. it's it's dominantly the jumpers. And fortunately, the years I was at Elsinore, there was a lot of love and passion between the two DZs. So y- you saw people who just bitched, and I don't care where you go, they live. But uh, there was a lot of love back and forth. So I was there during during the years of dueling DZs because there was such a great relationship and camaraderie between between everybody. They definitely competed. They yeah. definitely pushed oh, yeah. each other, but. Healthy competitions, damn good competition. You know, Absolutely. let's take it. Yeah. So now you've done all these different things. I still want to talk more about this, but again, you're just the back of somebody's head flying a plane <laughs> for me. So holy shit, this guy knows how to do tandems, knows how to sell gear. What else do you know how to do in the sport? Well, I, at Paris Valley, I got my uh, AFF rating. Who, who'd you do your AFF? I've never asked this one. Who'd you do your rating with? Jay Stokes. I'm sorry. Uh, Guys, if I'm you're listening and you don't know Jay Stokes, he is absolutely yeah. one of Valerie and I's uh, closest friends. I've worked with Jay for many years. We've worked in courses. I've worked in 18 AFF courses with Jay. So I, I am I'm talking shit because he's my friend. I don't really mean that. Well, and at the time, it was, it was convenient. He was there at Paris. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, had, I never thought I was going to be ready to be an AFF instructor. Uh, tandem was easy to me. But AFF intimidated the heck out of me. And, and so one of the reasons I also went with Jay at that time was I had videoed, I think at the time, five different courses. And three of those were with Jay. So I kind of felt like I had a little bit of an in at that point. Dude, straight up, man. We talked about I, this recently. Yeah. Chris Fudala is an instructor at Spaceland. And I think he videoed six courses before he took his course, and dude, he knew exactly what was going on. He knew how to read the situation, and reading a student is important. Yep. He knew how to, we, we would land, and he would debrief himself. He would land, and he, go, he knew my style of debrief. He's like, mm-hmm. cool, DJ, these are the things I did well. Right here, if I focus on this and dig this knee a little bit here, I think I can get in a little bit tighter. I'm happy with that, but I'm going to clean it up a little bit. And we'd walk, he'd get done with his debrief. I'd be like, yo, uh, so can we go jump again? It was a huge benefit to Fudala, yeah. to, to you as well. And uh, Zach Boyd is doing the same thing right now. I, I commonly, I'll train people. If you want your AFF rating, come shoot video for a course. That, that's, that's the secret to me. Is, is uh, you can, you, I don't understand how people have the minimum requisite experience and haven't actually seen what the job's about and go challenge the course. I mean, more power to them if they can get, get it done. But to me, videoing a course, hanging around, watching an IE work, is all on the job 
training. You know, it's 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 a preparation to be your best when you get to the test. You're describing exactly the process that has kept me from getting my AFF rating. <laughs> what that, that you've seen too <laughs> yeah, much? That, that I that every time I think, oh, I want I want to do this rating, and I think this is going to be really enjoyable. Then I come and watch the training, and it's like you know, well, PJ's I know an asshole. It, I mean, you <laughs> you are an asshole as a student. That's it's it's great. It's phenomenal. It's fun to watch. <laughs> But uh, then I just think about, uh, you know, I'm, I imagine, what if this is a real person? You know, what, 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 how am I going to feel when this is a real student who's not just, you know, giving me the shit end of the stick, who's yeah. just not trying to give me a hard time, someone who's really out of control right now? How am I going to feel internally? Like, what, what are my stress levels going to do, my ability to do, enjoy my job? How, how am I going to feel? And that's usually the feeling that, that turns me away from and, it. And, and I'm not telling you anything I don't think you already know, but, but DJ and I have had this conversation multiple times, uh, and, and he invites me often when he's, when he's debriefing a candidate uh, to chime in if I'm in the room. The, the course, once you're done with the course, that's the end of the course. I mean, everything from there is real world. And you behave differently. I hope I'm not telling tales out no, of school. No, no, man. But, but behavior gets completely different. Uh, I mean, I've never, ever seen a situation where, uh, for example, any rated instructor has ever been gigged for inhibiting learning because they held on to somebody who was completely a basket case until deployment. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and, and I hope that's reinforced to people. You know, it's like, sure. hey, if you're uncomfortable... You you keep the skydive at your comfort level, regardless what it does to your student. I tell people at the end of the course, you had every disadvantage in this course. Yeah. Because if I spun once and you fixed me, you had to let me go. Then I flipped on my back and you fixed me. You still have to let me go in this course. In the real world, would you let that person go again? Yeah, absolutely not. And I'm sure that yeah. no one's going to get in trouble, even if it's yeah. someone yeah. who's a you know an examiner looking over your shoulder. I'm sure that... They're going to say, yeah, I would have done the same thing. I wouldn't have let go of the guy. And my, my opinion, uh, which is only my opinion, but, but the, the course is simply a test to see if you can deal with the worst somebody can throw at you. It doesn't actually, depending on the IE, but there's no yeah. requirement to, to teach you to be a great instructor. Somebody like DJ does because he shares Thank a wealth you. of knowledge. Uh, I can't speak to any other IEs just because I haven't been through their courses. But What year did you do Jay's uh, course? I'm guessing I'd have to go back and look. I'm guessing that was probably 2002, maybe late 2001. So you did it while you were still at uh, Monterey. Uh, I I never did. Mon I never worked Monterey. I actually no, never no, no. jumped Monterey. You mean Paris? So I went from uh, Skydance, Northern Skydance. Yeah, Skydance, and then down to Paris. Worked <laughs> for Kate and Tony for about a year and a half, and got on part time at the school. And then ended up leaving uh, Square One and the gear business for a short time, and um, still being part time at the Paris Valley School, but uh, and occasionally for Jim Wallace, and uh, became a tunnel instructor as well at the Paris Valley Tunnel. So here's where we kind of turn that next level page. And yeah, by the way, at the, you're not going to tell on me, so I'll do it for you. At the end of the course, I say, "Fuck me and fuck my rules." <laughs> In this course, you have every disadvantage. In the real world, when in doubt, hold on. Yep. In the real world, when in doubt, redock. When in the real world, when in doubt, save their life. Yeah. So by all means, you're not telling on me. I'll tell on myself. When, I, when in doubt, don't get on the airplane. Yeah, don't get on the that's, airplane. That's probably the first uh, link I see sometimes. Yeah. Every now and then I see an instructor dock earlier than I think they needed to. Yeah. If they thought they needed to, they needed to. 
when in doubt, whip it out. That's what we say about our reserves or a really good date. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But uh, with a student, when in doubt, doc. Yeah. If you had a doubt, if I think you didn't need to, if you had a doubt, you probably were okay. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't stress it, man. Hey, and for all the kids out there considering a course, um, uh, if, if you go find your IE and video his course a couple times before, you learn his dirty secrets. You Straight learn his up, tricks. Dude. Straight up, man. Yeah. I have ways I roll over onto my back, and I have three or four different versions, but I only have three or four different versions. Do you know a girl named Stephanie Soria? Yes, I think I do. I met her in uh, Lodi, I believe. Yeah. Yes, that would probably be, that would make a lot of sense. So first of all, Stephanie, you're a gorgeous lady. Um, she is a bad-ass flyer. I did her AFF course, and she shows up with a bunch of jumps, a bunch of free-flying, a bunch of tunnel time, and shows up with that confidence. Not super cocky, not arrogant, but like, hey, I think I can do this quicker than the average person. I'd like to do as few practice jumps as I can, and then uh, test. I'm willing to do as many as I, as I need to. I'm like, huh, we'll see. The fucking bitch was on it, dude. Top-level flyer. So... I need to explain something that, that you understand that, to help people understand. During the course, you must let the student, which is me, the bad student, have a chance to learn. So I must be able to make a mistake and have a chance to correct my mistake before you catch me. What that means uh, for people is if I'm doing a 360-degree turn, I can go 720 before you can catch me. You have to give me room to fuck up, to recognize a fuck up. In the real world, dock on them. Mm -hmm. Stephanie catches her evaluator too early. Mm -hmm. The evaluator was a girl named Erica, Erica Dufour. I think you might know her. Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, ex, uh, her ex-husband is a guy named Rob. I'll leave his last name out of it. Um, but super, super nice girl. And Erica lands and goes, it's an automatic unsat. She docked on me way too early. I was 90 degrees through a 360 degree turn. And she can't dock on me until I start accelerating rapidly yeah. or until I'm 720. And she was neither. Yeah. And, uh, Stephanie or uh, Erica gives a score, and Stephanie said, I would like to protest, DJ. I said, okay, absolutely, that's your right. And I said, first of all, before you do a written protest and we get this formal, I would just like to have an idea of why. And she said, yeah, I've jumped with this student before. In the course, we train you. In the course, you jump with us until you're ready to test. And Stephanie said, I saw things that made me know she was going to spin. Yep. So Stephanie wrote, and then, and of course you have to actually write out your protest, handwrite it. Stephanie wrote out a protest and said, I've jumped with a student before. Prior, She spins all the time. Prior to spinning, her left arm does this, her right knee does that, and as soon as she does that, her left knee's about to drop. She wrote this out. I watch the video. It matches. But wait a minute. That was this jump. I watch a previous video. It matches. I watched yep. the previous video. It Stephanie was smart enough to read her, like you said. And that's, that's exactly the thing. And, and uh, Stephanie had tunnel time? Yes, quite uh, a bit. Yeah. And that's the sort of thing. I, I, now that I remember it, it must have been 2002 because I was already a tunnel instructor. And, and, and one of the most valuable things I got out of being a tunnel instructor is the ability to read the human body. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm a big fan of the same thing. You know, I, I've had people look at my videos you know, here, thousands of... Uh, AFF jumps later and go, why'd you redock on that guy? You know, he was just, he was, he hadn't spun yet. And I go, why am I going to let a student spin? I know what he's going to do based on what his body's going to do. I'm going to stop him before he turns 180 degrees because as soon as he gets through a spinning 360, and I think we've had this conversation before, as soon as it whips through 360 and it's fast and it's out of control, that person is now scared. And when you're scared, yeah. you stop learning. Absolutely. So, but you got to play the game in the course and give them the opportunity. 
she obviously had enough knowledge and experience to to be chill enough to uh, to have to have defined that previously and and reacted to it and then explained it to you in such a way that Dude, super intelligent young lady, super super solid flyer. Um, I have a lot of respect for Stephanie. Um, you know Blair at the drop zone, yep. Blair Hamlink. Actually, they were roommates during that course. Nice. So that was a quiet belch, Nick. Quiet. <laughs> Thank belch. you. I appreciate your uh, consideration. Yeah, dude. It was. I don't have the fajitas in me tonight, man. Those things tore me up. <laughs> I actually want to have like maybe a contest of some sort, or like prizes are given away, like when people hear your burp and call it out on Facebook Live. Because you're not doing a great job of hiding it most of the time. Uh, yeah, well, I didn't I realize that until tonight. I still hear a lot. I wonder, I wonder if you could <laughs> not tonight. Put, you could not put tonight. A, no, no. You could put up a graphical EQ and 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 have a bar. You know, see whether he, whether he see where I peak. Bust, yeah, and then Dude. Set, does, can he set new? Well, limits, it's, it's hard. You know? He he is smart about the timing of his burps. He's usually <laughs> letting it go when the guest is talking. So. On the the because there's a there's a little bit of an EQ here on yeah. on this computer, yeah. So he's not he's not belching in the in the silence. He's usually, <laughs> he's usually letting someone else's <laughs> talking break it up. But uh, I'm gonna if anyone hears DJ burp, just let me know. That's all I want. Yeah. I, so I actually had no clue until last week that it was ever audible, and I forget who it was. One of my friends from Dallas was like, "DJ, stop belching." And I saw that on the feed. And I'm like, "Oh shit!" Had no clue. I, I mean, I think if, if someone was watching and, and listening, I'm sure they would definitely pick up on it because they see you, you. You're at least polite enough to cover your mouth and turn your head. Yeah. But, but I had there's no enough audio audible. coming through to put the two together. Dude, last week, the audio was pretty strong on the belches. So you were hearing when Nick made fun of me for it. And so uh, I'm going to try to be more aware of it. I'm not telling you to stop. Let's just be. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm back. See, it's like magic. I have a switch. That turns my mic off. Well, we'll see if you remember to use it. Fuck no, I won't. <laughs> Come on, give me a break, man. You think I'm going to remember any of that stuff? Um, all, all these things are such a, a tremendous help. So now JP's a tunnel instructor. Holy shit. You're, yeah. you're actually kind of a renaissance man. I never thought I'd say something nice about you. It, it, you know, believe it or not, that's kind of the way I felt it myself. Is I, for many years, I always wanted to add some new rating. I wanted to... Uh, to explore some new avenue. Now, I'm not saying I was necessarily ever great at it, mm-hmm. but I know. know I think we're a very similar flyer as far as I'm not great at any one discipline. I'm not great at any one thing. I can do decent at most of them. Um, not all of them, but most of them. I'm I'm a firm believer in the concept of of the old school of the D license, where where it represented a master skydiver. It didn't necessarily mean you were you were a world champion, but it meant you had explored many many avenues of skydiving and, and dabbled in them all you know whether it be crew whether it be wingsuiting etc so plus it's just fun yeah they did get rid things. of the title master i think didn't they i don't know I, they should they should and i part of the problem really is is uh there's there is a lot more to learn today yeah you know there were some disciplines when you and i were learning but wingsuiting really wasn't a thing as a matter of fact uh, it was right before I started jumping where Patrick de Guerion yeah. went in on a wingsuit jump. So wingsuit was still being very explored when I was... I, I remember jumping. when Yari sent the first wingsuit, not the first wingsuit, but the first wingsuit uh, showed up at uh, Skydance. It was a single zipper Birdman Classic, and uh, Dan O'Brien, D.O.B., uh, got it. And fantastic skydiver, amazing guy. And uh, just everybody on the drop zone was watching in awe. And at that time... 
there had been no established mm-hmm. recommendations. So it was like only the best of the best skydivers, guys with five, six, seven, eight, nine thousand jumps, uh, were barely qualified to do it because all we'd heard about were the the horror stories from the seventies of of the Batman <laughs> suits and whatnot. Man, if you have not seen pictures of that shit, you need to Google. And I don't know what to Google to look it up. Maybe Nick will find the magic box. But you got to Google wingsuits and skydiving. And some of the classic shit that they were trying is straight out of like comedy movies. I'm like, really? You really did that? Yeah. It was real Buster Keaton-like. Yeah. Yeah. That actually is curious because a lot of these questions, and you've said it, a lot of what we're saying we do know or have had conversations before, but this is more to share. Um, Something I don't know. Have you ever flown a wingsuit? I have about 500 wingsuit jumps. Uh, my first wingsuit was a double zipper classic, and uh, I think serial number was a two-digit serial number. Uh, and uh, myself and uh, Ryan Gifford, who uh, worked in the gear store with me, um, we were part of the... He wrote uh, the majority of a document uh, uh, about how to teach wingsuiting, basically the... the early foundation of being a wingsuit instructor uh and and i contributed somewhat and we kind of established ourselves as a little bit of a a wingsuit teaching school and then uh i believe yari ended up co-oping some of that and then you came out with the first wingsuit instructor rating which was birdman's and uh since then it's just taken off i I don't i don't know if birdman's even manufacturing suits anymore do they in existence yeah, I'm not sure if they are. I just I just came across the the wiki uh, Wikipedia article about wingsuits. It's, yep. it's pretty interesting. Yep. Yes. Have you seen this guy? There's video of this, I believe. I feel like I've seen it. This guy uh, in 1912 jumping off the Eiffel Tower with a yeah <laughs> a very early wingsuit that did not work out well for him. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God! No, I didn't. I, I see the picture. I didn't realize that. So yeah, some surprising dates: 1912, 1930, yep. and then uh, picks up again in the late 90s. It was, there's a fun movie. I'll bet you've seen. Uh, you may have seen uh, Nick uh, Gypsy Moss. Yes. And, no, and I have not. It's a, a, a story that involves. Uh, I don't remember the plot or premise. You know, like most skydiving movies, you just watch it for the skydiving scenes. But uh, it's uh, about skydiving and kind of the barnstorming aviation days. So really early stuff, that, and it's just entertaining as hell. So I've actually, I've been thinking about that for one second. Gypsy Moths, Nick, I, I think I've told you for the film festival, if we get all the videos shown in time afterwards, I'd like to show a movie. So let's get all the videos shown while we're getting all the voting done for the films. Let's show another movie. And that's one of the movies in my mind yeah. is Gypsy Moths. Yeah, we should. What, um, I'm we should about to it. ask you what year this is, but I'm going to look it up and post another link to it. Yeah. 70s? No, maybe no. 60s. I think the I think the the movie is set back in the sixties, seventies, but I think the movie actually came out quite a bit 80s? later. It might be an eighties movie. Yeah, there's actually two jumps from that I want to read. Nineteen sixty nine, the Gypsy Moths. Boom. That's when the movie came yeah. out. Wow, early seventies, okay. late sixties. So it's early skydiving. It's late fifties to early sixties skydiving. I'm assuming. Yeah, I dude. One of the the most worst skydiving movie ever made is sitting right behind you. Have you heard of the movie called The Skydivers? No. It was released in 1963, if I remember the year right. And I saw that movie poster somewhere. Nice. And had to have it and search for it. 
And it's very difficult to find the movie to watch without watching it on Mystery Science Theater 2000 <laughs> or 3000 that, whatever. That's not a bad thing. That's, that actually is pretty entertaining, I it, think. It actually makes the movie <laughs> worth watching because the movie is atrocious. Yeah. It's a pile of trash. Yeah. But you know the you know the, the, the show I'm talking about. It's yeah. so fucking funny. Yeah. It makes it well yeah. worthwhile. So check out the Skydivers Science Mystery Movie Theater Words Out of Order 4002. What numbers? You know where right. I'm at. Um, it, Burp. Oh, I just got called out by Ronnie Maine. He heard that belch. Son of a bitch. I didn't even hear it. Uh, dude, you didn't hear it, but I don't know if Ronnie heard it or if he saw it. I didn't even see we're looking at the feed there. Okay. Yeah. And anytime Nick is pulling things up, this is kind of our interactive computer. Nice. Let lets us know what's going on, keeps us up to speed, and it's my clock on the bottom right corner because <laughs> I lose track yeah. of time very quickly. Speaking of, I'm going to turn my phone on Do Not Disturb and take my watch <laughs> off. It'll start beeping and driving me super crazy. He saw it. He did not hear it. Yes. Thank All you, right. Ronnie. Thank you very much. So, um, JP, I, I wanted to ask you about uh, working as a tunnel instructor. Mm-hmm. What, what year was that that you started? I believe that was in 2002 at the Paris, uh, Paris Tunnel, which is the okay. old style. So what, what was the, the cool thing to do in the wind tunnel? Like, What were the, the badass guys doing in the wind tunnel? Well, the badass guys were the guys who, who came out and did my FITP, um, or RFITP, I should say. Um, and that was Joe Winters and Carlos. Um, I think Rusty came out at one point for one of the follow-ups. But those guys had spent eons in the Orlando Tunnel, slow-speed tunnel. And so the ability they had to to do dynamic at those slow airspeeds, we didn't even call it dynamic back then. But Was but there a word for, for, what was, for what it was? Badassery. Okay, yeah. all right, I'll take that. I don't know, just cool head down. I mean, just... Amazing, and 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 the fact that it was such slow airspeed, and they had to keep movement all the time. They could they couldn't go to static as a recovery. Uh, just uh, blew my mind, blew my mind completely. Um, for me, the the fun stuff was was working on slow speed moves. Um, I'm not going to say I ever got to be any sort of tunnel god, uh, but uh, because you only had the slow speed to work with, to, to be able to to do a layout. And and almost be able to stall it at any point in the layout. That was just cool. Yeah, I just loved that ability to control. And what uh, like when I first started flying in the tunnel, the thank you. My wife's getting you drunk. <laughs> the uh, we always talked about uh, like about thirty hours or so mm-hmm. was about the time that it took to be okay at it, like to be able to fly decent on your head. It was like thirty hours, which. Sounds like a long time, and now it's crazy to see how quickly people can learn in uh, in thirty hours. Yeah. But then at the same time, there's been a huge like dynamic wasn't a thing when I started flying because the Utah tunnel where I started to learn, the first tunnel I flew in was Arizona, and then the Utah tunnel was fast. Yeah. So it's like everyone just wanted to fly on their head. That was like the thing. That was the yeah. you've you've made it. You can you fly head down in the tunnel, yeah. you know. And then uh, Ben Roan. Was a was a tunnel instructor in Utah, and he was uh, you know four way VFS was like the thing that was like you were you'd made it you were you were cool you were good, and then he moved to Paraclete, and then he had been there for six months, and then this is right when Dynamic started to blow up as a as a thing, and then the now the people who like I I felt like I was okay at flying in the tunnel before before I saw Dynamic stuff, and then it opens this huge new. Uh, you know, it's a whole other skill set. Yeah, it's incredibly disappointing to a guy like me knowing I'm never going to get there. Yeah, it's you way know? too much, yeah. man. Those guys, like, it's 
the the frequency that the tunnel instructor is in the wind is yeah. is one thing. I mean, aside from the amount of time that they get, yeah. but it's like they get to go and try this new thing that they're working on. They get to go try every, every class when they do their demo. They get to fly, you know, four or five times a day and then stay for staff flight time if they want yeah. to. And man, it's hard to compete with. And and that's something that that I think's uh, incredible in the current state of the tunnel industry is that uh, there's so much more experience and so many more teachers out there that people can accelerate their learning. Uh, you got to remember, Paris was the second of the Sky Venture eventually to be the iFlies in existence, and so we were part of the uh, the four, uh, the three other guys I went through an FITP with. We were part of the second generation of instructors at the at the Paris Tunnel. The first generation had flown to Orlando and and done most of their training there, and then come back. And then uh, about a year and a half later, they brought us on, and we learned from guys who came out from Orlando uh, for just the three or four weeks of the FITP. Uh, and then that experience left. And I'm, I'm not knocking our first generation. They were very talented flyers, but they were limited in what they could teach us. And due to the nature of the business at the time, uh, we had very, very restricted amount of times so we could do personal flying. So uh, I always say I think the best benefit I got out all all of that, uh, my experience in the tunnel, both there and then when I went to Colorado for a short amount of time, uh, was I got to watch some of the world's best teach people how to skydive, teach people how to fly in the tunnel. At the time, uh, Arizona Airspeed was coming out and doing all the, uh, a good portion of their camps at Paris, and so I got to watch how they were teaching people how to skydive. And what I got out of that was more important to me, at least, than any other flying ability I got in the tunnel myself. So what what was your FITP course? Uh, and for anyone listening who doesn't know, uh, FITP is Flight Instructor Training Program. So that's what they call the uh, certification for uh, an indoor skydiving instructor or tunnel flying instructor. But how how long was your FITP? I believe it was about three weeks was the initial, um, uh, done by Joe and Carlos mostly. And uh, it was, I mean, it, it's very, as you've seen, it's very basic to start with. You know, we spent probably the first couple of days just learning how to walk in the tunnel, you know, how to move. And I think, I mean, from what I've seen, yeah. I think that that's still the majority of the course is learning how to walk, yep. uh, learning how to spot. Yep. And not re- they don't care about making a good flyer because no. that's not where they're uh, making their money, you know. Yeah. But uh, it's it, to me, I think I think the course is still about two two to four weeks depending on the size of the group and uh i think with the international facilities they're doing now i think there there are some uh language barriers that can kind of slow things <laughs> down as well yep. but uh yeah it seems like it's mostly walking yep. mostly walking and learning how to catch people coming from from different different areas of the tunnel and different yep. orientations and and uh and i think the the benefit a lot of people going through that fitp these days have is is that when they're released to be instructors, they have so much more of a wealth and well-rounded experience as a team surrounding them to help progress them. Yeah, I'm sure with the 15 years and I don't know how many tunnels there are now, but it's a lot more than two. I'm yeah. sure there's a lot more information to go around. Do you have any uh, any scary moments as an instructor in the tunnel? Uh, I can't think of anything I'd, I'd say was uniquely scary. Uh, uh, you know, I put myself into the glass more than once, uh, but but uh, as Joe Winters told me one day, he goes, well, you, you're, 
you're the highest experienced person in there at that time, so you better save yourself. Um, it, it was a lot of fun. Um, would I do it again? I, I don't know. It was probably two years of more injuries and illness than I've ever had in my life. But uh, what I got knowledge-wise out of it, I think it's the, the most amazing thing. What, what was it like to be in the wind there? Like, because uh, now, have you been in, in one of the new tunnels? Yeah, yeah I've flown yeah. Memorial. I've flown uh, Colorado. So you've flown, flown in air kicks. the recirculating, air-conditioned, yeah. all of that? Oh, it's, it's nice. I mean, how, how, how brutal is the wind in, it, in Paris? In Paris, mostly it was slow. What, what, uh, what people who haven't flown one of the outside breathers uh, may not know is you're, you're subject to the whims of the climate outside. So if it's raining outside, you're going to get a little moist. Um, if it's there's a lot of bugs, a lot of bugs, you're going to get coated in bugs. Yeah. Uh, if it's hot as balls. Yep. And man, it's going to be hotter, <laughs> man. I don't know how many times I showed up at three 30 in the morning. Pre-flighted tunnel was in the wind by 4 a.m. in the middle of winter and froze my ass off because the only people flying that early are four way teams. And so you're just standing in the door, freezing your ass off, staring at a four way team, step in. Let them out, step out, you know, just... Living the dream, baby. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, uh, have given it up for the world, though. I see so many people who want to do what we do for a living, and one of these things, in, in your case, is to be a tunnel instructor. And first of all, i got a lot of buddies who work as tunnel instructors. i got all love and respect for them. Um, and they'll tell you what this is, and I think you'll uh, reinforce it here a lot better. It's a job. Yeah. It's not cookies and dreams. Yeah. Think about your fat, out of shape, clumsy ass neighbor. Are you look? Oh, I'm thought, looking at you, JP. Oh, wow, that clown is going to walk into the tunnel. He or she's going to fly in the tunnel. They're going to fuck up and pop up ten feet, roll onto their back, and you're going to catch a hundred, hundred and eighty yeah. pound tubby. If you're lucky, chances are they're two hundred and fifty pounds and five five. And where you get good at it is not your physical ability to take that person in the tunnel, but is your read of them. Uh, as as a, from a psychological standpoint, you're going to see the kid who's the class clown in the group of teenagers. Well, not teenagers, but young adults. That, well, teenagers. It's the tunnel that just rolled in. You see the class clown who's cutting up in the briefing, and it's going to be the guy who tries to go head down on you to impress his friends. And you're going to save the little twerp from breaking his neck. So I, I, I cool. I you, I've always wondered. Have you, you when we when I go to the tunnel I see you know all these first flights I see all these noobs, but I always watch you guys do your demos and I see some such badass flying from my friends you know I've watched Tex do some demos that are just dope man a uh, guy named Jimmy Skates I remember when he was a new jumper and barely getting it man and now I watch him do his demo the other day and I'm like fuck Jimmy you can fly <laughs> motherfucker yeah. Yep. So you've actually had some young punk, new, first-time flyer try to get on his head in you, there with you? You can, you can read the body. You can read the body language. Yeah. And, and they try and actually, hug flips and shit, yeah. right? Isn't that what Do they're they? going for? Well, and actually, the, the, probably the, the, the scariest of them are, are the skydivers. That do it. Yeah. Um, you get a group of, of experienced jumpers and then you or experienced skydivers and tunnel flyers. Yeah. And then their buddies come in with yep. less experience and don't understand. They're looking at stuff they can't do. It's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. And and you're looking at the days of it was Paris Valley and you had a highly experienced group of skydivers. And I, I, I won't use names because I don't want to bust anybody down. But you got highly experienced skydivers who are very talented in the sky. And they'd come to the tunnel and be like. I can do all this stuff in the sky. I can free fly. I, well, I don't have to do a progression. <laughs> and, and, uh, and sure enough, they 
whack themselves into the wall or they break both arms. Well, we know who that was. That was was over in Arizona. I I don't. Um, Tell me later. (laughs) But uh, uh, yeah, that was Olaf. Oh, okay. I have heard that story. So you know that one. No, but uh, you know it's happened countless of times where where the result hasn't been so bad, or they're simply pissed off at you because you're trying to keep it safe, and they're trying to impress their friends. One of, one of the, my favorite things I've ever seen in a tunnel was, I, I won't tell you it's uh, I Fly Dallas or anything, but <laughs> at I Fly Dallas, there was this dude, so our, our boy Braden was here last week. Braden hooked Valerie and I up with his personal time, and Valerie and I got an hour of tunnel time. Uh, we flew, actually ended up flying 40 minutes individually each, and I was doing whatever the people at I Fly wanted me to do to let me go in and train instructors in the tunnel. I want to be able to flip, flow, and spin out of control in the tunnel. And I don't blame iFly for not letting anybody just do that. So I said, what do you guys want me? And a guy named uh, Dan Perry, you probably know his name, super respected. And Dan Perry actually coached Team Future. I don't know if you remember those little kids. Uh, super dope coach, super dude, uh, good dude. Dan's doing some coaching with me and working with me. We're having a good time. But we're, we're between rotations, and we're out in the tunnel. And there's this... In- the skydiver in there who claims he has a hunter skydives. He either is the shittiest ever hunter skydive person I've ever met, or he's a fucking liar. I tend to believe number two over number one, but all he did was give the staff grief. All he did was talk shit to the staff. His last two rotations, when, it, when the light starts flashing, the instructor would grab him, drag him to the furthest side of the door and stand him up and point at the door and let him walk out. Mm-hmm. Have you ever, Nick, watched a new skydiver try to walk out of the tunnel and fight at the whole It's way? one of my most favorite things to watch, oh. yeah. That, that was a huge thing in iFly Utah that they would do to almost every student. Because uh, Utah, it, you know, it's not a corporately owned tunnel. It's pretty, uh, I mean, the kind of the Wild West version of a, of a wind tunnel where they, they kind of got away with doing whatever they wanted because uh, there's never been corporate over, over their shoulder. The guy who owns the tunnel has an office there, but even he, he was pretty lax about what those guys were could do in the tunnel so like when the timer ran out no one was really rushing to get their student out they were just still having fun you know and uh yeah so they'd they'd stand them up take them to the to the far side yeah they'd just point at the door and you get to watch the person do what's intuitive to do of leaning forward to try and get to the door they they still i still see them do this in memorial but it's just just not as often yeah and uh it's yeah it's hilarious it's even funnier when the person totally loses their feet and ends up belly flying and spinning, spinning up to the top of the glass again and watching the instructor catch the spot. It's, it's <sighs> super funny. Because it's, I mean, tunnel flying is something, someone who's good at it makes it look really easy, makes yeah. it look smooth and simple. And it's like, oh, I could, I could do that. Like, I just, you just have to, you just think about doing that, right? Like, yeah. just like you think about standing up out of your chair. Like, you just, you just think about it and it happens, right? That's how it looks when someone is good at it and they make it look smooth. But uh, I think it's funny and hopefully humbling for the people that get stood up and have to try and figure out making their way to the door. That the instructor who's been walking around the whole time making it look totally effortless, that yeah, even even that, even just being there to do this job is a, is a huge thing to It's learn. a whole different environment. Yeah, but yeah it's su- yeah. super funny. I love it. I, I enjoy the shit out of it. it. It makes me laugh. Whenever I go to the tunnel to coach, I don't know if you actually noticed when we took Judson. At some point, whenever I'm in the tunnel coaching, I always let whoever I'm coaching out first. I let the instructor see him out, and I just stand back. And really, more than anything else, you take care of this guy. I'll stay out of your way. The secondary part of it is a lot of my friends work at the tunnel, and I basically i have got your back. If I see something coming my way, I'll stop it for you. I'm not going to do your job, but I'm not going to get in your I'm going to help you out. Um, 
once they leave, it's not uncommon. I will do that walk. I will lean into the wind <laughs> and bite my ass off to get out. And usually one of our friends are standing on the door just laughing because they know I know the difference. Yeah. Okay. So here's a story. Uh, we were training four-way VFS. This is me, Jay, Tex, and Constantine. You guys were a team? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, so the when we trained VFS, we would top the tunnel out. So it's at 100%. Because it's the, you know, four people all flying. It's, you, you can really relax when the wind speed is really fast. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's comfortable to, to be in there at that speed. <laughs> 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 and, uh, you know, coming down to the net, I kind of just, I, I tried to step on the net before it was there and kind of did one of those wonky, wobbly, like wacky, waving, inflatable, arm failing tube man moves and noticed that I had done it and then tried to make fun of myself doing that made a joke about me doing this and then sent myself on my back straight straight into the glass at at, at 100% at 100% speed, yeah, yeah, yeah it was great it, about a split second before you hit the glass you realize that's really going to hurt yeah this was yeah. a really dumb and idea and there's no recovery i don't look nearly yeah. as cool as yeah. i thought i was about to that's the great thing about having some experience in the tunnel is is a split second before it's going to look ridiculous you know it's going to look ridiculous but you have no power to change it yeah <laughs> i think we have pretty good footage of uh, sam lombardo in one of our camps doing almost this exact same thing except for she was reaching for a high five because she had done well yes. and Tex goes to give her a high five and then yes. she reaches for the high five and oh and the question I'd have for Tex ensued. the question I'd have for Tex because I know I've done this myself is does he did he have that plan like did he lead her into the high five <laughs> expecting her to there's a reasonable chance so <laughs> yeah here's, a, here's another I was funnel. actually I think at that camp yeah. were you yeah I, I remember seeing the video I think I was in the, the same camp that's that's awesome just the other day, I was watching, uh, I'm not going to name any names because I don't want anyone to get trouble. I was watching a more experienced instructor drive for a newer instructor. And this uh, st- instructor's student, well, it was a first-time flyer, and they were not killing it. They were not doing <laughs> a great job, right? So uh, it keeps going, it keeps going. And every time the instructor would turn their back to the clock, the instructor in the wind, the instructor driving would add five more seconds to the <laughs> clock. So this this flight that's supposed to be a sixty second flight turns into it was four at least, minutes. It of was hell. at least a few minutes. Yeah. That was mighty Yosemite Sam of that instructor. <laughs> yeah, it, it was hilarious to watch. I know what you're getting at. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that was uh, awesome. And then, the, but this the student is doing okay at first, but then they're in the wind for so long that I mean, luck runs out and their stamina runs out at the same time, and then it ends up with the the instructor was really really fighting to get this person out of the out of the wind yeah and then when he finally gets her to the door her shoe gets caught and flies off and flies to the <laughs> to the top of the tunnel and they got to shut the tunnel down oh man it was it was great the instructor's look. like this never oh, ends oh wait another part so uh, the instructor in the wind flew the uh, student up to the screen where the instructor driving can deliver messages like legs out chin up all that stuff yeah and the instructor in the wind is asking for the legs out uh readout on the screen (laughs) and the instructor driving presents fly again for just twenty (laughs) dollars oh man it was i thought you were gonna say that he put legs in more no no he didn't he didn't go that far i'll tell you uh, at no other time in in my life have i ever had such an ability to have a nonverbal communication with a group of people and that was our, our tunnel cadre at the time. I mean, I mean, you, with a glance, you could say a paragraph. It, it was amazing. So, so to, to hear him do that, oh, 
That's hilarious. It was great. Yeah. That would definitely be entertaining. It, it's th- those are some of my funnest stories. Are are just new flyers. I don't care if you're skydivers. I don't care if you're tunnel flyers. I'd be curious what's your most interesting tunnel story. Your your most entertaining, the one that made you laugh so hard you still laugh today. Oh, I I tell you to be honest, it, it's a little gory. Um, it uh, um, we had pre-flighted the tunnel, I believe. Uh, that morning, and uh, the tunnel instructor who was in looked up, and and uh, I can't remember exactly how it started, but at some point uh, uh, he thought he saw something flying in the top of the tunnel uh, before we started flying. And anyway, uh, we never saw anything more of it. So mid session. Um, he saw, thought he saw something. Then I took over for the next session, and he went up uh, stairs, and when he came back down, he pantomimed to me uh, what he saw, and what, it, what he had seen was, unfortunately, that night an owl had gotten into the tunnel. Oh. And when the thing got ramped up, the owl went through the fan and, of course, didn't really enjoy that experience. And the way he pantomimed to me through the glass, fortunately it was an experienced four-way team, so I wasn't having to pay a huge amount of attention to him, but the way he pantomimed to me what he saw um, was hilarious. And he, it was something like he says, I see the head and one, and, and he did some wing motion, and I couldn't stop laughing the whole time. <laughs> and sure enough, afterwards, we go up and we clean out a wing and some bird guts oh, and, a, so and an owl head. Yeah. But just I remember not being able to, because it looks so ridiculous. You know, I felt bad for the owl, but it looks so ridiculous to see him standing on the other side of the glass and his instructor uniform and 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 doing a funky chicken you know? <laughs> dude people would be amazed the plenum is uh and, and help me out nick if i get this wrong but the plenum is basically the bottom of the, the basement tunnel, yeah the basement yeah yeah and at the, at the uh the parasite it's a you have an air collector and i guess the bird had already been up in the top section but was on the the tunnel side of the fans and then got launched through the fans and that. So there is some there. recycle in that. There is no recycle. No, it's just sucking type. the air yeah. up from the bottom. Yeah. That's what I thought. There's so. just a funnel and then there's uh, the five exit tubes for the five okay. fans. But w- with our re- research, yeah. the plenum, I've talked to some of my buddies and they say we have to go out and clean that out every so often and oh, it's yeah. regular. The things they say they see, the amount of human skin they collect off of shit, it is so oh, disgusting. If, if, yeah, we, if we want to get gross, I mean, uh, yes, go I, went, for it. I went out to Colorado for, uh, I think I was there maybe about four months before I got a little disenchanted with uh, the tunnel industry at that point and wanted to go back to skydiving. Um, but uh, um, it was the second recirculator in the United States, third overall, I believe. And uh, I remember the first shoe that got lost, and then we saw the shoe insole come back around. Uh, we realized that was a hazard, but you know, here we we opened up a tunnel. I mean, I was part of. The, I helped with minor construction before we even got you know up and running, and so we'd go up inspect the fans and the equipment, and they were pristine. They were gorgeous. This they is Denver. Beautiful. Denver. One yeah. of the it was one of the first recirks. I think it was the third recirc overall and the second recirc in the United States. I think the New first Ham- one was New Hampshire in... was the first recirc in the United States, and Air Kicks was the first recirc overall. Yeah, okay, um, and. Inside of, I'd say, less than a month, the fans and the turn vanes at the top were starting to turn green. Yeah. Yeah. You tell me what that was. So. Uh, The Incredible Hulk. Yeah, boogers and snot. 
I think they actually outsource the cleaning of the plenum now because <laughs> I, I think it was just such a hazard. I mean, it's yeah. you got ten instructors with a power washer <laughs> just trying to figure it out, you know, amidst a bunch of that hair and like dead skin and everything's wet and slippery. Yeah. So I think they hated doing it enough, coupled with the fact that it was just a huge liability, a huge risk for the company it, to have yeah, them all if, down there. If there's somebody at iFly Corporate looking at this right now, they're like, just shut up. We don't want to stop yeah, talking, guys. Stop, stop talking about that. Actually, it, so I didn't actually think I would uh, talk about this conversation tonight at all. But the whole this whole we've been sidetracked by the tunnel brings up to me what is a very very curious conversation. And if you've been on Facebook and JP, I'm not 100 percent sure, but I think you've been on Facebook once recently. No, no. It, it, you, you, you have a web address for me. You're like a 12 year old girl when it comes to <laughs> fucking Facebook, bro. So we really am not here for a podcast. We're here for intervention for you and Facebook. No, I'm okay. kidding. No. Yeah, well, no. I need it. What you've seen on Facebook is there's a lot of questions going on right now. And USPA, our governing body, United States Parachute Association, is considering getting into... Is this where I use my safe word? Safe word, pineapple. pineapple no, no, pineapple. no. Keep going. Keep going. No, dude. Because totally I'm not afraid to have an opinion. And neither <laughs> am I. I. I actually got to serve for a short time on the board of directors of USPA, and you've actually served as an advisor to the board of directors. Yep. Went to meetings for six years. And I'm now I, recovering. I still regularly... <laughs> I still regularly speak with a lot of these directors. Uh, a lot of the, these directors actually will still come to me for guidance or opinions. Um, oddly, some of them don't. I would think some of them would more than they do. Uh, but uh, that, that's just an underhanded This comment. is a dangerous road. Yes, it is. <laughs> Subtle jab. Subtle jab. Subtle jab. Jab, jab, jab. No, but for real, uh, one of the things they're talking about, and actually this conversation happened before I was on the board and while I was there, is USPA should or should not get involved with indoor skydiving. USPA should get involved with the regulation of it. USPA should get involved with the competition side of it. USPA should get involved with United States Parachute Association part of it. Um, What's your take, man? Where where are we at here? So as I understand, the the latest controversy uh, involves uh, the FAI, uh, which is the international uh, uh, body that kind of governs uh, skydiving competition, um, and it's much broader than that. I think a lot of skydivers don't realize it covers aerobatics, covers aviation records, I mean, speed Hot records. air balloon records. Altitude records. I mean, all sorts of climbed things. Climbed altitude records with airplanes, everything. So they recently voted to include uh, indoor skydiving competition or tunnel flying uh, as something of their purview, something that they oversee. Yep. And that makes absolute sense to me. Uh, because... They are such a, a massive body of aviation and air sports related uh, records. I mean, they do hang gliding, paragliding. Uh, um, the, the, where this quandary is starting to come up, I believe, is that in order to go compete at the international level, mm-hmm. you have to be a recognized team and your, your national aero group, club, club et cetera, yeah. um, needs to approve of your team. Um, which the USBA does for our skydiving team. So when somebody wants to go to Mondai or, or, or World Meet, et cetera, um, the USBA says, yes, that's our sanctioned four-way team. And it's pr- usually been selected from the winner of nationals, nationals right? Yep. Um, in the case of, I could be completely out of date on this, in the case of, say, the women's four-way team, I don't think we have a separate category at nationals, so the USBA approves or appoints uh, a top-performing women's four-way team to go represent us at World. And I believe that's still accurate. Yeah. Um, 
here's where the breakdown happens. I do not think the USBA should get involved in the tunnel. Not in regulation, definitely. That's that's the business of the tunnel industry. The the I fly for for lack of any better word. You know, they make it's a private corporation. They make their rules. Um, as for the competition aspect, I feel for those people that want to compete at the international level, but I still don't see it as something where the USPA and most importantly the members who contribute to the USPA should have their resources, which are already very limited for competition in skydiving. Uh, diverted to yet another avenue uh, that is a, a definite subset of, of... There are obviously USPA members that are uh, tunnel flyers, but not all USPA members are tunnel flyers. So, so I don't think the USPA has any responsibility to take that on. I would encourage those people and maybe the tunnel industry at a whole to form their own body, yeah. their own governing body or own own. We club. share a very yeah. similar almost identical view on this. And I'm, I'm going to kind of expand on what you said a little bit for people listening. Uh, the FAI and the IPC, which is the competition side of, of life, have required for you to come to nationals, your NAC, and NAC is what we call it for short, National Aero Club. Your National Aero Club must uh, appoint you as your designated representative. I think you're very clear on that. And our NAC is USPA. And the tunnel scene has no NAC at all. And in, oh my God, I'll do the math horribly because I was actually on the board when we voted to actually, uh, the, the first world competition for tunnel flying, there was no way the U.S. was going to be represented without intervention from USPA. And a girl, you actually know her well, Laura Wagner, showed up to the board of directors meeting in Connecticut and said, and represented iFly and uh, did a awesome job representing the tunnel community is she representing the iba or she I was form? representing I, iba okay that that's is correct sir okay. fuck yeah thanks for yeah. check fact checking me too. no worries check fact that scotch went to my head tonight <laughs> um check facting me um fact checking Facts I, think, I think i think uh to to Pause it for a moment. The, the i think one of the problems uh i've heard Son brought up bitch. recently about the iba continuing to be the knack is that there's uh, a collusion between uh, the iFly Corporation and that there's not a separation. And as polarizing as my opinion just was, yes, I am happy for a limited amount of time to get them through that process. That's the answer. You know, so if this year they need to go to competition, hey, we'll sign off on that. We'll, we'll sign off on it. But we, I think that needs to be a very temporary thing because it very quickly can lead down the road of, okay, now we're going to start contributing resources. Now we're going to start funding the U.S. tunnel team, and all our other skydiving teams are underfunded as it is. Yes, sir. So so I think you and I stand on the exact yeah. same page then, and yeah. something that people, a lot of your USPA directors are yeah. currently asking you for your input and, and valuing your input, and I, let's talk about world politics for one second. Most people will say, my local representative, my senator, my congressman doesn't give a rat's ass about me, and they don't vote for me. I'll tell you right now, I've sat in that fucking boardroom and so have you, and I have seen regional directors say in the meeting, I personally feel X about this topic, but my constituents feel Y, I am voting for Y. So straight up, man, a lot, not all, a lot of our USPA board members actually A, listen, and B, I've seen so many of them vote not with their own conscience, but with yours conscience, which... 
there should be a balance to that, and that's another conversation. And the tr- the tricky part is is uh, not all of of our elected representatives are very good at getting out and and soliciting an opinion from their constituency. Yeah. But the two way street is not a lot of our constituency reach out to our our representatives and say, "Hey, listen, I feel strongly about this. Uh, yeah. This is this is my opinion." If if you've got somebody who gives you a, a, a an avenue, and Chuck Akers is our regional director, and he created a Facebook page to give us an avenue to speak, then go on the Facebook page Mr. Akers has actually uh, presented for us. If you don't have an avenue that your regional director has provided for you, then look in Parachutist. In the first couple pages, there's his email address. There's his phone number. Go to USPA.org. And look up his information and tell him how you feel about it. And I'm led to believe Chuck does not mind phone calls at one o'clock in the morning. So please, actually, Chuck encourages right phone away. calls as much as call he can. him right now. I think he says the later the better. Yeah. He would like to talk to each and every one of you about this topic. And I think if we could bombard him with calls right now, I love you, Chuck. Um, he would love it. Uh, but call him, and I think you and I stand on the same point. He Today likes drunk dials. And next year, I don't think we'll be ready to present a U.S. team for indoor skydiving. So I think it's very generous of USPA, the cousin to the sport, because yeah. we are related. There, there, is, there is a relationship. But we're not brother and sister. Yeah. We're cousins. Yeah. Of the cousin sport to help my cousin out. He is my family. But we also should give them guidance and direction, just like you and I as friends. We, you and I have both come to each other for guidance about topics. Yeah. And, and I really hope that we can convince our leaders, that we can convince the people at the top that, yes, let us help for one to two years. But the help is, number one, giving them an appointment. Number two, helping them find their own knack, helping them form their own knack, handing off information and supplying help to them. We are a nonprofit organization, which means we should fucking help others. And as a whole, I think USPA does a phenomenal job of it. it, And people will knock the USPA. You know, everybody's got their opinion. Um, I've got my own complaints about about the effectiveness of, of a board that seems, to be, that seems to be elected mostly through a popularity contest because it doesn't seem important enough to most of the constituency to, in my opinion, to select a representative that will actually do the right thing and not always give you the answer you want. Yes, sir. Um, but for everybody who hates on the USPA, at least the one thing to me your dues are valuable for is... Uh, is the protection and 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 the the interface it allows us with the FAA who who just as easily as they allow us to skydive and could allow us not to skydive uh, if we ever become a problematic to them as a, as an industry um, basically you pay your dues for two of the most valuable people I think three of the most valuable people Randy. I'm, I'm gonna, Randy Ottinger who's our uh, liaison with the uh, FAA. Director of Government Relations is his technical yep. title. Yep. Uh, Ed Scott, who's our president, and... Uh, Ed Scott's executive director. That's right. Yeah. Jay Stokes uh, yeah. is president of the board. Yeah, executive Sorry. director. So he's he's not an elected position. He's an appointed position. If you who, say Jim Crouch, I'm going to fucking punch you. What's wrong with Jim? I love what's Jim. What's up with Crouchy Jim? Crouchy Crouchy. Crouchy I've had crouchy. too much of that whiskey. Yeah, yeah. Hi, Jim. And Jim Crouch, straight up. Yeah. I don't know if you saw the Rating Center fan page posted. a. a we shared. USPA celebrated their 71st yeah. birthday yesterday. And the Rating Center fan page said, congratulations, 71st birthday. And your useless trivia, and possibly a lie, Jim Crouch has been there 71 years. I, I believe that's a true fact. A true fact. And um, I don't know how he hasn't gone postal yet. I, uh, so do you know what Jim Crouch used to drive by chance? 
Uh, I I know I saw him uh, this year in a pretty bitchin' Corvette, and I think maybe... Because uh, he had the man up. Maybe he's got the most successful drop zone in history? I don't know. No, no. Uh, actually, he had a, a little bit of family trauma that oh, supplied okay. a little bit of money that got that. So that he's, got, you know, he's got this fleet of badass airplanes. Yeah, yeah. You know? So Jim used to drive a Pontiac Solstice. I'm banging on you, Jim. Sorry. Uh, um, <laughs> he, he drove a Pontiac Solstice for quite a while. Yeah. And I saw this Solstice at different meetings we would go to. The Solstice I, isn't the one from Breaking Bad, is it? I don't. No, I, no, I don't know what's on Breaking like, Bad. Like I didn't know there was a call. Yeah. Pontiac Solstice, though, is okay. a bitch car. I'm just saying. Okay. okay. So uh, that we we we. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> see what this I'm saying? Oh yeah. my god! It's like the American version of the Mazda Miata. You're a fucking bitch. Uh, yeah. And there ain't nothing wrong with being a bitch because I love me bitches. Um, Jim. So we're we're in 2012. We're in Florida in Deland for an examiner's meeting. And also Skydive Expo, which was a, a nice little gathering yeah. that the girls at Blue Skies Mag did for a while. And I show up. We, we have a party at Bill Booth's house. So we're all going to Bill's. We're all, it's, it's, it's a pretty fucking good time. Bill it's parties? Good, uh, dude, yeah. Maybe a little bit. Yeah, right. Maybe a <laughs> yeah. little bit. And every it, it's an invite only and it's an industry only. So it's even better, man. I show up and I park next to Jim's Solstice. And I know it's his. I, I'm positive it's his. I, I've known this forever. And I walk up. Jim, Ed, Scott. And Jay Stokes are standing together. And I walk up, and, and, and you know my history with all three characters. I, I, they're very, very good friends of mine, uh, most particularly Jay. And the first chance they have give me to ask, say something, I'm like, Jim, dude, I just parked, and I saw this great Pontiac Solstice out there. Is it yours? And with the biggest smile on his face, he says, yeah, man, that's my car. I'm like, dude, it's a fucking great car. And he's like, oh, thanks. Bro, my grandma has one just like it. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it, you talk about deflating his yeah. balloon. Oh, there, there's the photo again. It, it's a convertible? Or were they all convertibles? Uh, there are some hard tops here as well. His was a convertible. A convertible. Well, yeah. he's going to sunburn, sunburn the top of your poor little head there. Yo, Jim. yo, yo. Don't make fun of a baldy man, <laughs> motherfucker. Just because you have a wonderful set of hair. I got a haircut just for this show. Dude, I got a haircut just because I'm going bald and it falls out <laughs> naturally. I mean, I haven't got to cut it anymore. Dude, Jim is a super dude, and I, I agree with you. If nothing else, your member fees are well worth Randy Ottinger, Jim Crouch, and Ed Scott. Although there's a lot of people think Ed Scott doesn't do his job well. I will say there are some people who argue that. With my personal experience with Ed Scott, I'm a fan, I'm a supporter, I'm a believer. Yeah. I've worked with him as an examiner. I've worked with him on a couple of publicity things with the with media. And I have worked with him as the board of directors. So I don't know if my opinion is is valid. I think a lot of people's a lot of people's opinion may be formed just by them either getting or not getting something they wanted, uh, whether it be logical or not. Um, I, I, th I think a lot of people form their opinion having never experienced what it is to, to do that job or be in that position or or witness what goes into that. So there's so many people who uh, who. Hey, Nick, will you turn me up half a notch? Yes. I think I was popping there a little bit and that's what you were dealing with. And if I can hear my pop a little bit better, I can keep the mic because I think I got the mic like basically in my mouth. Um, I thought it was a penis. Hey, hey how you doing? Um, I think so many people attack people about their jobs without putting themselves in each other's shoes. Before you make an accusation at how Jason Hyder does his job, before you accuse JP the pilot of how he does his job, before you accuse Hank of how he does his job, put yourself in their shoes. 
don't have sympathy. Don't feel sorry for them. Actually think about what are they it's, going through. It's a, it's a commentary that's, that's much greater than skydiving that I, I believe in. It, it's not about being sympathetic. Yes, sir. It's about being empathetic. And I think as a culture, we've lost it. Uh, we've forgotten how to be empathetic. Uh, how to how to put ourselves in somebody's shoes? It, maybe maybe we don't like their behavior and it's not justifiable, but look at the causality that brings them to that point. Why do they feel that way? And maybe you'll have a better way to interact with them. And boy, do I have to remember that <laughs> you uh, from a moment to moment notice my uh, uh, moment to moment myself. You and I both both struggle with that because yeah, that's the fourteenth time I've heard that fucking question today. I gotta remember it's the first time you thought of it ever in your life and uh you know it's something that i know you you and i've had a lot of conversations about this personally it's something we both struggle with daily i almost forget what it's like to be a new jumper sometimes i need to remind myself what it's like to be dude joe joe k i can't ever say joe's last name bro joe klimkowitz my uh, my student today yeah dude well i remember when i was first learning to sit fly and i'm watching some of the things he's doing and i gave him some compliments today and I truly, truly meant them. I see what he's doing, and he's working hard, and he's earning it. But at the same time, there's part of you who goes, come on, bro, you just take a dock. Well, you've also told me the same thing. <laughs> and I think about, man, I remember what it's like to fly with Nick, and Nick emphasizing these points with me. So when I'm watching Joe, I really felt like I was I, – when I watched that debrief, I was with Joe, not I wasn't with you. I, right. By the way, cover your ears because you're going to really hate this next statement. Dude, fucking nice coaching. I love the approach. I love the attitude. I love how you said, I normally work this way, but with you, I think this approach is different, man. I think you're a phenomenal coach. Thank you. And, you know, I don't have a... I don't have as much coaching as some of our friends do, you know, especially our friends that work in the wind tunnel and that, you know, have so much more time to fine-tune these little things that they have, you know, a lot more tricks up their sleeve about, oh, uh X worked with this person, Y worked with this person, and a combination of those things worked with this person. Most people do this thing. I think they have, you know, I, I have uh, not as much experience as I would like, but I don't know that I ever will, you know, I think that's a, a common thing sure. with anyone who's driven to be good at something is you're never going to feel like you've, you've made it there. But no, Joe has a lot of tunnel time. He's a, he's a good flyer. And I think that uh, for someone on Joe's level, you know, there's, there's a, an amount of repetition of thought that's important. Of like, hey man, you know what I'm telling you right now because I told it to you for the last three jumps. Like, you just need to go home, close your eyes, imagine this moment, and try and get this as a conscious thought next time. Because it's so easy on the ground to think about, oh sure. well, I should have done this, you know. Oh well, if I would have done it this way, at all, oh, I I knew I should have done this, I just didn't. And I think that that's a that's a big thing I talk to our camera flyers about. It's like turn your brain on. Like, it's so easy to get in autopilot mode or get in the mode of just what... Sorry, autopilot. No. <laughs> <laughs> but to just get, uh, you know, to, to do what feels normal and what feels thoughtless almost. Yeah. That's the easiest way to to get through most situations. And to uh, especially when you have habits established of the way... This is just the way I've done it. Uh and the importance for growth to get your brain turned on in that moment to spark a new thought and to remember the stuff that you actually talked about on the ground, I think that's a whole other skill set aside from the flying itself is the ability to, to visualize and to bring your vis- uh, visualization and memory into the, into the present moment. The skydives, you know, especially when you're learning to skydive or learning something new in skydiving, it's a pretty intense moment. And well, and, and that speaks to the challenge I think every, every 
brand new skydiver has, uh, you know, at the 100 jump, 200 jump, 300 jump mark, when they're looking to prove themselves and, and show how incredibly qualified and experienced they are, and, and, and they chafe at the, the limits we put on them, like, like can't jump cameras till this point, can't jump wingsuits. And, and yes, at 200 jumps, you, are, you do have a high level of experience compared to the guy who's, who's just starting AFF or STP. Um, but what you're speaking about, they don't have the unconscious ability to skydive and therefore be able to focus on something new focus on that training they did on the ground focus on that new concept because they're still spending so much of their resource their 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 physical and mental resource <laughs> to to just get yeah, through it to just get through it yeah. you know so so it's that whole hey slow down kid you'll get there kind of thing mm-hmm. you know yeah and that's i mean that, i think that's an important point is the the slow down take a little bit you know let's do this little bit right now i think that a lot of people Really want that instant gratification, you yep. know? They just want they just want to sit fly, you know? I want to be skydiving with my pants on fire. You know? <laughs> yeah, what, whatever it is, whatever yeah. that thing that you hold in your mind is your sign that you've made it or that you can do it or yeah. the video that you're going to post on Facebook so your ex girlfriend sees it and sees what a fucking badass <laughs> dude she's not with anymore, you know? Yeah. Whatever whatever your motivation yeah. is, you know, we we all we all want that thing and we want it right now. And you know it's it's a hard thing to remember. Skydiving, I think, is such a hard thing to put into context, even for people who are starting to learn it. You know, it's it's hard to put. You know, uh, I don't know how many skydives are sitting in this room, but it's a lot. But to to put that, you know, what that level of experience actually feels like, to put that in perspective, when you have seventy jumps and you think you're the shit, like because you haven't. But I was. I, yeah, we all I, we all were. I can almost assuredly guarantee that the three of us sitting there here have had those those pivotal moments where we've reached a level of experience, both in jump numbers and, and just time and sport, and we we've we've actually gone, holy crap! I don't know shit. There, I have a note and, in my and phone, and that's an amazing point to get to. I think. Hang on. You're going to have to talk for a second while I dig well, up this. While you're looking here. that up, I'll fill yeah. the, the quick gap with two things. Number one, fuck you, Nick Lott, because now Katie Jones has said, I saw and heard that burp. So now there I will be called burps on my you, whole life. You better pay attention. Okay, I found that quote, so hang on. Uh, one of the great challenges you, of life is knowing enough to think you're right, but not knowing enough to know you're wrong. And I think that that's like Ooh, the... No mas, por favor. One of the great challenges of life is knowing enough to think you're right, but not knowing enough to know that you're wrong. So imagine this hunter jump wonder who's got the experience that they feel like their opinion is rooted in that experience, but they don't have enough experience to see the whole big picture to know that, hey, I know that, that it feels right based on what you know, but you don't know enough to have this a fully formed opinion about it, right? And so I think that that's, I think that's kind of the definition of that hunter jump wonder. I think it's the Dunning-Kruger effect. I think we've talked about this mm-hmm. before. Of your your limited knowledge makes your ability seem much greater than it than it actually is, and it's an important stage I think in the process of learning. You you want to have somebody feel incredibly talented and experienced, so that they they have the confidence associated with it. But then you want them to move past that point and realize, okay, there's more to learn, right? Yeah. Hey, yeah. now you got that part. That's a tiny little yeah. part. Let me show you the rest. Because if you <laughs> never got them to that point of confidence, they'd never progress, right? But yeah. it's the it's the balance of ego, right? It really reminds me of something that you spoke with with Jeremy Foster, the levels of consciousness. And if you don't mind, I'm going to completely quote it wrong. Can you? No, let's remind? see. Let's see if you can get it. Fuck no, I can't even do. Okay, even so close. we have 
Unconscious incompetence. So you don't know that you don't know. Conscious incompetence that now I'm aware I don't know. So before I tried to sit fly, I didn't know I didn't know how to sit fly. I tried to sit fly. Now I know I can't do it. Conscious competence of when I focus, when I put my mind to it, when I really think about it, I can do this thing. So it's it's the, a very powerful concentration of thought that makes this possible. And then uh, unconscious competence, meaning that you've got it. It's something that you don't have. Like when you drive your car now, it's... I mean, think about when you started driving, how you had to think... I'm Asian. Gas. I don't drive well. Okay, well, us white people... No, I, I get it. <laughs> I get, Round I get eye. It, you know? it, w- it was, it was uh, going back to something, uh, the... The FITP, learning to walk in the tunnel, you know, thinking, looking at somebody else do it, thinking, no problem. Trying it, realizing I was a basket case, you know. Uh, what was the third one? Uh, conscious, conscious competence. competence. Conscious I competence. Had it. There you go. Realizing you had attained the ability to do so, and then unconscious competence was being out for lunch in the middle of your FITP and, you know, going to walk towards the register and leaning back to do so because you forgot you weren't in the tunnel. <laughs> That's that is it's funny to I have those same I have those same moments where I feel like I'm carving around <laughs> objects in, in yeah. life. You yeah, know? you throw your arms up. And, I, I just yeah. want to address this question because I think it's a really Chris, important one. Yeah, thank uh, you. Chris asks, is there a point where you're done learning and there's nothing new? Each jump just becomes a number. So, Chris, I think that there is that point and it's called time to quit skydiving. Thank you. Oh, Amen. Or, or it's called being burnout and uh, you just need to, to do something else. Uh, I know people who are way better than me. Uh, who uh, get better every time I see him. And uh, if if you think that... I, I heard this guy, I was sitting at Whole Foods, this is maybe two years ago by now, and this guy, uh, someone I didn't recognize was You're talking... You're so fucking pretentious for I saying Whole I was sitting at the grocery store. Thank you. We've had this before. <laughs> and, uh, and this guy was... Hey, they uh, don't sell sprouts at Walmart, all right? I'm just saying. <laughs> Not that I'd know. So, back to what I was saying. I'm sitting outside... At uh, in a public venue, listening to this guy talk to someone who I could tell this was someone who, with some skydives, talking to a person with no skydives, and he I, from and neither one of them knew you. Yeah, it sounded like this guy had been out of the sport for a while, okay. and he was saying that he had a, a few hundred. I want to say maybe he even said six hundred, but I don't even think I don't think it was that many because I think that's enough to to give you a bigger perspective. It was something with a six. It may have even just been sixty. I don't know. But someone who, uh, when they told me the number of skydives, I knew that it wasn't enough to have made this assessment that they had made. And he was uh, talking to his friend about skydiving, and I interjected because I'm a skydiver and an asshole, and I thought that I needed to be in on this conversation. <laughs> and so I, I remember asking, so why, you know, what made you stop skydiving? Like, why don't, why don't you do it anymore? And he's like, oh, well, I just, you know, I just... He said something about having topped out or having, you know, oh, there just wasn't anything challenging to do with it anymore. There wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't hard anymore. I wasn't learning anything anymore. And and if you get to a point where you're not learning anything new, it's because you're not trying to learn anything new. And I'm going to say something that's going to earn me a few enemies here. (laughs) Go for it. (laughs) Sounds like that guy was a candidate for wingsuiting. Oh, could have been a base jumper. Does this thing could have been a base jumper. Do a mic drop. Uh, yeah, no, don't mind, drop the mic. That man, that cost me money. So I kind of I want to add to to Chris's questions. Like, first of all, Chris, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening and checking us out. But I have a question for you, Mister Lot. How many skydives do you have? Oh, I'm right around seven thousand. So in this room right now, we have twenty eight thousand skydives. 
sadly, that's not that many because we all have a friend and probably a mutual friend, if not more, who have way more than 28,000 skydives. Jay Stokes would be one of the first ones that come to mind. And in the 28,000 skydives in this room, have you learned it all, JP? No. Uh, to, and you have 13,000. Yeah. To answer Chris's question, in a way, it, can I do a tandem virtually unconsciously now? Yes. Is there still something I learned from, from every tandem I do? A small amount. I think your definition of have you learned it all, even in just one subset, and, and you know, I think of things like crew. I, I've got three dozen crew jumps. You know, so obviously I have a lot more to learn there. But say it's something like tandems or say say you're the top four-way team in the world. You're only done if you haven't set the bar for yourself higher, right? Oh, dude, well you said. Know? Absolutely. How many courses have you taught? How many, how many FFF have instructed uh, have you created, right? But do you think you're done learning how to teach somebody to be an AFF instructor? No, you, you yeah. set the bar higher. You go, well, that's where I am and I'm pretty damn good, but you set the bar higher, you know? The more but I do absolutely think that there are people who, uh, despite what they say, they treat skydiving that way. That they are just doing what they're doing, and they don't have an interest in doing it better or different or learning. And that people who are very, uh, uh, you know, they don't take criticism well. They don't, they don't want any part of it. Yeah. They just want to keep on doing what they're doing and keep on hating I th- it. I know? think, you know, to, to be... F- not to be favorable to him, but but I think any of us can fall into that trap from time to time. But it's it's whether we we just have no desire to set that bar higher for ourselves or not. Agree. It's uh, something we talk about in in coaching in general, and I say coaching in general. Number one, a, a coach course. USPA promotes we teach this in a coach course. I'm not saying every examiner does it, and I'm not saying I do the best job, but I think we do a thorough, comprehensive job. Uh, is goal setting. Without goal setting, we give up. I've met people with 25 jumps who truly believe they've accomplished everything they can. (laughs) And I firmly believe they think that usually because they're an idiot. Possibly because their instructors and their coaches never showed them what was truly possible in the sport. My job as a coach is to lay down seeds. My job as a coach is to tell you what you can do. Like watching Nick coach today, one of the things that I believe made Nick a great coach wasn't the fact that he said, hey, you want to be able to do this. Will you hand that to me, please? He said that you want to be able to do this because you can use it for this later. We always want to build to the future. So short-term goals and long-term goals are so important. Without long-term vision we give up if all we had was short-term goals it's so fucking easy it's too easy i quit with uh we need long-term vision for endurance we need long-term vision to make something in the sport but with only long-term vision it's impossible to accomplish so we fucking give up so short-term goals accomplish long-term visions and and fuck skydiving it's life man yeah give yourself that goal you've given yourself so many goals of, of photography, of piloting, of being a better individual, and you've accomplished some of those, not the last one. <laughs> <laughs> Truth. Um, but, you know, it, you and I, uh, get, we, we have that similar struggle. Like, well, here's my problem. Here's why I want to be better, and here's how I'm going to do it. And, and I think the times I've been most frustrated in both the sport uh, and the industry and just life in general is when I haven't yet found that goal, that next goal, or, or I... I, I don't see the long-term path. I've reached the short-term goal, and I'm like, what now? 
you know. So so it's it's a I think a lifelong skill to continue to keep looking for it, you know. Be hungry, and, yeah. and I think we've all been enamored by the sport. We've all been amazed by approaching the sport, and some people, Chris, will get super frustrated that, like, bro, I've been skydiving for this long, and I can't do this. And and I, I go back to, again, Mr. P's client today, Joe. Joe wasn't frustrated that he couldn't do what he couldn't do. Joe was excited to conquer what he couldn't do. And so many people approach a new thing, and when they fail they see it just as failure. And it's a fucking cliche, but clichés exist for a reason. Failure is an opportunity for growth. Failure is an opportunity for learning. Because I, I actually like failing at goals. The reason I like failing at goals is because when I, when I achieve it, when I, when I succeed at it, it feels fun. If I just succeed, it feels good. If I succeed at failure, it feels badass. I failed my first AFF course as an instructor wannabe. I failed for a very stupid reason. I made a stupid mistake. The reason wasn't stupid. My mistake was super, super stupid. And for that super, super, super stupid mistake, and, and Jay Stokes was my examiner as well, and he agrees. He told me, DJ, I wish I could just sign it. That was stupid. That was fucking asinine. But the papers say I can't. I'm like, no, no, no. I failed. I don't, think I, I don't think I asked you. Did you, had you seen many courses before you did yours or a few okay i don't know if i did five yeah. but a few yeah. um i had a large exposure jay and i were working full-time on the same dz at yeah that's that you that uh, was uh, greensburg right skydive greensburg yeah. in indiana owned by a guy named bob doherty who about once a day makes a page i found a hundred dollar bill and a rolex on the carpet come claim it if it's yours i i uh i i saw his uh his bus he has a bus City buses wrapped. Yes. Yeah. I he saw that. he has been a huge advocate of buses and billboards ever since I've known him. And you've been there. I think you've flown loads there maybe. No, I've never been oh, there. I, I had a completely you know, the the wild the wild story of my, my travels as That's a jump right. pilot is uh, I was moved I wasn't even supposed to go through the area, but I was moving an airplane from uh, Chicago area to uh, Virginia and uh, weather diverted me to the point where I said I just need to find a place to land and it happened to be Purdue, Indiana, or which, uh, whatever Lafayette, the city, Lafayette in Indiana, which is right Purdue. next to Frankfurt, which is yeah. where Skydive Indianapolis, and, and they've got a city bus wrapped uh, with uh, with his logo yeah. and whatnot. So, and straight up, man, Bob is uh, does a great job. When I moved here to Houston, uh, we had never—I don't think we've ever done sixty tandems, more sixty tandems a day. I remember Steve Boyd. We had did uh, we had, we had did eighty tandems one day, and at the end of the day, he looks at me and says. What do you think, man? You impressed? And I said, Steve, all respect? No. Well, what do you mean? Steve, you and I both know I came here for a smarter pace of life. I did 1,000 jumps in eight months a year. Mm-hmm. Eight months I did 1,000 jumps, and that wore me ragged. I came here to do 1,000 jumps in a year and 12 months, and that's what you allow me to do. So 100 to 120 tandems in a day was normal for me. I did 20 tandems on Friday, 20 tandems on Saturday, 20 tandems on Sunday. I don't know how many times in my life. So when I came here and I did 12 to 15 tandems a day, I know it sounds like a lot, Nick, but I did 12 to 15 tandems a day, it was a break. It was a vacation. So I said, Steve, with all respect, I'm impressed with what your growth is, but this is a comfortable pace for me. I'm not doing 20 a day, which I fucking hated. Burned out, can't stand it. I wouldn't have lasted in the sport if I lived in that. And there's nothing wrong with that work model. There's nothing wrong with that style. But uh, it, it does promote a burnout. I had a couple of years out on the West Coast where I was I was pulling that kind of volume. I think my biggest day was 19 tandems in a day. 
Do you remember and, what Braden uh, said for yeah. tandems oh. in a year? Bra- Braden did in a calendar year. Do you know how many tandems it was? Uh, out at his new location? Yeah, Saipan. Uh, he didn't tell me the number. He told me what what he was doing a day right now. And it, 1,900 it was, yeah. Yeah, or something. 1,900 yeah. and some yeah. change. Yeah. yeah. I think my two biggest years Fuck. were, were 3,000 in two years. And of those, 30 were fun jumps because I took a week off and went to a boogie. <laughs> it's uh, I, whenever I went to when I was a full time instructor, I'm a full time examiner now. I would go to a boogie, and in a five day boogie, I would make five jumps. Oh, it's it, when it, people don't get it, you know, uh, when you're in the industry and you're jumping all the time, sometimes the best thing to do is be on a drop zone and not be jumping or not flying, you know, just hanging out and enjoying the environment. One of my favorite boogies was the one year I went to Lost Prairie, and you know, I was. I think it was like 900 jumps that year, and and of the seven days I was at Lost Prairie, I think I did six jumps, and I didn't care. You're describing exactly my experience of this recent uh, Dallas boogie. Yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't feeling well. Yeah. Otherwise, I probably would have jumped more. You look like shit. <laughs> thank you. And uh, I was there for four or five days. I think I did three jumps. Yeah, and sometimes but that's just thoroughly what enjoyed myself. Yeah, absolutely. I need to uh, find the video from that event and share it with our group here. It was fantastic. Plus, uh, I'm in it, so you know it just can't be bad, right? Exactly right. <laughs> so, uh, what do you what do you like about flying airplanes, CJ? You said DJ. DJ. Sorry. Does DJ fly airplanes. God, you both have two letters for a name. <laughs> Come on. In the beard. JP, yeah. Mr. Pizzle, sir. What do you like about uh, about flying an airplane? I'm I'm the not Asian one. Racist, but you're both racist. <laughs> wow. So, what do you like about being in a plane? Um, so, so the the uh, the joy of flying really came from uh, being a uh, from childhood. Um, when I was a Cub Scout, <laughs> uh, Cub Scout. Yeah, I won a raffle. And uh, the prize was a ride in a small airplane. And I remember taking that ride in a Cessna 150 at uh, the University Airport, um, Aggie Flying Club, um, and flying over my own house at, what, about eight years old, and looking down and seeing my dog run in the backyard and thinking, what an amazing experience this is, you know, seeing a bird's eye view. And from there, I was hooked on aviation. And Dad furthered that. You know, we weren't an aviation family or anything like that, but Dad would... uh, take me to any air show in the area we had uh, i think five military bases in the area so he'd take me to any air show as a kid civilian air shows and i just grew to love airplanes and everything involving human flight and um so just just the ability to do it i mean it's it's an amazing thing louis ck did a uh, a comedic bit that i love but there's <laughs> so much truth to it you know the one i'm talking about i know about. exactly the one I you're don't. talking you know, about like, you had to wait on the runway for 40 yeah. minutes but but his his antithesis to that that complaint you know his his response to the the person in that in that joke is that that everybody everywhere when they get on an airplane should just be sitting in that chair going oh my god i'm flying you know <laughs> yeah. and and that is a unique thing have you, you heard look, this bit dj the the bit is yeah. he, he talks about people who experience air travel yeah. and they're like someone complaining about their weight on the runway that they had to wait 40 minutes for the airplane to take off. And he's like, yeah, then what happened? Did you partake in the miracle that is human flight? You did non-contributing you, zero? Did you so, soar through the air majestic? But it's just talking about how amazing it is that we can, in fact, get on an airplane and travel clear across the country. And, he, you know, I think he says yeah. New York to L.A. in, in six hours, which... Then the rest of his bit, he said that used to take thirty years, and half of your group would <laughs> yeah. die on the way. And and 
and you know, it, it's hard for me to verbalize, to put in words, but, but to be able to fly an airplane, to, to leave the ground and, and fly an airplane around. And I'm one of those rare, uh, in my experience, pilots that doesn't care to go fast and doesn't care to climb that high, which is kind of weird considering the job I do. Yeah. I mean, my perfect world be, it would be a Piper Cub flying across the country at 500 feet and 80 miles an hour. I mean, that, that would... You get How the true amazing. sensation of speed that way. Yeah, and, and just, just the perspective, you know. It's the same thing we, as skydivers. When we look down and we see the traffic jam on 288, you know, we think, gosh, I'm not in that. You know, I'm free of that. Yeah. So, Nick is actually posting, I believe, a link to, to that comedy skit. Uh, sketch that that comedy, uh, that, that stand-up routine. Uh, so, Nick, did you run a, a toll road recently, mister? Oh, yeah. I was looking to see if I had a toll road violation. I, I noticed I said, that. Uh, so I was driving to Austin a couple weeks back, and uh, I just listened to the GPS, <laughs> you know? And I saw a toll road, and I saw easy tag only, no cash. And I said, yeah, well, I'm still going. You're not going to stop me. <laughs> and so then I'd try and look up the, uh, the toll violation, but I, I haven't been able to find it yet. They'll send you a letter. Is yeah. your car registered in Texas? Yeah, it's registered in Texas, and it's to my current address and everything. But sometimes it just take, it hasn't shown up yet, so I, well, I just like to investigate. Amazingly enough, I can probably give you some perspective on this, because believe it or not, I went to the uh, Easy Tax store today to uh, update my tags for my Well vehicles. worth it, by the way. How much is it to get the Easy Tag? Is it like 30 bucks? Nothing extra. It's what? free. You the, just have to the, load it up? The tag, the sticker costs you, uh, I think the initial is a $15 activation fee. And then the, they just bill your, whatever account you link to it, they bill it uh, revolving $40. So as you pay tolls and it gets down to, I think, the last $10. It oh, so it's a $40 buy-in from yeah. which you debit? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, and one of the nice things is if you have run a toll, they say, sweet, here's your fine. Yeah. However, if you go ahead and register with EasyTag, you won't have a fine. Okay. You won't have a problem. You ju- will just charge you the seventy-five cent toll you missed. I, I believe the uh, the violations are kind of in arrears right now because they were talking about how they just changed their software, so you may not see your yeah. penalty for a little while. And in Texas, we use Easy Tag in Houston. I forget what we use in Austin, and I forget what we use in Dallas. TX Tag, Text Tag, I think. I know my Easy Tag has worked in Dallas. I don't think I ever had it when I went. They are they're all reciprocal. They all respect each other. You can use them in all the same places. I just happened to notice, because this is Nick's computer, when uh, he was clicking on tabs, there was a toll road. <laughs> Have you run a toll, or did Her- you miss Harris a toll? Harris County Toll Road Authority. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, HC, yeah. Va- and, and if you ever want to know anything about HCTRA, what? ask Valerie, because she, she is a fucking genius. She works with them regularly. Uh-huh. What, what, are, what are those other tabs there? Oh, I got, got a bunch hub. of them. Pick one. Porn the second hub. one's Pornhub. Oh, pick pick one. The third one's tell me when porn. to stop. <laughs> Number four, five. One, Number five. two, you know three, what? four, I, five. Sorry, I yep. opened this line of conversation. Spaceland videos. Number four. Those are the two I wanted to know. Life in the bus lane. What so the? Do you know Henry Guyver? I do not. So I'm going to post a link to uh, a video about Henry Guyver. Henry came out and uh, did his A license with us. Uh, his video plays on the TVs at Spaceland. He lives in China. He's a white guy, so he's I not Chinese. He lives now. in China yeah. at a manufacturing company. And he wants to come back here and uh, make a, a documentary similar to this. So Life in the Bus Lane, he wants to convert a bus into a tiny home, live out of the bus, buy the jump package, and he wants to make a documentary about, about that experience. I've been emailing with this guy because he wants to do work with me. Okay, cool. Yeah, so yeah. so you know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. It, isn't that one of the most fun things about our sport is that uh, uh, the people we meet and, and, and 
that share our lives. Half right. the reason I skydive, it's badass. Half the reason I skydive, skydivers are badass, and they talk about life in the, life in the bus lane. Yeah, so that's that's uh, he's been communicating with uh, Jason Heiner, Christy West, and I think uh, they've been commuting, communicating to Steve on his behalf about trying to uh, comp some of his costs of living in exchange for him making a documentary about uh, being in Spaceland. Oh, cool, man. I, I wish him the best. Uh, good luck with all of that. Um, I, I think it's a fucking awesome dream and a goal, um, but good luck with all of that. A in a week. Most most of these uh, videos are way bigger on our Facebook page, but I upload them to YouTube from time to time. Ah, uh, okay. I actually, I think I've seen this video now, now that the beginning of it comes in. Um, Nick is sharing a video. It's actually, I think, Henry's uh, A in a Week story, basically, in a short way. Yeah, so. yeah, pretty much. Cool. So, yeah, man, do, do, do the people we meet. So I want to kind of backtrack to some of these conversations and the boogie, the boogie scene. You went to Lost Prairie, but have you ever? Did you ever go to the Freefall Convention? I did do the Freefall Convention, Freefall Convention once. Um, what year? Uh, it would have been '04 because I was still at oh, Paris. Oh, I was dying then. Yeah, it was pretty quiet. I, and that's the thing is, I had I, I don't know why early on in Skydive and I was leery of traveling to things. Um, I should have taken the opportunity because boy, to hear hear about the '99 and 2000, 2001, those were like. The pinnacle years. Yeah, yeah. Um, Even early Rantoul was hot. Yeah. 03 yeah. was the last good year. 04 was the beginning of death. Yeah. 04 was quiet. I went with a, a uh, representing a wingsuit manufacturer. And, um, and you know, it was still a fun event, but yeah, yeah. it wasn't, it didn't feel like what I had heard from all my friends. Uh, the helicopter wasn't there. I mean, there was a helicopter there, but Rod Tinney's helicopter wasn't there. The 412 wasn't there. The Bell was done that uh, year. There, there the year were, before, I think, is the last yeah, year he did Very it. limited specialty aircraft. And and between that and the fact that just about any drop zone in the country, you could go jump a turbine anymore. You know, yeah, it was Yeah, it the was u- uniqueness of the convention was definitely gone. That year, 04... The the main landing area had all the organizers' tents around the main landing area, and one of the organizers' tents had a bunch of people camping in their tents right there at the main landing area. Yeah, that was me. Oh, okay. <laughs> so the yeah. assholes who were camping in the main landing area, that was me. I did get a pretty unique experience there. I jumped the largest flag I'd ever jumped there. Mm. Um, uh, uh, at, prior to that, the biggest flag I'd ever jumped was you know like a three by fiver. And I had always intended to get a bigger flag, but uh, were you there? Oh, four was your yeah. year. Do you remember in two thousand and four at the World Freefall Convention? So, so first of all, to help some people out, the World Freefall Convention in its heyday, in its pinnacle, in its peak, six thousand registered skydivers—not visitors, not guests, not friends—skydivers. You have to have a B license to jump here. So this is a fucking. This is our Sturgis, Michigan. This is our Daytona Bike Week. It is the shit. The things available, the organizers available, the aircraft. I mean, you had the the seven twenty seven. You had the uh, you know this is various years, but there were there were huge numbers of specialty aircraft. Jumping a twin otter was boring at the event. It was you know to hear people talk about. It, you had the Connie. You had the uh, the C one thirty. You had the B seventeen. The B twenty four. I mean, so many unique aircraft that. I'll never have the chance to jump. And, and Came there, and it was just this this and fuck jumping event. a helicopter. Yeah. Rod Tenney is a guy who owned a Bell four twelve, yeah. and fuck jumping out of a helicopter. It's cool. It's it's great. Rod would give you such a ride on his four twelve 
that every time he would land, there would be corn in the skids from the way he'd buzz the corn. He would buzz the corn so low, Nick, that he actually collected corn cobs in his fucking skid of his helicopter every single time. That's terrifying. I don't ever want to be on that helicopter. I don't, ever. I don't know what people are paying to jump out of a uh, Robinson these days, you know, which is a 180, 200 horsepower helicopter. I, I suspect people are paying upwards of 70 bucks to jump out of them. Yep. To put it in perspective, Rod Tinney's helicopter, the actual cost to jump it these days for one load should be somewhere around like 500 bucks a slot. Mm-hmm. You know, And I think people were jumping it for, what, 40, 50 bucks? Yeah, it was somewhere and, around that 50-buck mark. And it was a 15-minute roller coaster ride, which ended with, oh, by the way, you get to make a skydive. Sadly, do you know why he stopped flying? Because Rod yeah. flew jumpers forever. And, Nick, to give you an idea of how close that Nick that, that, Nick, that Rod would buzz the fields while he would fly we were told the entire drop zone or the entire free fall convention was told this is a no-go area you do not be here you do not stand here you do not exist here and it was a cornfield and this jumper wanted to get some really cool footage of rod taking off and buzzing the corn so rod takes off goes to buzz the corn and as he goes to buzz the corn the guy pops up to shoot video and rod chops him in pieces with his rotor. That's how close he would buzz the ground. That's a dead guy. Yeah, that's a dead guy. Fuck. Yeah. So uh, Rod, actually, that was he. He not only would he no longer do the free fall convention, he stopped flying jumpers, and he'd fly yeah. jumpers in other places and other situations. We lost a super awesome e-ticket ride. We lost a super awesome experience and, and a really dope pilot because you're a fucking asshole and can't follow the rules. Because I don't. I feel bad that you died, yeah. but because somebody thought they knew better than than the person who really was in charge. Yeah. And, and yeah. It was crazy. In 2014 you were there. Do you re- so back 2004. To f- 2004, I'm sorry. And back to this folks, if if you don't realize it, it th- that big of a convention, you need a B license to jump there. If you don't have a B license, they had a tandem landing area that they take tandems and they actually had a student landing area and they actually did some student training at the Freefall convention. But basically, you were on a different drop zone, extremely geographically close by. I think, I think one thing that struck me, to, to explain the size of this, there were three jump runs yes. parallel to each other. There was the middle jump run, there was the left jump run, and the right jump run. And, and you could be climbing out and see another airplane half mile to three-quarter mile away, and one on the other side half mile to three-quarter mile away if you were on the middle jump run. And that was just normal. I mean, that kind of volume was Every just day, amazing. Every day, all day. Were you, do you remember midweek of the convention, a student landing in the main landing area? I don't remember that much detail. It, uh, it, it stood out to some people because there was an AFF student. He was actually a Category C, first release, student who landed in the main landing area at the World Free Fall Convention. And it was entertaining because the load he was on landed. The load after him landed, and then he landed. <laughs> On radio, the radio operator actually said, if you see all the other parachutes coming around you, no worries. They're going to avoid you more than you have to worry about them. Yeah. They're more scared of you, more scared about them. That was Valerie's first AFF jump. Cool. My, my wife, Valerie, Very her cool. first AFF jump at the Free Fall Convention, and Don Curlin, you probably yeah. know the name, ran the Free Fall Convention, and he had a rep from Singular Wireless, now known as AT&T, who supplied all the phones for the convention. Yeah. Don walked up to us and said, guys, this guy's going to do a AFF jump here. I don't care what it takes. You guys are going to do it. And we were all gung-ho. We were all on board. Bob Doherty was involved. A guy named Gene Newsom. I don't think you know him. I know, uh, I know Gene's name. Yeah, yeah. He, he, for the longest time, flew the largest flags. Yeah. Uh, still uh, manages the fast tracks. Uh, start skydiving, yeah. but also yeah. the fast tracks. That's where I know team. from, yeah. 
Gene is, is such a such a dear dear friend of mine. I have more two instructor AFF jumps with him than anybody. Um, but Don said you will land him in the main landing area. So we we put we actually the year before put tandems in the main landing area. We got so much shit. He'd asked Bob to do anything rogue, and we did it. I, I definitely grew up in a cowboy age as a new instructor. This is where my memory is failing me. Whether it, whether it happened there, because I seem to remember seeing it. Or was it the year before? But do you remember um, a couple guys from a West Coast drop zone landing the Mr. Bill? Yeah, we're going to land a Mr. Bill. Yeah. Uh, We actually shot the video. I say we. You know Alex O'Connor. Yeah. Alex and O'Connor and I shot the video of the landing. Somebody involved in that jump came up to me and said, I know you. I know you're into video. We want somebody to shoot the video of the landing. We want somebody here present with us. So we shot the video of the landing. They gave us all their footage, and the video that got edited for it was edited by Alex. He he threw it together. Cool. Threw it on on ours. Uh, I threw a copy to those guys. Uh, Do you know about this story, Nick? No. I'm going to let you tell that story. i got to step out. Go for it, man. So you're going to go pee? Yes. Yeah, we'll call you out on it. So someone jumped from Mr. Bill from an aircraft and landed with, with the still person hanging on? Yeah. So uh, for, first of all, for any new jumpers, a Mr. Bill is a super, super dangerous stunt. I don't really recommend it. I know people have hurt themselves with Mr. Bills. Is everybody going to leave the room except for me? No. Uh, Mr. Bill. Oh, I see what's going on. A Mr. Bill is when you jump out of the airplane and you hold on to your buddy. And as you hold on to your buddy, he deploys his parachute. The guy deploying is called Sluggo. The guy holding on is Mr. Bill. Sluggo? Sluggo. I've not heard of that. Oh, no, Mr. Bill! Sluggo is Mr. Bill's homie. So most people know what a Mr. Bill is, but the parachute deployer is Sluggo. The hanger is Mr. Bill. And Mr. Bill, let's go and makes a skydive. These two guys start with a video. We're going to save $5 on a pack job. They're foreign. I don't remember where they're from, but they had a funny accent. It's getting racist. I like it. Yeah, yeah, straight up, man. <laughs> they actually did a Mr. Bill. The dude hung on his back until landing and right as they touch the ground he lets go in plfs so they fucking landed a mr bill go oh we say five dollars a pack job i sound asian but they didn't they actually like european or something okay so that's just the accent you're most familiar with it's it's the only one i know is to impersonate my mom oh dude i get in so much fucking trouble when i make fun of asian accents with my mom really oh dude and and i how thick is her accent oh bro if 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 you talk to my mom right now you'd probably laugh my mom has spoke English for 43 years. And you know the stereotype of an Asian lady? Oh, uh, Donji, uh, I need you to take out the trash. That is my mother. Um, she's, her accent's not horrible, and I don't notice it at all. But she, wh- she's from Japan? She is born and raised. Okay. Dad was an American Marine there. Hey, G, I, I love you long time, and now they've been married for 45 years. Uh, when Valerie, I think I've met your parents, haven't I? Uh, have they've they've, they've the visited here. Yes, yeah, they have. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I think you've met it. When my mom, uh, when when I first started dating Valerie, Valerie, my mom would say something to Valerie, and I would have to watch Valerie because when she was done, Valerie would either answer her or look at me. And if Valerie would look at me, it means I had to repeat whatever the fuck my mom said <laughs> because if she's comfortable with you, her accent is heavy. If she's uncomfortable with you, she tries harder, and her uh, accent is just fush. Look at it. It is out there horrid. So anytime I say, oh, mama, we eat our ratalice, it's not funny. She, I, I, I get serious grief. I think that's hilarious. She doesn't. As someone who dates an Asian female, I take every opportunity I can to make fun of their heritage. And I don't care who you think you are. Asian females are angry mother. They're all ninjas. And they all throw shit at you. Yeah, and they're little, they got those spicy personalities. You got to watch out. 
My sister got mad at one of my friends, threw a fucking vacuum cleaner at him. Just <laughs> saying. See, Sam's not the violent type, so I got that going for me. When I say threw a vacuum cleaner, remember the Kirby metal? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh-huh. My, my little Asian sister, your best friend, Debbie, threw a fucking vacuum cleaner at my homie. I miss you, Debbie. <laughs> I love you. My I miss you so much. <laughs> I hope you're driving right now. Don't crash. I love you. My sister and Nick have this little podcast romance going on. Um, we don't tell her husband, but uh, I, I think they're actually making phone calls behind our backs. We're in love. Don't judge us. It's beautiful. <laughs> Should be celebrated. Oh, dude. Uh, <laughs> he just winks at the camera, Debbie. Oh, man. If you actually were with my sister and my brother-in-law, Steve, her, her husband is a very nice guy. I love you, Steve. <laughs> but if you were with my sister, I'd be happy to call you yeah, my brother Yeah, you can only have one brother-in-law. Who's it me? Who's going to be me or Steve? Mr. P. You're goddamn right. Coming for you, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> take that. You're going to be chopped out by a midget. I just really like that she likes the podcast so much. She's, she seems like a great lady. Dude, so we went a week off. My, my sister is by far our biggest fan. My sister is also by far my best friend. I grew up as a military brat. You know this. We move every seven months to four years. That is the shortest and longest we lived in the place. So do every single one of our friends. So every year you have a new set of friends. My senior year of high school, we're in a brand new high school. It sets you up almost perfectly for skydiving too. It really, it really yeah. does. Um, I'm a vagabond my whole life. I've traveled. So my, like my senior year, man, and we're at a new high school. I immediately make friends with some homies. Hey, come eat lunch with us. Yo, bro, my sister doesn't have any friends here yet. I'm going to eat lunch with her. I ate lunch with my sister for like six or eight weeks and and always ate with her and I will do it all over again and I will wait 12, 14, 20. I don't fucking care. Now, straight up, she knew it and I will be honest with it. I couldn't wait till she made friends so I could go eat with my homies. And by the way, she made friends with some cute girls um, that I hung out with as well. So, Debbie, thank you for Tanya. I mean, thank you for having nice friends. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I didn't say any names. So, out sounds loud. like there's there's stories she still hasn't heard. Um, no, nah, she know she she knew Tanya and I were ha- hanging out, hooking up. Um, most of our friends knew we were hanging out, but I was a senior and Tanya was a sophomore, so I didn't like really advertise. Like today, two years, whatever. In high school, two years was a big deal, so we didn't ever. I actually dated one of Tanya's really good friends when I was in my mid twenties. A girl, uh, actually late twenties, a girl named Rachel. And uh, no mid twenties. And Rachel, while we were talking, found out I went to West Hills High School. So did I. Oh my God, my brother and my, my brother and si- her brother and my sister knew each other. Um, found out she was in tenth grade. I'm like, you were in tenth grade? Yeah. Did you know Tanya? I forget her name now. We were really good friends. I was dating Tanya. You're the fucking senior that dated <laughs> Tanya. I was I was that guy suddenly to her. Uh, those those are very Bruno Mars, by the way. Th- like th- those are y- you like these? Yeah, you got that. So uh, JP's bringing up my new sunglasses. How do they? I think they look pretty good. But I do you so, sing yeah. like Bruno? Yeah, yeah exactly. Like Let him. me hear it. Uh, you're gonna have to talk to my agent about that. We don't have the rights to produce that. Yeah, I can't make. I can't be making uh, free uh, performances in public venues. You know? uh, dude, did it's you listen to the Josh Barnett podcast on on Rogan? Yes, I believe I did. Did you listen to the whole thing? Hear how he talked about how his podcast went to shit because of stuff like that. Gosh, I I don't remember that part. At the end, he was talking with Rogan. Rogan's like, why aren't you doing your podcast anymore? Because Fox kind of fucked me. Like, what? Like, I talked to him about, well, we need the rights to the musical talent. Oh, don't worry about that. We have it covered. Oh, yeah, and he knew a guy who knew a guy who actually owned the rights, but through all the corporate yeah. loopholes, it was a pain in the ass. And then when Josh's podcast came on the air and it didn't play audio, Josh's like, what the fuck? 
Well, yeah, like he's running around on screen in silence, right? Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. It, it's so crazy the things you have to think about with those royalties and that crap, which we don't have anything nearly important enough. I love you, Susan. We don't have anything nearly important enough to worry about copyrights and, and royalties. So can we, can we get back to flying JP? airplanes for a minute? We're talking about, oh, oh yeah. So okay. Kevin Craig asked a question that uh, I know we'll have uh, a couple answers here. Do you have to wear a parachute when you're flying a jump plane? Henry's listening, dude. Oh, Henry Guyver, what's up, man? What's up, brother? We were just talking about you, man. His Chinese internet are killing him. Get internet from someplace <laughs> besides McDonald's. He's not Chinese. He's a white guy. He's from Colorado. But he's getting it from Chinese. My Chinese internet killing me. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I'm Asian. I can make the joke. <laughs> so, <laughs> JP, about about the jump plane. So, uh, parachutes and a uh, jump plane. Fair, fair warning. I will bore everybody to death with the geekdom knowledge I have. So, um, wearing a parachute or not depends mostly on how the aircraft was approved for uh, use in skydiving. So. Uh, would you also say configuration of the aircraft itself? Less so. Less okay, Less cool. So. So, so so often skydivers are assumed, say in a twin otter, you don't have to wear a parachute because there's a bulkhead between the uh, That's where I'm wrong. The pilot and, and the and the, the cabin. And that's not entirely true. Uh, really the reason a twin otter typically doesn't re- require the pilot to wear a parachute is because it was approved for flight um, with the door removed for parachute ops when it left the factory. And subsequently, when the jump door was added, in that paperwork, excuse me, taken after me. <laughs> I actually didn't hear. Th- I didn't hear that very well through my through my headphones. You in, may have gotten away with it. In the paperwork to uh, approve that jump door mod, there was no mention of having to wear a parachute. Now, many skydivers that are familiar with 182 or 206 operations will see the pilot wear a parachute, and that's usually because. The approval paperwork for the jump door modification, either a uh, uh, supplemental type certificate known as an STC or the 337, which is an a- approval specific to that particular airplane, will say in it, must wear a parachute uh, when conducting skydiving operations. Um, so to be clear, you could have a 182 that does require a parachute, a 182 that doesn't, same with a caravan, same with an otter? Almost all 182s that I've ever seen do require it simply because uh, either the 337, the individual approval for the aircraft, or the STC, which is something that, that's been approved for a range of aircraft, and then somebody buys that STC and installs it on the aircraft, will say must wear a parachute for skydiving operations. And that has to do with it being a jump plane, same aircraft before the modification, no parachute yeah. required. The caravan was approved for parachuting activity with the, with the regular door removed from the factory. The jump door mods and the jump mods on most of the ones, say, uh, uh, D-Sal owns, uh, the, the sister corporation to uh, Skydive Space End, um, are approved for that activity without the requirement of parachute. I think we do have one aircraft that is does require it, and, uh, and we do wear a parachute in that aircraft. Um, I've gone kind of both ways with my opinion of wearing a parachute in the caravan specifically because of the, the risk of the low tail and, and jumper awareness. Um, I currently don't. Um, I've thought about buying one just myself and, and wearing it. Uh, the more Friday freakout videos I see of, <laughs> of people being idiots, the, the more I lean towards wearing one. See, I, I wonder about those Friday freakouts. I wonder if it's uh, 
are there more accidents happening? Is it because our ability, you know, because more people have cameras there around? Both. Maybe I think because skydiving is just growing as a sport. All I, three. I, I yeah. just, yeah. I wonder, uh, just. I think more is getting f- the overall quantity. I wonder how how many more accidents are happening than maybe ten years ago. More is getting caught on video for sure. I think that's the bulk of it. Uh, is that you're seeing stuff like that? But I think there is a certain element of of skydivers because it's grown so big and we also have uh, a society now that that reacts so negatively to criticism and clicks itself up so they're only involved in their own little groups rather than the broad structure of a, of a uh the broad group of a drop zone where you might have dissent more dissenting opinions and 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 criticism um i believe the the rate of incidents may be going up as well i think part of it as well is not only are we catching it more on video, but we have more video because you and I remember a day, and even actually I think you remember a day at least, at where cameras weren't as light as they are today. My first jumps are on high 8. I actually have some high 8 tapes still in there. I have a crapload of mini DV tapes. Yeah. So I was I've got boxes of those things still. Much heavier cameras, and so not everybody was jumping cameras. And with the advent of, of small format action cameras like the GoPro, everybody's jumping one. And now everybody's putting video on Facebook. And now everybody was like, oh, I never knew I could do that. And so people are trying stupider things because of the video. So I think everything you said absolutely is true. And it's, it's a scary prospect. Uh, I mean, knock on wood, I haven't had anybody have a premature in the doorway. Uh, however, a, a jump pilot you guys know, a, a friend of mine uh, who flew for us for a time, uh, did have it. Uh, and fortunately, it was a twin otter. Unfortunately, nothing came of it. Uh, the the jumper was pulled off the side of the airplane and and completely missed the structure of the airplane. But that could just as easily go bad, you know. So so back to that that grumpy persona. Sometimes the grumpy persona is because I see some of the actions people take as a threat to my life and the and the lives of of the people I feel responsible for on my aircraft. And in some cases, I know this is hard to believe to say. Yeah. But your friends. Yeah. I know it's hard to believe you have those. I, I, there was a, a recent incident, no names, but a recent incident where a jumper's uh, pin came free uh, uh, while a 10,500-foot uh, pass was, was getting ready to get out the door. Um, it wasn't one of those jumpers. It was one that was going all the way to the top. And um, they didn't open the door. They didn't put the, the, we didn't put that pass out. I continued to climb, and I relayed back the instruction Tell that jumper to come up front. That jumper is not jumping. And there was some dissension about that. There was an opinion that they closed the rig while it was on the jumper's back in the airplane. And then they said, no, he's good to go. And I had to get a little firmer with my response of, that jumper is not jumping. Everybody else can go or everybody can land. The reason being is, in my mind, because I can't get there back there and check it, is that rig is now compromised. I now have 23 people on this airplane, 22 of which I'm going to put in danger. Uh, I'm going to allow one person to put the other 22 in danger if I allow that person to step out. Right? And, and not only what you say, but I'm sure you thought of this. Most people probably didn't. Why did the container come open? Is it such a problem that it's going to happen again while you're out on exactly. outside the plane? I don't know if the pin got snagged or if just the loop is too damn long. Yeah. You know? I, I saw something very similar and terrifying. While I was at the Dallas Boogie, uh, a couple of airplanes landed because the, the rain and wind picked up, and they were trying to do some wingsuit records. So a lot of yeah. the wingsuit guys have a pretty light wing loading, so they didn't want to be in 
you know, uh, uh, high winds or, or any sort of weather. So uh, some wing scooters were uh, deplaning. And as this guy finishes walking down the ladder, his bag falls out and hits the ground behind him. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, fuck, at what point did that happen? And like, did that happen when you were just getting out of the airplane right now? Were you about to jump out of this airplane with that? Was that going to happen in the door? Man, gear checks. And Holy I can, shit. I can always do my best to exercise more diplomacy in, in how I interact and, and respond with people. That's a constant struggle I've had my whole life. But to ex- to try to explain away some of that grumpy pilot, <laughs> the consequences of something going wrong, both in this sport and especially the aviation side of it, are massive. There is no coming back from some of those consequences. Yeah, it's, yes, it's you huge. You rip the tail off of an airplane... That's it. Game over. Nobody's and, and, playing anymore. And those are situations and, you know, equipment malfunctions that I think new jumpers just aren't familiar with. They haven't spent enough time. I mean, it's not something that's really super relevant or, I mean, I guess relevant's not the right word, but it's not the most important information to put in the head of someone with three skydives. You right. know, you can't really make them uh, understand that, that part of it. And know? even when they get a, a higher level of experience in the sport, that's not what they're here for. They're here to skydive. They're, if they wanted to know about airplanes and whatnot, so this is the challenge I have in education. If they wanted to know about airplanes, they'd be taking flight lessons, right? Right. And I mean, I think there's so much information that's uh, relevant to someone who's only interested in airplanes is, is jumping out of them. That I think that it kind of falls upon the community and the culture of wherever you're at to uh, you know, make, make the entire group responsible for educating new drivers. You know, the, the whole saying, it, t- it takes a village to raise a man, right? So it takes an entire group of informed and helpful and conscious people to create every every new skydiver and to, to turn them into a know-it-all shithead, I got my A license and I'm the fucking king of the world, to uh, someone who's actually uh, mindful of safety. Which leads me to my next question. How, let's say... Uh, oh, What's your advice for, for us to... What, what can we do to keep a happy pilot? Oh, boy. Let's, let's just have a list of... Okay, so before, before we start the list, I was just actually reading another, another quote I have saved on my phone. So uh, this quote reads, uh, and this is listening to an audio book about... Uh, it's called Algorithms to Live By, I think. And it just talks about the uh, information that's become available mostly through computer programming that uh, just helps to identify different patterns and systems. But anyway, this thing is called a ping attack or a denial of service attack. And it says if you give a system an overwhelming amount of trivial things to do, the important things get lost in the chaos. So meaning that if you, uh, if every nice. tiny thing sounds like a huge thing, then who's to, especially when you're dealing with someone with a lack of experience, how does that person know, uh, you know an order of priorities? So let's just say let's start at the top. So, so, and and in, uh, to put some uh, some perspective on that, to me, every um, tiny thing sounds like a huge thing, often because the jump pilot doesn't think he gets any ear, right? He he doesn't think anything he says is listened to, because he keeps seeing the same poor behaviors or poor actions uh, continuously. Uh, going back to your question, which was. Uh, what can you do to keep a jump pilot happy? Let's do like a David Letterman top 10. Yeah. Uh, 
Can I throw out one thing just because th- th- this is something I'm a huge advocate of. I was taught from the beginning, one of the most underappreciated people in the world is your jump pilot. At the end of the day, see him and say, thank you for all the great rides today. I appreciate that. And, and I don't want to I don't want to stand out there. Just say you thank know, you. And, and say my life is hell and my job sucks. It doesn't. It's one of the most fantastic jobs in the world. I, I you know, I don't actually have to work, really. You know, it, it's fantastic. But if I had an, a title to, to, to that list of 10, and I could make it a list of 100, you know, if I wanted into minutia, but is understand that most things that are requested of you by a jump pilot or, or the people working for the jump pilot, which includes the loader, have a reason, a pretty important reason. Um, Yes, it seems frustrating when it's hot and you're making your sixth load of the day and that loader's still standing by the side of the airplane holding the ladder because you haven't got your seatbelt on. But that seatbelt is important to pilot, not just for his ticket, right? Uh, not because he doesn't want to be violated if the FAA had to happen to be standing around the corner. But more so in my case, I'm planning for the crash. I'm planning you and me to both survive that crash. Now, I don't want to scare people and say it's dramatic and that's going to happen. I've got, how many How many did I tell you I had? 6,979 loads. Something like that. And I haven't crashed yet. Right? But that's what I'm planning for each and every time. Right? Little things, sit down, you know, as soon as you can and get your seatbelt on. That's your priority. I, it, it's frustrating when you look over your shoulder in the mirror and you see people who get on the airplane and then somehow something else is a higher priority than, than putting your seatbelt on, you know, mm-hmm. and, and being ready to depart. The whole airplane's waiting on you, you know. It's just like skydivers are frustrated by the tandem instructors who show up to the loading area late, right? Well, I'm just as frustrated by the skydiver who, who decides that chatting with his friend or show, you know, whatever. The, I've seen people show GoPro videos rather than put their seatbelt on. You know, I mean, what's your priority at that point? Um, you know, I, I could go on with a, with a list of little things that seem little. Right, but, uh, but, but the overall theme is sit down, put on your seatbelt. Yeah, let's go. Cooperate. Because you, know, you want to make another load at the end of the day, and I don't want to fly past sunset. Right, and and I agree that having seatbelts on are yeah. is important, yeah. and I don't think anyone should be going without a belt or yeah. sharing a belt. I think that we should all follow the rules, and we should absolutely all wear seatbelts. I would never argue that rule with any any pilot, yeah. and I think it's yeah. fine that the that the loader has responsibility for watching people put on their seatbelts. That's that's totally understandable. Uh, I I just wonder. Uh, do you do you think that I let's say let's say I'm the last person that the that the loader is watching put on my belt? Do, do you do you think that uh, a staff member is likely to to not put on a belt when they're sitting in that seat? No, but uh, but in that case, it, it, the loader um, is going to treat everybody the same. So I do expect that there's plenty of fun jumpers that get on the aircraft and and don't see that as important or their priority because they've never been in a crash. And maybe they've only been in the sport a couple of years and they've never heard of a crash. You know, we always uh, go back to the 92 Paris Valley crash. Yeah. You know, there, there were many people that didn't survive that crash because seatbelts were just not used back then. Uh, and we've learned things from that, but, but we continually have to teach those lessons. You know, I, I hate to harp on, you know, one, one little thing. Um, 
a lot of the things that I uh, do are born out of experiences I've had as a jump pilot. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I I may do some things differently than jump pilots people have come to expect from other jump pilots. Uh, for example, I like the door closed before I add the power to go down the runway. The reason being, I had a pilot shoot come out as I started adding the power once at a drop zone. And it went out the door and everybody screamed and yelled. Unfortunately, I recognized that as as something to stop for, and I was able to abort the takeoff, but their pilot chute was hanging out of the door as they leaned forward to close it the rest of the way. Um, in the caravan, I like the door to start coming down uh, prior to adding power after a hop and pop pass. The reason why, the number of times I've had somebody very well-meaning say, yeah, we're good to go, and then I retract the flaps and I put the uh, power in and the tail goes low again and, and someone somebody else goes, goes hopping out the door. Yeah. Now, what I probably haven't told people that I should have is, hey, that door starts coming down, I'll start climbing again. If it's hot and you want to open it again, go ahead. But I need an indicator that... People are done getting out. That people are done getting out. And the thumbs up from people... Has Hasn't been, worked. Has right. not worked every time, yeah. There's so. usually a reason that rules exist. Yeah, and I, I had a very similar conversation. To, we just had a new uh, camera flyer slash AFF instructor show up, a guy who's been in Dallas who just showed up to... Che, super nice Yeah, dude. Che, yeah. really yeah. friendly fellow. And... Uh, I was kind of going over some of our standards and uh, kind of the way that I like to see our videos be done. And I said, everything that I'm asking you right now, every, almost every standard that we have is one, because it makes sense to do this, to do a good job. And two, I've had customers complain when it isn't this way. So that, you know, every every rule, even even for something as simple as shooting a tandem video, every every rule that I put in place has its reasons. So it makes sense, you know, hearing hearing your explanations about it, it absolutely makes sense of why you why you want those things. Well and it, it and it only makes sense that, that, that there's there's conflict uh, revolving around it because it whether it be in the video situation which I identify with very well, or or the flying situation or anything, because we're a sport that attracts such strong-willed, don't tell me how to do it personalities, you know, uh, and uh, they wouldn't be in the sport if if they didn't have that that personality, uh, because it does take a certain amount of alpha and uh, autonomy to do it, and and so it's it's a continual battle. I just I guess the one the one thing on that list overall is just understand that it's extremely rare. We don't have a reason for what we ask. So I have a question: uh, What happens when you turn the red light on in the airplane? What should happen? No, like just you're si- okay. I, yeah. I, you're a jumper, and maybe this question's okay for DJ. You're sitting in the airplane. You see the red light on. What's the very next thing that happens? You talking about for JP? No, for you. You're yeah. a jumper in the airplane. You're yeah. you. You see the red light. What's I see the, the red light come on. I open the door. No, you're not sitting by the door. I'm not sitting by the door. Nope. I I'm double checking my gear. I'm making sure I'm ready to go. I'm double checking my handles. I'm watching the group in front of me. So, so maybe I'm missing a step here. So yeah, the yeah. the when I see that red light come on, what I do is I yell door. <laughs> and yeah. I see I don't. That's because I, for me, when the person next to the door is often not paying attention. It's yeah. really irritating and for me. That drives me bonkers. Uh, both as a skydiver, when I've been sitting in the back doing tandems, uh-huh. uh, video. It's like, hey, dude, you're it, sitting by the door. You got a job. What Your job is to me? monitor the light, get ready to go. I've been doing this 19 years, and I'm amazed still to this day that people are surprised by jumping. 
Yeah, it's fucking crazy. I, I, you got on the plane for look this out, reason. Look I get, out the window. Do you see where we are? I get oh, a, we're only yeah. at 12 grand? Yeah, it's possible to get out at 12 yeah. grand, and it's likely when weather's coming or it's a busy Saturday. Well, yeah, you should always be ready for that. And I'll even give them the benefit of the doubt when it's lower than normal altitude. But it amazes me when I turn on a red light, and I do a mental, you know, just, okay, three, four, five, six. Why isn't the door coming open yet? These assholes should be spotting, you know. And I look back, and people are st- they are just getting to their knees. They're still sitting on the floor. I'm like, yeah, jump rope a- was a surprise? <laughs> so maybe this is going to shoot, shoot some holes in my theory. But the, what I thought is what if on the ground the red light stayed on yeah. through, through taxiing, and then when the light came off, now hopefully you've got people who give a shit and are paying attention who would yell door at the time that the pilot turns the red light off. Have, have you, have you thought about I've that? I've thought about that. I've, I actually, I've thought through a whole uh, process of, of if we had, if all our aircraft were co- uh, equipped with three color lights, you could have the light that's permission to open the door, the light that says jump runs imminent, the door needs to be open, and then the light says you can jump. Um, we can't get them to pay attention to one light. I, I like your there's, idea. There's that, and there's the fact that, hey, you know, how many loads have I flown, and I still land with the green light on, and somebody still reminds me as I'm taxiing out. So, yeah. Is it, is it a problem we're going to solve through another procedure of technology? No. By uh, the way, guys, if you get in the fucking plane and the green light's on, ignore it. Because if you jump out with a green light on the ground, you deserved it. You're a well, fucking idiot. Well, well whether, whether I'm up front or whether I'm in the back doing a jump, I love it when somebody says, tell the pilot green light's on, and I'll just look back at him and go, I'll bet you it goes red before it goes green again. I bet you he'll <laughs> realize it by its time. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And again, I think that that's a cultural thing. When that message starts to get yeah. passed back, I think that should be the responsibility of experienced folks to say, hey, don't worry about it. Yeah. The light's it's not good. It's yeah. not telling you to go right now. Yeah. Everything's going to be okay. Don't spaz. And I, I do <laughs> think that it's a... Another part of the culture, the same alpha personality that you're... Everybody wants to be the person who's telling somebody else that they're doing something wrong. Yeah. And whether that's a jumper wanting to tell you or me wanting to tell a new student, whatever it is, I think we all find satisfaction in in doing that. I'm I'm not military, uh, but uh, but I've gleaned something that you guys have probably heard me say over the last couple of weeks that that I would love to be adopted by by uh, so many cultures in in this in this country. To be honest, is stay in your lane, <laughs> just stay in your fucking lane. Yes, sir. yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I've only got one thing on my list so far. Get your ass in your seat. Put on a seatbelt. Got it. What's the next thing? Oh, uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, there's a reason why we load the caravan the way we do. It's prone to tipping on its tail. Uh, uh, you know, uh, close the door after the hot pops on the caravan. Uh, you know. So I've okay. Hang on. So I'm gonna write down loading order. Uh, pay attention to loading order. Is that is that what you mean by by loading the caravan? Yeah. Or loading. Uh, what. Well, not seating, order, but seating positions. Seating positions. Okay. So, Overloading the tent. So if I, if there was one thing I wish I wish Scott Evers would take a little bit more effort to to learn about, I'll explain the science of it if they really want it, but they don't need to know the the mathematics of it. But be very aware of your weight and where it is in the aircraft, because it does dramatically affect things. Both in flight and especially with the long caravans, the grand caravans, uh, we call them super vans because all ours have the engine converted, on the ground. Um, they can be stood up on their tail easily if people aren't careful about it. We actually Especially have when you have 19 people plus a loader plus a couple of fat guys sitting yeah. on the back. And, and, back it's, and it's just not, it's not just the 19 one. The, uh, there's been situations where there were eight, nine people on the load, but 
the first people on stretched themselves out and took up all the bench as a joke, and the other people loaded the floor, and then when the pilot hit the brakes, it stood up. So the, the dangerous situations I see uh, are often people not intending, and it, it's not a, it's a high-weight situation, but, for example, some fun jumpers get on the airplane, and then the tandems show up, right? And the tandems go to get on, and the fun jumpers, rather than either staying up front and allowing the tandems to file past them before they move back down or the uh, or getting off the aircraft and letting the tandems get on well-meaning trying to get out of the way you'll see three or four fun jumpers head down to the back and get on that back deck mm -hmm. and the only weight to counterbalance that is the pilot and the engine and jp ain't that fat yeah i mean i'm chubby <laughs> but dude i don't you've seen the video i'm sure you know you might have been the pilot we have a video uh at space and i have the video there that there was a caravan loading and too many people were in the tail at the same time, and unloading, it that, stood up on its That's the incident yeah, he's talking about. I, I yeah. was on that airplane. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things that... I, I was the pilot. I, that's what I was wondering. Yeah. One of the things that I wonder regularly, or I tell people regularly, is load the plane as fast and as efficiently as you can. Number one, if we can load the plane 30 seconds quicker, you flew 40 loads. That's an extra load. Who doesn't want to make an extra yeah. skydive? Number one, but number two, load it quickly, because as soon as I get on, I move to the front to be more fat ass in the front with you to help prevent that from happening. Yeah. So definitely loading order and efficiency and placement is so huge. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 there is a safety aspect to it. So it's it's not just a pilot being a, a hard ass or trying to make you uncomfortable. It's a pilot looking out for the safety of the aircraft and the people on board. I want to I want you to continue building this list next. So I want yeah. to bring it back in, but I want to ask some questions about this list as well because Here's something I know. First of all, when do you get lunch? In the plane? When do you get a drink? In the plane? When do you get to get pissed? When you have to get fuel and we actually babysit the plane for you. I've also seen that happen in the plane. In, in the plane, yeah. Um, <laughs> Gross. It, it depends who I it was. I the line there, You didn't see the very big. Uh, dude, come into the plane and hand your pilot a bottle of water. He may not want it. He may not need it. But he will see the gesture. And how, how oh, if, believe, I, if I brought you a bottle of water, what would it mean? Me, believe me, when, when you get beat down, dog tired at, at 3, 4, 5 p.m. on a Saturday, it means everything. What if it I buy you a Snickers everything. bar? It means everything that somebody cares. Because, because by that point, you're just feeling so isolated. You haven't been able to interact with very many people during the day. The only voice you got is manifest on the radio, and they're busy. You know, so so believe me, that is massive. Just that somebody actually gives a shit that you're there doing a job. So the other thing I want to mention to to or a suggestion to your list is not only offer your pilot something, but on the ride to altitude, a couple thousand feet prior to exit, not just prior to exit, because just prior to exit, you're con you're talking to ATC air traffic control. You're possibly talking to other jump pilots. You're possibly talking to manifest while configuring an airplane to let me jump out of it safely while finding out that I'm over the right spot on the ground and I left things out. A couple thousand feet prior to exit. Hey JP, thanks for the ride. Have you ever heard me thank you for a ride? Yeah. And every time I do, you actually fucking wave and, at me. And by no means is that mandatory. You know, no, like, but it's nice. But it, it is nice to hear. I will say little niceties. Like, like I get that the modern generation of Scott ever has to have the ground speed to be able to get out of the aircraft safely, right? That's a bit of sarcasm. Sorry about that, everybody. <laughs> yeah, this is 19 years of never having to know it. But I get that that's part of our, our what we do now. 
it makes all the difference in the world to me, and I would suspect most of the jump pilots out there, that instead of just screaming, ground speed, you say, what's the ground speed, please, or ground speed, please, or ask where to find it on the GPS, and we'll point it out to you. And that way you can, you can answer your own question. You know, it's, it's the same as the age-old uh, uh, weather question. I've come to realize that some people ask me that question just because they want to start a conversation. I just try to answer it so literally that it's just frustrating as heck when I realize they've done no effort in figuring it out themselves. No, and I, I get that actually <laughs> very similar feeling when I have someone with 30 jumps in front of me who they look back and they do they just point with their thumb. I know that they're asking me for a pin check. Yeah. I really do know that. Yeah. But to be an asshole and to <laughs> hopefully encourage them to ask nicely, I, I yeah. say, what do you need? Personal niceties, you know, yeah, just a little bit. Because, I mean, honestly, no, it's, you should get a pin check, yeah. especially as a new skydiver, someone who's not super familiar with their gear. And if you can't reach your own pin and you're not familiar with checking your pin yourself, you should absolutely 100% get a pin check. But you're not so cool that you but, can't say to somebody. But, yeah, still, nobody yeah. owes you that pin check. Right. The guy behind you <laughs> who you haven't said shit to for the whole ride and you've been leaning against and moving around the whole jump, who he might not be the, your biggest fan in the moment anyway. Le- yeah, you can at least say, hey, would you mind giving me a pin check? Dude, I had a guy walk up to me the other day. DQ saw this. Walked up to me and looked at me and said, coach course. <laughs> I said, what about a coach course? What is this word association? Coach course. (laughs) Yes. Coach courses exist. What do you, I coach course. What do you want? Fucking finish a sentence, motherfucker. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love you, Debbie. Sorry for my French. Bofa. Yeah. Ground speed. Ground speed. (laughs) Ground speed is what he just, it's the equivalent, man. What's the ground speed? So, number one, show your pilot appreciation by simply giving a smile and saying thank you. I've actually done this to you in the plane, and I've seen it blow your mind before. I don't think it does anymore. I'll sit down as we're loading the plane and say, hey, JP, how are you? And I think the first time I ever said that to you, you looked at me almost perplexed and went, good, thank you. Like, you didn't know what to do with it. Because we're assholes enough that we don't even thank the guy who gives us the right altitude. All right. If, if we're going to get into the, to, to tiny, petty stuff here, don't bother the pilot from the moment he, uh, he releases the brakes and starts taxiing. You got, four, you got three low. Yeah. Uh, the hey, lo- JP. The loader hey, j- I know the loader just told you that you got too low, but you yeah. got too low. Don't bother him hey, from there J- to feet. Hey, JP. <laughs> and, then, and then if you want to get yeah, – lean over to, uh, here. So if you want to get your, your pilot's attention – this is the way to get the grumpy pilot, right? Jab him, poke yeah, him. Yeah. Give him a stab. This will pay attention, right? Hold we, on one second. Yeah. A lot of people listen, don't watch. We, we, he punched me versus yeah. lightly tapping me. Yeah. Uh, lightly setting yeah. your hand on yeah. the shoulder. Just, and yeah. Because you know what? You know, 47 pokes in a day, that starts to... And it sounds petty, but, but it's the No, I, I understand it. it so those little things it, add up. It, we want to talk about triggered. Yeah. And we may hold up our hand and hey, hang on a sec, because we're listening to ATC or Manifest or, or Ben Nelson singing us a song on well, yeah, the radio. Do- maybe you know? Dr. Dre's going in there. Snoop Dogg. Could be. Do you have that where you can hear music when you don't have uh have I did, I did on my old headset, and tomorrow in my P.O. box should be a little Bluetooth dongle that's going to allow me to do that. So I'll be able to ignore Sick. everybody in the back even more. I want to <laughs> uh, l- l- Let's get the world an idea of what goes on, because I, I, I've sat in the right seat plenty, and I actually, uh, on, on a busy Saturday, I'm on the ground regularly doing coaching, and I'm regularly next to a radio. 
from the sec- it, it, uh, at a busy drop zone like Spaceland, it's very common we have three planes going on at a time. You want me to run through a, a basically our workload in a flight? Is that where you're going? how many people you're communicating with how often because I'm at the gate, I'm at 5,000, yeah. I'm trying to drop a hop right. pop, I'm on a load. So it's a Saturday, we got two or three airplanes running. We start up the airplane, say it's from Cole, we start up the airplane, we turn around, we start in the loading area. We've just brought all the avionics online, so we're configuring the GPSs. We're looking over our shoulder, picking up a count, right? We're making sure the aircraft's configured for flight. We're taxiing out. We're putting flaps down. We're doing our checks again to make sure it's all ready for this flight, that we got enough fuel, props for forward, et cetera. We go ahead and take off. Oh, wait a minute. During that whole process, that's normal. Yeah. When it's not normal, uh, Nicole or Sam are on the radio telling you, oh, yeah, JP, don't forget about this. Yeah, I might be getting a little information. I'm pretty good at ignoring it at the most inopportune times, so I'll, I'll just do a quick standby or I'll ignore it. And, and but you still have that voice in your later. head. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> some pilots aren't as good at tuning it out. Uh, we take off. We reconfigure the aircraft for the climb from takeoff, so we've got some procedures depending on the aircraft we're doing there. About 1,000 to 1,500 feet, we switch over and we call uh, air traffic control. We do a check in there. Maybe we have to wait. Because we hear all the other airplanes on the frequency, so we got to fit our communication in there. Oh, wait a minute. This is normal. Sorry. I'm going to throw this in there. While you're taxiing, you have some visiting jumper saying, I'm coming into land. Where are you at? Yep. Yep. We'll have, we'll have local jumpers, uh, jumpers that are flying in in their own aircraft. Um, I'm usually listening to the calls from the other aircraft. Say we got two other aircraft. So I'm picturing in my mind where they are in the sky, so I know where where I need to be taken off, where I need to be flying, when my drop's going to fit in, in in the pattern of things. Um, we get to have to take off. We talk to ATC. There's also all the other air traffic in the area uh, that's on that frequency. It may be the, uh, the NASA training jets. It may be local pilots flying through the area. Um, we hear jump planes at other, other drop zones often. So in all of that, we may get a request from the ground it may be uh hey we may hear the ground personnel communicating oh there's a cutaway so there's all this going on in the headset the whole way up we make another call to houston to tell them that we're dropping jumpers we make a call to manifest tell them we're about to drop jumpers we tell both those people that we're on the way down uh we do some bullshitting in between ourselves as pilots usually talking shit about each other um, <laughs> or singing to each other. There's a lot of that. It's, it's pretty entertaining some days. And uh, then we land to do it all over again. Dude, if you ever saw what a jump pilot did, they they are so busy. And, and Chris, uh, again, thanks, bro, for, for chiming in with all these questions. Ask a really uh, interesting question because every drop zone is different. So I will say, first of all, I'll read yes, this question. It is, possi- is it possible to uh, ride, take a, a right seat ride is what we call it. And that's a ride up and down. And in some drop zones, the answer is no. In some drop zones, the answer is yes. But at Skydive Spaceland, the answer is? Yeah, yeah. Check in with Manifest, see if they have availability on the airplane. And I'm happy to show what we do to uh, anyone. Um, I geek out on airplanes and skydiving, so I will, I will bore the shit out of you. If you ask JP a question, he will give you a long-winded answer. By the way, it takes one to know one. I do the same thing. So, uh, Chris, it's a fucking great question, and I would encourage anybody. Number one, take the right seat ride to have an appreciation for what your pilot does. Number two, when you sit down in the right seat, tell the pilot, I'm here for the ride down. 
I'm not going to tell you anything else because I don't want to in- <laughs> I- I- implicate my friends. But I will tell my right. My tell my, I'm here for the right. If down. my bosses are watching, it's very gentle. Well, that's why I like the right down. It's very smooth. It's very calm. It's very collected. <clears throat> Bullshit. <laughs> um, but I've never had a right seat ride with you like that, <laughs> Heath. Uh, <laughs> was that the bus I just drove over? Yep. My really good yep. friend. Um, no, man. It's definitely it's such a great opportunity to learn and, and realistically. Even if you had the most mild descent on the ride down, they're still actually pretty wild. Because you guys, even on the most mild versions of the descent, are coming out of the sky fairly quickly. Well, the goal for the client, so so whether it be Spaceland uh, uh, or any of the other uh, drop zones we, we contract airplanes to, the, the goal for the client is to pay as little as possible for the aircraft. And with turbine aircraft... You pay for it basically from the moment it leaves the ground to the moment it's back on the ground. It's a little different with piston-powered airplane. You basically pay in any time the engine's running. Um, and there's I can go into lots of geekdom about why that that difference. But the point is, our job is to get people up and get the airplane back down on the ground as fast you as possible. Me up. Yes, yeah. that's <laughs> what I do. Is I get people up. <laughs> And get them as quick as possible, man. That means you've got to get down as quick as possible. Yeah. And I don't know how many times I've been on a tandem, and on a tandem, I look down and I point to my student, hey, see that airplane right there below us? That's the one we jumped out of. Almost every tandem I've done. See the airplane below us? And I don't know if you've ever done this. Uh, Some of our jumpers know, some don't. At Spaceland, we technically have two runways, a paved runway and a grass runway that are immediately adjoined. Yeah. So number one, stay off the grass runway. But we take off on the paved runway because it's most efficient for friction. We land on the grass runway because it doesn't wear out the tires as much. Yep. I've actually been on a tandem and go, hey, look at that. That's the plane we jumped out of. It's about to land. Oh, he missed the <laughs> runway again. Yeah. I don't know how many times I've pulled that horrible, horrible joke off to a student. Well, there are some drop zones that, that don't have a paved runway at all. And that you know, people who have learned at a place that, that's only paved runway uh, uh, that amazes them that can happen have you guys actually seen old footage from spaceland before the paved runway yes and and what a swamp it was yeah have you seen the wave coming into the plane yeah there are some old so first of all uh skydive spaceland houston had its runway paved in 2005 uh august august of 2005 and for anybody who wants to uh accuse spaceland of being tight with money who wants to accuse spaceland of poor business practices spaceland Put a paved runway at Houston. That cost a shitload of money. Spaceland bought Skydive Dallas, which is an awesome DZ and an awesome group of people, and I love those people. The first thing Steve did, or one of the first things he did, was pave the runway. Yeah, That's a huge asset to flying Massive. more, protecting your plane, everything. So he pours a lot of money into this thing. Before we had a paved runway... There's a great photo, yeah. old photo, of the otter in the loading area. Yes. And Steve is in the cockpit. I think both uh, Eric and uh, Steven are in the photo as well. But you look at that thing, and the loading area is such a swamp. That that concrete's not there yet. And it's such a swamp that the otter is up to its axles. Yes. It's, it's main gear axles in uh, mud. And 
that was normal in the wet season, right? It's technically uh, the picture you describe is a classic photo in, yeah. in, in your and I's world, and that that was it. There were so many ruts in the runway that we would ride a rut, and, I, and I, fortunately, I showed up a month after the paving, but I saw all the videos because I was I was fresh after it, and would ride a rut until it skipped to the next rut. And there's video, Nick, of the otter door closed, and you know Winer's Corner, all the airflow that comes into yeah. Winer's Corner. There is video of. Everybody, I, I don't understand this. We put twenty three people in an otter today, and you can barely fucking fit. Everybody's forward to the forward to the door. Everybody's <laughs> forward to the door. Twenty three people in the jump because there yeah. is no exaggeration. Yeah. A wall, a wave of water yeah. coming in through that crack in the door into Winer's Corner and sloshing back I, out. I I washed uh, our Atlanta location is is a uh, a grass runway and. During the wet season, it gets uh, pretty wet there. I flew there this winter, and uh, yeah, we get, we had a procedure where when we were taxiing there, we taxi into the hangar at the end of the day, and uh, we pull up onto the pad, and there'd be two guys out there with hoses, and you just taxi by as they they uh, kind of like that slow roll car wash, yeah, spray off the back of the airplane, and 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 uh, clean the mud out of the the inside of the floor. Too bad. I re- I remember being a young feller and going to all the high school cheerleader car washes and getting that done. Yeah. Too bad that wasn't going on. Yeah. Or if you ever watched uh, Free Fly Chronicles, yeah. you remember that plane washing yep. scene? Yeah. Did you see uh, uh, where Sonic from the ranch re- yes. redid the... Yes, vomit in my yeah. mouth. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, yeah. asshole. You're welcome. Do you know what we're talking about, Nick? Nope. Uh, so you've seen the old Free Fly Chronicles videos? Yep. Chronicles 2, if I remember it right, might have been one as well. But they have the girls in bikinis washing the plane, pressing their boobs against the glass. I, I do vaguely remember this. I, I vividly remember this because boobies rock. Uh, Sonic recreated the video in, if I remember right, a Speedo. Uh, yeah, and I think that was in, uh, uh, that was in the, uh, the Swoop video, the very controversial one with the, that was advertised with the girl in the bathtub full of hot dogs. Yep. Do, yeah. you, do you know Sonic, first of all, Nick? Oh, yeah, I know Sonic, yep. I've so known him for a few years. now you can picture Sonic. In a Speedo. In a Speedo. And, and folks, if you don't know Sonic, number one, Sonic is a brilliant, vibrant, and large personality who I absolutely enjoy and, and appreciate. Um, Sonic, as large as his personality is, so is his belly. Sonic is a heavy set feller, <laughs> um, a, 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 a great guy, but oh my God, vomit I visited in my mouth. with him in April. Uh, I, I was up at the ranch for a day in April. I got to see him at the same time you did in February. Nice. Because we, we uh, oh, yeah, 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 that's right. Man, actually, I'm going to come into that conversation here. here and if I, you know what? Fuck, whatever conversation we're having, you just abandoned it on this reason. Okay. So something that was interesting, you and I have had this conversation many times. I say many, a few times and at pia the symposium you and i had this conversation again go back wait where are we at oh that's actually uh don't worry about it we're not creeping on girls on the podcast i I actually know her (laughs) Uh, she used to work at bob's place amy daniker or something like that if i remember her name a super super nice girl and actually that picture was not a good picture of her i think she's prettier than that um i think i said her name right um one of the things that we discussed there was something we've discussed on many occasions is a problem we have in our sport, and it's CE. What do I mean by CE? Yeah, continuing education. Absolutely. I've, I've, I've been on that kick since at least 2005 or six when I first started going to board meetings. Yeah. Yeah. It's so for people who don't know and people who don't understand, I'm a coach, a, a USPA coach. I'm a skydiving coach teaching newer jumpers group skills i'm an aff instructor i'm a tandem instructor i'm a static line instructor whatever it is teaching people to skydive i train to learn 
After that, the only continuing education requirement is a rating renewal seminar. Can you actually define a rating renewal seminar for me? Uh, I'm going to paraphrase it, but it's pretty much any time you got together with other instructors and staff and talked about skydiving. So I think what we're doing right now uh, clearly um, qualifies. I want it, it straight up does. So first of all, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it. I actually, I'm going to try my best to say it, and then I'll read it if I need to. Yeah. It's a gathering of an instructional rating holders to discuss, develop, or exchange information to better improve instruction. Yeah. A meeting, here's the real reading, a meeting of USPA instructional rating holders. If you have a coach or instructor rating, you're an instructional rating holder. To exchange information, hey, I said that's pretty good, introduce and discuss new ideas, and to develop, improve, or assure quality of skydiving instruction so to put that in in real world perspective what it is it's that line that all the instructors need to get signed off um that says i've attended a rating renewal, rating seminar. renewal seminar and about the moment somebody goes to put the date in there somebody goes hey what day was safety day and safety day doesn't typically count because safety day is a gathering of skydivers talking about safety it's a damn good process the, the point being is more often than not i think th that the requirement is just whipped Right. I've act, I don't think it's actually whipped. Yeah. And the reason I say that is because this is a sad statement. I have heard one of our USPA board members say in a board meeting, in an open session, it is not a good rating renewal seminar if there is not beer. Well, and, and I, think, I think the interpretation of what it is is so vague that, it, that therefore it, it, it's hard to pin down versus if you had actual requirements, actual classes, mm -hmm. actual a list of things you could do to meet your CEs that'd be great and and to push push the subject more so is every other industry i can think of has CEs you want to be you want to yeah. be a flight instructor you got to do continuing education you want to be a nurse you got to do continuing education Police you want to be a scuba instructor there are CEs right police officer yes, everything there's CEs and we don't have it as an industry why because it's hard i i i you know the reason that. why, and it's not because it's hard. Here's, here's the real reason why, and I don't think it's a valid reason, but you're going to agree this is the reason. Because drop zone owners say it's too hard to get instructors. If we make it hard to keep instructor ratings, it'll be harder to get instructors, and we can't keep instructors, so we don't need this challenge. That's been, the reason. I've been hearing the argument that, that, uh, that there's a shortage of instructors for, for years, and I would argue that's absolutely wrong. We just don't demand enough for our instructors that, that it's that it's they respect themselves enough to stay in the industry. I've, I've actually said this on Braden's uh, episode, on Braden's podcast, uh, pay more but demand more. The reason yeah. there's a shortage of quality instructors is because you refuse to, man, to demand quality. Yeah. If you held us to that standard and paid us to that standard, and I'm not talking pay us a, a, a ridiculous amount of money, but reasonable money, which many DZOs are currently, not all. I'm going to buck the trend here and say I've – actually never felt underpaid in this sport i've I, I mean i really haven't now i haven't worked at some of the places i've heard that pay peanuts but mm -hmm. i personally have never felt underpaid in the sport would it will i would i like more money yeah i've always like more money but my solution and granted i might be a weirdo my solution to if i wasn't making enough more mo enough money is i'd figure out a way to make more by making more jumps you and i though i think have both been at various drop zones where we couldn't keep quality staff, and I really believe if that DZ paid a little bit more and also demanded a little bit more from their staff, Absolutely. they would actually keep quality staff. Staff leaves because 
dude, I work my ass off to be here, and you're keeping a clown like fucking JP. JP's the biggest fuck up in the world, which not true. Yeah. But the biggest fuck up. So, so why why am I worth the same thing JP is? I don't feel validated. I'm out. So that whole idea of of, of we're um, it, it's ironic because there's not enough of us. But then when we complain, they tell us we're a dime a dozen. And to me, the CES are more, are, for me at least, a motivator for me in, in something like that would be the pride. The pride of doing, doing the job and being, being that much more qualified, being that much more well-rounded, being that much more educated at mm-hmm. what I do. I had a conversation, God, it would have been like 2007, with an instructor I was working with uh, in, uh, on the West Coast. And he'd been an AFF instructor since 1988. And he was one of the most talented AFF instructors I ever know. But we were also having a conversation because we'd seen some newer instructors that had just phoned it in, you know, just half-assed. Mm-hmm. And we got on the, on the subject, uh, and I asked him the question. I said, listen, since 1988, have you ever been asked or made to learn more or improve yourself as an instructor to become more talented, to learn new techniques. And he goes, no, I do it because I want to. Unfortunately, not everybody has that level of motivation. That's why I've, I haven't argued much for it in the, in the recent years, but I, I think it's an important thing. Was that too, Nick? I did, this is actually the first time ever that I have had uh, more than one alcoholic beverage back-to-back. My goodness. So I'm, gro- gonna, I'm growing up. I want to address what, you're, what you said here in a second, but I do want to throw something down. Next week, Friday night, we are going to have a return guest, Mr. Big Smitty. Braden Smith is going to join us again while he's in town. However, it's going to be a Friday night, which is very difficult for us because the next day is a work day. So Mr. P has already said when we scheduled this, I plan on staying here. I'm like, because the next day is a work day? No, because I plan on getting shit-faced. Or did you say shit house? That may or may not happen. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have a drink or two. We'll see how bad it gets. Can you just spread, like, like, I want to come over and hang out. Can we just fill the room with love sacks? I don't give a shit. I got a a love sack to bring in here. Have, like, Uh, a foam party in here or something? Yeah. The more the merrier. Sausage party. What about bathing suits only? Uh, Yeah. What about boys on boy just kissing each other? Okay. You say that, <laughs> I but was Mr. Just, P and I have kissed each other. Hey, well, I, I kissed two of my male friends on the mouth today. Here's the thing. Was is, Adam one of them? He was. Is mm-hmm. I have lost many a game of gay chicken with uh, Mr. Lott. So I just, I just know when, when something's <laughs> completely out of my ability. You know, I got really, I got put in my place in a gay chicken battle the other day that in Dallas. That was fantastic. Did that you, was you the, there, right? That was the best moment ever. I think I was the only one that saw it. Well, I, I, I imagine that Ben was there too, but maybe it was only you. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so we were in Dallas sitting, uh, you know, where the stairs are to Ken's office in Dallas. My bedroom. I was sitting next to Oh yeah. I was sitting next to Oh yeah. You we were, were Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's right. Yeah. And uh, Ken grabbed my hand and went to put my f- my finger. He was gonna suck on my finger. He was gonna put my finger in his mouth. And I went, God, fucking weird. It was. I just, it was. I just could not. Pivotal, pivotal could moment not handle it. Yes. Mr. Lot lose yeah. a game. I had it nothing, was, dude. Just, I had wow. nothing. I had to leave. Mind I made, blown. I I found out Nick's uh, ability with gay chicken. We were in the plane one day, and. 
I said something or Nick said something, but there was a threat of some type of kiss. And one of us leaned out, and I, I believe Nick would called me out and leaned forward for a kiss, so I just kissed him back. And at that moment, we both looked at each other and go, we're both one of those guys. We're, we're good. <laughs> and we had that quick epiphany that, like, ah, yeah, we, we, we don't care. In the game of gay chicken, I will swerve if you either pull down your pants or stick out your tongue. Either way, I'm done. I, 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 I sadly can say I have looked Adam Chamberlain in the eyes as we have exchanged a kiss. <laughs> That's when it gets creepy and weird, by the way. But have you had John Barry grab your head and lick your mouth? Yeah, you know, I could, yeah. He'd, so he'd be one I'd lose against. There's sure. yeah, my line. I can't, I can't handle it. The line that you gave me was he actually touched my head. Because <laughs> you know how I feel about Yeah, we were, at, we were at BJ's, and I was like having some fries, some, some real ketchupy fries or something and i had ketchup all over my lips and i pointed this out to john barry and he promptly oh. grabbed grabbed my the outside of my head and just sideways licked my whole mouth from one side to the other oh. as beautiful as a moment as it was i uh we're, I, I wasn't, I wasn't ready. Lovely thing. <laughs> we got to have him wow. on here. So back to continuing education. That's something you and I have, have discussed for many years. And the first thing I'm going to recommend to people is a rating renewal seminar truly at the end of every jump day. Most of us talk about, hey, what student did you have? What did you have? What did you do? How did you deal with it? So truly we are fulfilling the letter of the law and actually, unfortunately, the intent of it because I don't like the intent of it. I like what you said. Some structured classroom, some structured seminar, some structured setting. I, I, I think one of the fear th there's there's two hurdles I see to it. There's one is people assume that it's going to be a pass fail thing, and and as as when I brought it up at a board meeting in a safety and training uh, environment once, Jay Stokes said, "Will you be willing to throw your rating card on the table and leave it there yes. if if you didn't didn't pass?" And I said. Absolutely, because I have that level of pride in, in what I do. However, I'm not suggesting it has to be that way. Um, in the nursing world, it's not necessarily that, that you lose your certification. You just have to attend these classes and, and if, have had the opportunity to glean new knowledge. It, the other hurdle is who administers it, who, you know, what, what effort is put into it. I did see, um, for those of you uh, who are safety and training advisors, there was the uh, update to to the test. The test, yeah, which which that is kind of a pass fail thing, but that's kind of a good model for one way to do this sort of thing. You know, have some sort of educational article with with an interactive component to it uh, about new techniques. You know, uh, Jen Sharp. I don't know if you know her. Yeah, she was a large piece of that being created and then being pushed towards USPA. I happened to to be working on the board at that point, and I voted for it. And I voted for it not because I thought it was a good idea for S&TAs, although I think it is. I voted for it because it's what you said, the catalyst to the instructor having the same thing. And I believe Jen sees the same goal. I believe I don't know. Yeah, and I think it's, it's a matter of sharing that information on, on a, in a more structured level. You know, I have, I have certain things I do when I do AFF that uh, are the ways that I do it, and I have reasoning behind to do it. Is it the way everybody should do it? No, but but you're never going to know unless you're exposed to it. You know, you've probably told this to your candidates, uh, and I believe it firmly. You know, as soon as you get your rating, you need to go out and watch every experienced person out there and steal shamelessly from what they do. Fuck yeah! Because that's that's going to be your your basis for figuring out how you do things best for you, and and you're going to learn new techniques and new new ways of doing Thank things. You? No, that was not me. Okay. Um, what, what I was think that the noise? cat's trying to rip the door down. 
I um, if you ain't stealing, you ain't trying. Right. People hear me say things all the time, and and I will take a little bit of credit. I have the gift of gab. I am a master of bullshit. So a lot of my analogies and a lot of my stories to help teach are things that I've come up with on my own. It used to be about 70% of what I said was stolen and about 30% of what I said was made up analogies that I liked. I will. I, I honestly believe today about 70% of analogies and things I give to help you remember it are, are bullshits that I've come up with over the years. But they're still a fucking solid 30% of stolen shit. If you ain't stealing information, if you ain't stealing material, then you ain't learning from others. Uh, the best examples have already been written. I mean, I mean, in aviation especially, I mean, uh, some of the cliches that, I, that I've used uh, and then you reapply to skydiving, uh, they're massive. You know, the, uh, one of my favorites out there is, is the... Uh, Sky you, above you. When when everything uh, hits the fan, you uh, you rarely rise to the occasion. You usually default to your median level of training. Mm. I think that was attributed to some Vietnam uh, uh, fighter pilot. But there's a there's a massive truth to that. You know, nobody jumps up and and is heroic by luck. You know, the, the you, you, you take know, action because you practice. Something. But I I really do think that that's kind of a mentality. Yeah. You know, that people think that, they, that they're just going to rise to the occasion, you know? Yeah. And I think that it's because of movies like The Mighty Ducks. <laughs> like, <laughs> that you see people who aren't actually qualified doing what they're doing, that heart is enough to do it. Yeah. And that's just not true. I think uh, w one of my favorite quotes that comes, I mean, it's kind of unrelated, but uh, it's, uh, we, are what we, repeated, we are what we repeatedly do. Yeah. So excellence then is not an act, but habit. Yeah. Which I love because it's like, yeah, that's, you're not that's just totally relatable. I think you're not just gonna be awesome. Yeah, like you're gonna yeah. just do what you've trained to do. That's well, that's that's as good as you're gonna get. I'm not gonna beat Hussein Bolt at the hundred meter dash just because I really really want it. It's never gonna happen. But uh, and it's a phenomena that only gets worse in in our our modern society with with the prevalence of of video cameras everywhere and social media. You only ever see the extremes. You only ever see the really, really good things. You know, the guy, the the dude perfects where yeah, the guy hits. Epic wins and epic fails. Yeah, where the guy bounces the basketball off 17 buildings and hits the basket first try. But you never see the 400 tries over three years the guy made to do that. You also, it's the same reason people are terrified of, of airline flight. You only ever hear about the crashes, not the 10,000 a day landings that go perfectly you know is this the same reason that a licensed skydivers are going for solo sit fly jumps <laughs> uh I, th I think it's solo head down that's, that, oh that's the new thing right? solo head yeah. down is that the thing what are you doing i'm doing heads down solo heads down solo if you got a down. boner it is heads down just saying <laughs> only if you tuck it in your waistband though right uh that's where you keep it isn't it <laughs> could we break this off into how to spot the the dangerous newbie skydiver you know, I haven't added anything to my list for a while. Why, why don't you tell me another thing I can do to help out my pilot? <laughs> oh, Hold on. Gosh. I want to stick with continuing education yeah. for one second. Oh, okay. Just because we got sidetracked on that. Uh, one of the things uh, that I... So right now we don't have any formal version of continuing ed education readily available as a majority of the industry. There are people who offer rating seminars. There are, th there are things that exist. But the thing that I would tell you, if you're an instructor, if you're a coach, if you really want to continue your education... Approach your local examiner or approach an examiner at some place you want to travel and say, hey, man, I would like to come and evaluate for you. Um, I'll tell you right now with the rating center, I, ha I have a, a lot of guys who are training to become uh, 
to do what I do, not to become me because you don't want to be that man, uh, but to train train what I do. So a lot of times my priority is to my staff training and getting ready and, and, and the team of the rating center being better. But it's common I hear people say, I want to come work in the course because this is a good opportunity for me to learn what's new and what's updated. Go work in a course. As you suggested, as a video guy alone, you'll learn a lot. If you come to work with the rating center, and, and I know Jay Stokes will do the same with you, and I'm, I'm positive Michael Watkins will do the same with you, and, and I, I think, I'm pretty sure, Brom would do the same thing with you. Uh, yes, you can work in my course. Now, the downside for you is we don't pay you. Your training is your payment. But holy cow, man. The, the things I've learned from sitting in other people's courses and the, the fresh information, the new way to say it, do it. The, the things you learn just by observing. I, yes, I, I'm sure I've told you the story of how I, how I passed the rollover. Tell uh, me again yeah. if I've heard yeah. it. The, let's, hear, let's let Cody Edgeworth hear it. So I knew that from watching courses that people struggled on the rollover, uh, the Cat D, the solo. Uh, uh, it's a Cat D, right? Yes, I've been yes, out of the course for so long. <laughs> um, and people struggle with it because it's a very psychologically intimidating thing to have happen to you at 8,000 feet, right? And now you're thinking you're getting to the, the, the hard deck, you got to catch this person, why not? I also knew from working with Jay Stokes and his courses, and Jay's going to hate me for giving away this secret, that if you were making a stop on him, and you touched anywhere below the knee or below the elbow, he would roll over on you. He'll tell you that. Oh, yep. I tell the same thing, but yeah. you must create torque to create the th yeah. situation. So we come off the airplane, do the checks in, checks out, et cetera, you know, ultimate circle of awareness. And I let go of him, and he starts a rotation. I reach out and grab his ankle. And I saw him look at me like, and I hadn't, no practice jumps, nothing. I've never touched his lower limb before that. And I saw him look at me as he rolled over, and I think he figured out what I did right there and then. So I gave myself the rollover at 10,000 feet. Take it early while you can. Yeah. It's, uh, man, go, go work in these courses, people. Go volunteer to help in these courses. Uh, go sit in, and, and be careful with the sit and observe because I regularly have people say, I would like to sit in and observe your class, and I actually do charge an audit fee. If you want to just, and that's called auditing, if you just want to sit in the class and you want to observe, unfortunately, a lot of us have had created, created fees because so many people just want to take for free. If you want to come work in the course and help me be an evaluator, then I'll pay you by giving you the, let you sit in for free. But if you just want to sit there and steal information, I just at some point have to say my class is full and adding three people to every class who just want to sit in. I, it just I, We had to create those fees. Um, but you, you can sit in, you can join, and you, and you can definitely learn more. You, you and I have talked about in PIA creating some more continuing education in our own parameters. And I love USPA, but I don't fucking care if they pick it up. I love UPT. I don't fucking care if they pick it up. I do know I can affect my small circle of life. Uh, Spaceland, I, I'm so lucky to work with Spaceland because Spaceland has allowed me to do some things. I don't know if you know this. I sit down with tandem instructors twice a year. I just got permission and approval for the, for the next version. And we do emergency procedure review for tandem instructors one-on-one. -on -one. And it's not, hey, JP, what's your answer? When you give me your answer, I say, why? If you sat down and did an EP review with me, you'd take an hour and 15 minutes because I want to know why. I want you to educate yourself on the answers. Nice. And so Spaceland staff 
at the fee of Spaceland, the drop zone, Skydive Spaceland, is actually paying me to give continuing education to their instructors. These instructors have agreed to do this in ed- continuing education as part of their ratings. And the drop zone's paying for it, dude. That's and, fucking blessed. And, and, there's, and what they're realizing is the benefit of, of less chance of any incident, safer operation, uh, and, and happier clients because of it. And dude, that you—that's the nail on the head for a lot of it. So, what else would you suggest or promote for people to get that CE for instruction? Is it something we can create? Because obviously, what's out there right now is limited. What can we do to create it and make it better? You know, I guess a more structured—you know—if if people are going to take it upon themselves to have that that more structured meeting, you know, where you sit down and you you have. Uh, an outline of things you want to cover. Somebody leads it. You know, maybe the senior instructor or the SNTA on the drop zone, if they have that that rating as well. And and then to to have a discussion on those points, have it an open forum so so information can flow multiple ways, and and uh, just seek to become a more knowledgeable, more talented instructor. Some drop zones are amazing at it. Spaceland is is an amazing organization with with the resources they have for their instructors, but. There's a lot of drop zones out there that that just don't, you know, so. And if you don't have them at your drop zone, reach out to some of these companies. The Rating Center, my shameless plug for myself, Skydive Ratings and Brom Clement has been the longest standing company. Uh, Michael Watkins and Excel Skydiving, phenomenal group of, of people overall. Ron Bell, I hate you. Um, oh, I'm kidding. I'm talking trash. He is a buddy but, of mine. But, but he's got the most most personable dog you've ever met. I have not met his dog, so maybe he has a redeeming quality. Now. I'm kidding, Ron. I do like you. Uh, Jay Stokes and Certification Unlimited. Reach out to these companies because you can always contract these companies to come in. And I think almost all of us will give you a very fair reduced fee to come in and do CE because we believe in it that much. And something I would like to do, and I, I'm going to end the conversation, or, or I'll, I'll let you also end your part, but I'll end my part of this conversation of CE right here with this simple statement. At PIA, PIA, you and I sat down and started a conversation of how to do this, and we promised that when we were back in the same area, we would continue the conversation. So over the next few weeks, let's do a couple dinners together, and let's start setting a plan forward. Because, again, I love these people, but I ain't waiting for USPA. I ain't waiting for anybody else. You and I can affect that change. So let's, let's, let for my part of the conversation, that's it. What else would you like to say about CE? I don't know. That's, that's kind of, kind of covered it for me. I mean, uh, I, I get so busy with, with flying and everything else I do that, that those ideas take a, a back seat. but, uh, I'm glad you brought it to the forefront. It's definitely something I want to do. We can sit a bighorn barbecue, yeah. have some good grub and write some shit down. All right. We're good. Right. So Mr. Lot, excuse me, Mr. P, Mr. P, how's that song go again? Mr. Clean, <laughs> don't do it to me. God Mr. damn Clean, it, no. Mr. Clean, tough on grease and no, dirt. No, Mr. Clean gets tough on dirt and grease and grime in just a minute. That's the fucking line <laughs> that lives in my brain because of you and that goddamn shirt. D- I <laughs> love you. DJ, you're a monster. JP, can we add, uh, let's say I'm going to sit down with some camera flyers and have a meeting pretty soon. What else can we do to keep our pilot happy and to, uh, to, and to help the flow of your job? And responsibilities. Camera flyers. Um, or just skydivers in general, because I'm on that plane. I was a, on that plane as a fun jumper all day today. Um, fun jumpers? Uh, what's another little thing that... Oh, if there's a big group getting in the door, and you're not part of that big group... <laughs> stay the fuck back. Stay at the front of the airplane. 
you know, can can most of us manage that weight? Yeah, but do, why should we have to? You know, uh, people forget what kind of weight that they're moving to the back and how much it affects. Uh, I hate it when I in in uh, BA with the doghouse open. I hate it when I see somebody get the last skydiver to exit the airplane comes crawling out of the doghouse. Right? Like, what was your two hundred pounds doing that far aft? You just made the thirteen way that climbed out a fourteen way, basically. You know that sort of thing. Uh, camera Yo, flyers. T- time out just because yeah. the doghouse sometimes is called the hole. Yeah. So if you get in the airplane in the in the back of a lot of otters, there's a hole, and you can sit in the most aft section of the airplane. Yeah. That's what he means by the doghouse. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, uh, makes sense. Um, camera flyers. It's more of a. Uh, it was more something I, I I felt as both a camera flyer myself and as a tandem instructor. But I'm like, just climb out. The tandem instructor will create the separation, right? No. No? <laughs> I mean, it depends on the tandem instructor. We should be working so together as a team. I, I, I absolutely yeah. agree with you uh, that it, in a perfect world, I would be able to trust the tandem instructors that I work with, that they were going to, to check for separation and make sure that they had have given enough time. Yeah. But I have been put almost completely on top of a tandem that left before me because of a tandem instructor just setting up on the door, just leaving on a day with really, really low ground speed, very, very wow. strong upper winds. That, I mean, of course, I left with them because that was my job. I wasn't going to be like, well, I feel unsafe because you left too soon. But I opened way closer to a tandem canopy than, than I ever would, would have liked to. I, so, I can understand the, so, the fear there. I mean, my, my hope and what I've uh, told our guys to do is it's our job that uh, we're really good now about uh, kind of alternating sides as, as we're leaving. Mm-hmm. So to reduce movement in the airplane we should be sitting in front of the, the passenger. And then as we're leaving the airplane, as soon as the person uh, on the opposite side moves, I should move, get out of that spot so I'm not directly in front of the tandem and their passengers so that now they can be getting up off the bench and starting to be set up in the door as I'm climbing out. Right. Which if you have a sharp videographer and sharp tandem instructor, which we have no reason, I mean, w- we all jump so much, we should be so current. The only thing that's lacking in this is the communication on the ground and the... Uh, teamwork of keeping it conscious in your mind when it's actually happening. Because even when we talk, you know, I've brought this up in more than one meeting. Same thing I've brought up. Hey, tandem instructors, can we give a little bit of space between you and the next tandem instructor so we can get in there with our cameras and get the shots that we need? It'll never fucking happen. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe it will, but it takes a lot of uh, reminders to, to get that to happen. But uh, I just, even someone with 10,000 tandems, uh, I've had that person do that exact thing to me, and I just uh, I can't trust that person to do the right thing because they're dealing with a a crazy passenger. Maybe they're just trying to get the passenger close enough to the door to shove them out. And I've absolutely had that happen too, like a, <laughs> I, I, a no count yeah. tandem instructor that just goes because that's the only thing that they can do with this to this crazy hyped up student before they start panicking <laughs> in the door, you know. And so I I think in theory that thought works of hey just climb out, but uh, and that worked, you know. That would have worked 99.5% of all all jumps I've ever done. That would absolutely have worked. Yeah. But I think, uh, for me, what feels safer is knowing that I get to watch that as I time my climb out. And hopefully, the tandem instructor... I mean, the second I grab the bar, I'm totally out of their way. Yeah. That they could yeah. start... They should absolutely be... I'm not on the bench anymore. Pretty I'm on the other sure. side of the airplane. They should be getting up. They don't need me to be all the way out and climb down and even set up. So, uh, but I've absolutely been screwed by a tandem instructor doing it that way. And that's why I 
I make sure that I have at least. I mean, I'm not waiting until I have all the separation I need. I understand that it's going to take at least a couple more seconds for most tandem instructors to to be there. But uh, I, I'm pretty sure, as a videographer, I've been in in your shoes in that that same scenario as well. And uh, and I guess if I it was if I was going to call it out, it's it's. It's a lot like the fun jumper is still sitting on the floor is, is uh, you know when the when the red light comes on it it's the videographer I see who's who's not on his game and is still turning his cameras on God and, that is know, one thing that irritates me so bad you're yeah. the first person out and the green light's on and you're just you've just started to figure it out that this is the time right. that you should be recording yeah. it's like hey you just ate up 8 seconds of jump run well and that's to the thing is, you know when we got 115 knot jump run and and I'm doing what I can to not put you off the drop zone on the on the early side of the of the uh, uh, jump run because everybody's bitching about. Well, I had to fight to get back into the wind, so I'm I'm cutting it to as close as I can and still keep everybody in on the back end. And then you see somebody just waste time like that. You're like, well, you just don't give a shit about anybody on at the back end of this load. Yeah, and I guess I guess that's the big thing is I'd I'd like everybody on the load to give a little bit more shit about everybody else's spot. Yeah, and I think that that's mm -hmm. just yeah. it's a, just a lack of perspective because not everybody has been the person two miles out opening up at thirty five hundred feet trying to make it back to the drop zone. Yeah. Not everyone has been in that. So it's like when I I hear fun jumpers sometimes saying, "Oh man, we were past the horse track." It's like motherfucker, I am I past live that. There. Yeah. I am there always. <laughs> I'm lucky if I open closer than that. Like, do you understand when we're, when we're giving you know? This is just a point of frustration, and this this wasn't you in the pilot seat when this happened. But there's a, a new jumper asking me about ground speed, and I'm in the I'm in the very back of the airplane because it was filled with tandems, and there was uh, a couple of fun jumpers and this newly licensed jumper, and he's like, "How many seconds do I give?" And I was like, "That's a really good question. The way that we find out is blah 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 blah," and uh, <laughs> I won't say it was flying, but the, uh, I said we're gonna ask the pilot for ground speed, and I hear. Someone it gets passed back and someone says, "Hey, can we get a ground speed?" And uh, I think the pilot's response, I don't, I don't know if it 250 was two hundred and fifty. No, no, it was it was something along the lines of "Who cares?" or "What does it matter?" or so, something like that. And and I under, I, you know, I really do understand pilots' frustration with jump staff because most of the time, no matter what you tell us, we do the same thing. Was this and in the I, Otter this weekend? No, no this, I mean the caravan. This, this has been uh, maybe a year ago okay. that, this, that this particular incident that I'm citing took place. Okay, and you know I know that sometimes people are having a good time and people are making jokes, but I like, am ashamed to say I have probably made that comment to jumpers somewhere in the world uh, at, and, at some point. And I and I understand th I understand the frustration uh, from which that a statement like that would be would be born, especially when you think that that question's coming from the tandem instructor who's going to do fuck all with that information yeah, anyway. 13 seconds. <laughs> yeah. And uh, <laughs> I, you know, I kind of felt embarrassed to this new jumper of like, oh, hey, we're going to get this information to give you an answer so we know exactly how, how long you're going to give this two-way that's going out before you. And then when you see a, a, you know, an unhappy pilot mutter something like, who cares, what does it matter? It's like, oh, well, sorry, sorry, man. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> like, it's. Uh, I don't think it looks good. Uh, to you know, I. I agree. Cus I customer agree. is a is a weird word for us because a customer can be. You know, I was a customer today. Yeah. Uh, my student was a customer today. The, there was a, a person with twenty three jumps trying to get his a license who was a customer today, and there was a, a you know some tandem students that were they were all customers today, and if you've ever been at a restaurant 
and you've watched someone in a managerial position talk down to someone, like let's say that the 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 restaurant manager talks shit to your waiter in front of you, how uncomfortable and awkward of a situation that is. I don't want to put any of our customers in that situation. I don't. I, and I 100% agree with you. Having been unfortunately that that restaurant manager <laughs> who's talked shit to the waiter in front of the staff, and and I believe me, I feel like shit every time. It, I've I've allowed myself to show my ass like that. I mean, I instantly feel like like shit when I've when I've allowed myself to get that way. Um, and we sh- I sh- I and everybody else should strive to uh, um, uh, be better than that. Um, my only caveat to the whole ground speed thing, and I, I get that that's just where we are as an industry now, is I wish. We spent more effort and time as instructors teaching a more rounded approach to spotting, which takes more effort and time. Uh, I was watching just the other day a uh, a student doing multiple STP jumps. I saw the, the behavior multiple times in the same day where the instructor would climb out the door and the student would move down the bench and then sit on the end of the bench until the instructor, uh, yeah. instructor beckoned him into mm-hmm. the doorway. And I'm like, you're doing a disservice to that student because now when they become a licensed skydiver, they're going to sit on the end of that bench, psych- whether physically or psychologically, and wait for somebody else to tell them when it's time to go, right? And that's kind of what we're doing with the ground speed thing. Psychologically, we're, we're, we got a little chart up there, and we're waiting for the pilot to tell us how to interpret that chart and when it's okay to go. And what we really should be creating is a skydiver who uses his mind and his critical thinking skills to know when it's safe to go, whether he has a ground speed or not. And, and I fully agree with yeah. you, and I do, I do encourage when, when people, especially a new jumper, asks for ground speed. I say, when this person leaves, use your eyeballs so yeah. that when you get five seconds of separation, you know what this looks like. So now you have a visual reference for what your separation is going to look like next time. The trap we've fallen into by teaching ground speed is now now that's become something easy. Oh, here's the rules. That's how you do it. And we stopped as an industry... Uh, other than those of us that care enough to, we've stopped as an industry uh, teaching people how to think. And the, and the, to digress into into skydiving instruction, I've said it to you. I, I think the littlest part of what we do as skydiving instructors is teach a physical skill or a set of physical skills. And the bigger part of what we do is psychological. We get in people's heads, we make them feel confident, and we teach them how to ask the question why constantly. You know, and and by that we make a, a much higher quality, uh, safer, and better skydiver. Educate yourself throughout throughout the process, and it's it's not a it's not a great skydiving idea. It's a great life idea. I agree with the skydiving for sure. Um, my parents are devout Christians, which Nick and I have had these conversations. And one of the things I really love about my Christian parents is they told me question everything you believe, question everything you've learned. How do you believe the faith that we've taught you unless you truly question it? And be careful how you question it, because if I look at the pilot and say, well, why? Hey, get out of the airplane right now. Why? Because it's about to explode, asshole. There's a moment where it's the question. There's a moment of appropriateness for questions, and there's a moment not. You know, obviously in the airplane, if the pilot gives you an instruction— it's not just a Captain Bly thing that's saying it needs to be obeyed. It, there's there's things you don't know about, and he doesn't have time to explain to you. Uh, I still, to this day, you know, if I ever knock on wood, have an aircraft emergency, uh, you know, I'm 
I'm 50-50 as to whether people would, when they recognize there was something going on, would they stop, get themselves ready to skydive and pay attention to the front, or would I just have a bunch of assholes leaving the airplane, you know, of their own decision? And, and that may not be the safest thing. It may be that three seconds later, the pilot says, everybody get the fuck out. Mm-hmm. But, you know, do, are people disciplined enough and critical thinkers enough to go, wait, my actions may have consequences. I'm going to find out if that's the right thing to do first. Yeah. And, and do what people ask you to do. I think one of the biggest struggles I, I see regularly in communication skill is do what you've been asked to do, do what you've been told to do. Not what you think I want you to do, but what I actually want you to do. And that's what you're, you're explaining with these jumpers is, is people are just, they're so self-centered, self-focused, but when they do truly try to do what they want you to, you want them to do, they do what you think, what, what they think you well, want. And well, they might be thinking and, wrong. And, and that's, that's a, a perennial problem. I mean, we've seen that, you know, the, 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 old, the old joke about uh, uh, women are easier to teach uh, how to skydive in the initial stages because you say something and they hear exactly what you said, whereas men are like, well, I interpret it, and so they do something different because that's what they think you said. Yeah, Yeah, women do what you ask them to do. Men do what we think we were asked to do. And women agree with that second statement every day of the week. Um, It's a challenge, you know, listening more and listening better and – the other thing that you bring up is something I harp on so much. It's, it's something I get frustrated with is the two most underused words. And this is just my opinion. The two most underused words in the English language are, excuse me, the two most overused words in the English language are I know. People constantly assume the answer. People constantly assume I know. As a matter of fact, hey, Nick, I need you to turn the volume yeah, I know. up. Apparently what I have to say is not important, <laughs> and you know, so now I know Nick doesn't need to hear me anymore. When you tell people, I know, more than anything else, what you're doing is you tell them, I understand, I know more than you think I know, and I don't need your information anymore. The quickest way not to get advice anymore is saying, I know. The most overused words, the most underused words in the English language, I don't know. There's fucking nothing wrong with saying I don't know. I, when somebody tells me I don't know, I'm a huge fan of it. And, and, and you'll hear me say regularly, I, I don't know. Let's learn. Let's look it, it up. It's the first step in being receptive to learning. How many, how many old school belly fly skydivers do you know that tried free flying back in the early 2000s and said, yeah, I can't do this? Uh, and really the struggle was is, is it wasn't a, a physical uh, limitation or, or a barrier to learning other than they couldn't stand the idea of not being experienced or they couldn't they couldn't stomach the idea of being ignorant and ignorant isn't a bad word it just means you don't know right exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. M- my favorite thing to to try and keep in mind to say when someone is telling me something and i have the inclination to say i know is thank you thank you <laughs> for real that's a, for real i'm with no, you no but it's uh <laughs> It doesn't come back to the person as negative, and you don't you 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 know it takes some uh, resistance to you know to pass that power off of like hey man like do you even know who they're fucking talking like some you know that yeah. thing that boils up in yeah. all of us sometimes. Yeah. But if you just say thank you and you consciously say you know in my mind I I still get to. Uh, end the conversation if it is indeed something that I that I don't need to hear. 
and you still get to be respectful of the person who probably True. really is just trying to give you what they think is the is the best information. I know that, that's that's a great. <laughs> now I sound like great, the asshole. Yeah, thank you makes you sound good. That's that's Sorry. a great technique. But, but a good genuine thank you, not a yeah. Thanks. Now, thanks, you fucking yeah. idiot. Now I'm gonna spoil it a little for you. The next time I say thank you to you. Yeah, that's I, fine. I once worked at a, at a DZ where because we were in front of the customers all the time and we were pissed off at each other, instead of saying fuck you, we would say thank you. So, so well, his tone will like tell us time you hear a thank you. All right, I'll, I'll catch it. <laughs> well, I'm gonna, when he says thank you, how did he say it? How, how did he say it? How did he, yeah, now we're going to be com- <laughs> complaining to management. Of, DJ said, said thank, thank you. you to me, and I really didn't like his tone when he said thank you. It really hurt my feelings. There was no like incline on the thank. It was a straight <laughs> thank you. If he was said thank you, I would have been okay, but thank. <laughs> I, I've heard that defined in psychology as a yes, but. I'm going to need you to blow some more sunshine up my ass before we're done here. <laughs> but I, I dated a girl who every time I had an issue with her, I would try and explain this this issue, and she would say, "Yeah, I know, but." Yeah. And then the then the excuse would come of, "Yeah, I'm aware of your feelings, and this is why they don't matter." <laughs> you know, like that was yeah. the that was her "I know, but," and then I I've heard it talked about as a as a yes, but I was like, I was raised as they were yabbits, yabbits, yabbits. Yeah, I like yabbit. that. Um, so I've always pictured yabbits as a little wild, runny, furry, fuzzy, cute, cotton-tailed animal farting in the clouds. Ah, you like how that got there? My most liked uh, photo. All the photos I've published in the past couple of years. And it's the bun- the cloud that looks like a bunny farting. It's uh, some something that's really fun and amazing for me. I'm, I'm going to sidetrack before I do this. Dude, you talked about you were someplace and a dude started talking about he's a skydiver. People, if you jump out of an airplane or you do anything in your life and you run across somebody who claims to do what you do, whether it's skydive, scuba dive, mountain bike, rock climb, whatever, ignore the fact that you you do that. As a skydiver, I hear people regularly say I'm a skydiver and I start asking them questions. Where do you skydive? How many jumps do you have? What do I need to do to learn to, to do it? Timeline. What's that? It's I was just time. helping. Yeah. Man, dude, next time you hear somebody say they do something that you do, Ask them questions that you know are intelligent questions. And don't ever uh, – be careful because you're going to embarrass them if you tell them too much. But I have heard so many fucking phenomenal stories. Further down. Yeah, that's not it. Yeah. Um, so right now, Mr. P is actually pulling up a video that Mr. Uh, JP took. And this picture is your most liked Facebook picture ever. Is that true? I, I believe so. I don't. I haven't really checked into it. But, boy, I think it's like 200-plus people have, have liked that. It's photo. super awesome picture. It is yeah. pretty awesome. But the you complained earlier that you didn't really complain, but you were like, "Oh my god, it's so fucking ironic. I work so hard at taking some really cool pictures because you enjoy it." And yet your most like picture is you waving your fucking phone out your car window as you're driving 60 miles an hour down the road <laughs> snapping a photo. Yeah. Um dude, it's a cool photo of a bunny farting in a cloud, but man, you've been doing a lot of photos lately. What's going on there? Well, you know, for those of that that haven't Followed me or don't know uh, yet. So in 2000, you know, we kind of stopped on on the history of what I've done as Skydiving, but essentially I came out to Spaceland in 2010 and I was an instructor. I ran the gear store for a while, the chief instructor bid. But all that time I was working towards becoming a jump pilot. In 2013, I had enough hours to be insurable and had trained enough to do it. And uh, uh, Steve Boyd said, get in an airplane, go to Florida. And from that point, pretty much for the next four years, 
although I came home occasionally in the winter and whatnot, I pretty much flew at different drop zones that we contract to. Uh, last year being a really busy year in that I I traveled to Dallas, I traveled to Missouri, I traveled to Wisconsin, I traveled to Atlanta, I traveled to New Jersey. And with being on the road and not knowing a lot of people, um, and especially during the week, not having people to hang out with because I didn't know anybody. You know, of course, all the skydivers go back to their jobs during the weekend. I just started getting out. Uh, I started hiking. I, I, you know, and once you're out in nature and see, you know, pretty vistas and tour a town and whatnot, you start snapping pictures. So I started snapping pictures with my uh, phone and uh, kind of became a little bit of an Instagram addict and uh, then got tired of some of the limitations of my phone and stepped up and bought some better cameras. I'd been a free fall videographer and photographer before, but never really took it anywhere else. So just been kind of a, a self-driven hobby against boredom and, and to just do something fun. So now, now I'm always looking for the shot I can take. Uh, do first of all, check out JP's Instagram account. It, it's the Zai. pictures I see. Now you do a really Zai. good job, man. I'm, I'm not an artistic person in college. You have to take an art class. I took photography because I can do this. And I actually ended up getting some very small scholarships, but I, I got scholarships to photography. One thing I actually can do artistically is frame, compose, uh, take good shots. It's something that came natural to me. And, dude, you take some really, really, really nice pictures. I, I love Instagram uh, because not only lets me showcase what I'm doing and, 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 and the art I want to share with people, but it lets me see other examples. Yeah. And I've found some photography i absolutely idolize fortunately a, a few of the people i absolutely I idolize their photography and and just as many different types of skydiving there are there's different things you can photograph in different ways to photograph it um stop right uh, there the, there are you? some of the people i idolize fortunately i know uh daniel and gulo uh, i mean he's a genius of a photographer i got to sit with him uh for for uh, we probably talked for a good 45 minutes in dallas uh, at the boogie and and just Picking his brain is, is fantastic. Uh, Nicholas is is a, a fantastic uh, uh, photographer and has the ability to uh, capture, uh, uh, see see the vision. I reject see, your see compliment, vision. sir. Well, you I, are a great technician, <laughs> sir. You know, it, it, and and I think your preferred no, media I, is more video. I'm based. okay with a video camera. Yeah, I would yeah. Uh, I would argue Dan Daniel's a far uh, more experienced and more knowledgeable Phenomenal photographer than myself. But I, I think they're 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 complementary, but they're different disciplines. To be able to see a scene in video versus see a scene in still life, and then see different scenes. You know, I, I really do think that it's harder to make a uh, good picture yeah. because the the movement in video helps so much to make it engaging, you know, where to take just a photo of something that doesn't move and make that uh, equally engaging, I think takes more skill. And subject matter is a huge part of that. I mean, I find it very easy to pick a, a beautiful vista on a mountaintop with a sunset and go, that's the picture I want to show everybody. And everybody looks at that and goes, oh, my God, it's amazing. You know, and then I look especially at, if boobs are involved. Well, no, to be honest, then I go take a picture of a person and I'm like, well, that's crap. I don't want to show that to anybody. So that that's a whole other avenue of, of photography I want to explore. It's something I've talked to Daniel about because he's so good at it. He's so good at capturing a person to where you, 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 you're instantly looking at the picture and going, I know what's in their head. Or that, that grabs me and speaks to me in a certain way. And, and what a talent, what, a, what a, an effort in, in practice and trial and error, I think. So... 
I, I love, I think one of the proofs that you've done a great job taking pictures is you made Arcola look gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. And that's a picture I stopped you on is there's a row, set of railroad tracks across FM 521 yeah. here, here in the Texas area. That is like, every time I see those railroad tracks, I just like cringe. They're horrible to drive over half the time they exist. You know you're about to get stopped behind a one-hour train in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> and the town of Arcola is not exactly the capital of Niceville. Don't and, get pulled over in that asshole and, town. And that's a that's a uh, that picture is a perfect um, uh, argument for why, even if it's only my phone. Although these days I try to make it more than my phone, I always have a camera with me because literally the reason that picture got taken. Is I was driving. That was your phone. No, that was that was okay. the Sony. <clears throat> okay. That was uh, my A six thousand. But literally, I was driving. I was coming up to go to the grocery store or something, and the sun was setting. And I was thinking to myself, "Gosh, if I, I wonder, wonder where I could take this and frame that sunset." And oh, it's going to be gone in a moment. And I literally crossed the railroad tracks, and I just looked off to the west, and I'm like, "Oh, that's perfect." And by the time I turned around, it was actually a little less perfect. Yeah. But I still got a great shot. Same thing happened the other day when I pulled into the drop zone from, from just around the other side of the property. I come up on the driveway and I look, and the way the clouds were backlit because the sun was rising, it was amazing. And I thought, oh, I got to get a picture of that. I turned around. It was probably four minutes for me to get back to the RV, grab my camera, and get back to the driveway, and the shot was gone. So sometimes it, that's the luck. It's uh, part of photography is catching that moment in time. And without... You know, what one uh, one of the pictures that got me a scholarship again, it was not a large one, but it was through some. Of, I got all my art classes covered for the next year, uh, so that's a reasonable thing. And all the fees in photography were horrible. Uh, I was taking a picture of a girl I was with at Disneyland, and what made the picture was what exactly the person was doing behind her at that moment in time. What she was doing was interesting and fun. I took the picture being goofy, never expected to be good. The person behind her was interacting completely separately in completely different groups. We, no, 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 no relationship at all. But the way the picture was composed, it just coincidentally, I had no planning, looked like they were interacting. Mm. And that's what made the picture, that moment it, in time. It, it's, it's exactly that moment in time. And, and for me, when I've photographed people, the ones I like the best that I've taken are candid shots where the person doesn't yes, know sir. they're being photographed. Because I think that's an easy message to sell. It's, it's again, not, not to blow him up too much but the things that daniel does with a photo is when he poses somebody and works with him either in a studio or an outdoor environment but he's he's shooting that person that person knows they'll be shooting it being shot and he still manages to somehow capture a photo that that conveys a distinct emotional response from a person or, yeah i think yeah. there's something to to a skill that you know i i wouldn't even know what to say to most people if I was trying to get a good photo of them. Can I you take know? <laughs> yeah, but but his say ability geez. to coach someone into you know the right position or the right movement or whatever whatever it is to to make that photo great. And, and like any I think photographer, that's a, that's a skill I'm, I'm sure he takes you know a thousand shots for every one that that is is that picture. But still, to to be able to to like you say to coach that person to 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 get them to do things that draws that that uh, emotion out. You know. Smile. Yeah, right? Three, <laughs> two, one. I did it on two. Save malfunction parachute. Okay. Fiery plane crash. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> By the way, Debbie, those are Things jokes we tell Nick people Lott to say. doesn't want to hear again for $1,000. Yeah. Um, I, I love photography and 
one of the things that I, I never really got the benefit of was modern photography because when I did photography, it was college and God, I fucking sound like my dad. We, we were only using film and part of photography class was actually taking and developing your film, printing your own prints, developing your own everything. I, we, we did it all. Uphill both ways in the snow. Dude, it was horrible. So you took all these pictures and you never knew what you got. Where today, I'm guessing by now, you're starting to play with apertures, you're starting to play with f-stops, you're starting to play with everything. My next mission is white balance. The field of depth that happens when you balance these things right really completely changes the picture. The things that happen with white balance and colors completely changes the picture. And we literally had, I could take a picture and the soonest I can know anything is a couple hours. You know, because I had to get back to the lab. I had to do this. I had to do that. And it was a blast. I actually enjoyed the chemistry of it all. But with modern technology, you're looking at your pictures right away. You're taking 12 of them in five settings right away. And and it makes you such a greater photographer earlier, you know, and and sooner. A greater Uh, photographer. A a better, yeah. (laughs) Makes you greater at the art of photography. I mean, especially like flash photography and night photography, being able to see and make an adjustment, see and make an adjustment. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's massive. I was thinking of this when we were on the uh, subject of, of video and 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 uh, Scott having video and videographers and and the challenges you must face in that. When I started shooting uh, tandem videos, um, granted, I didn't see my photos very often because usually I just handed a roll of film mm-hmm. to the, the client, but I saw my framing because I edited every single one of my own videos and it was linear editing. So you had to watch everything, right? Yep. And that's the challenge with, I would say, I would imagine managing new modern videographers is they very rarely look at their own product. The, the most common criticism that I give people is watch your videos. Yeah. Because Sit down you, and you watch. get a sense for the framing is one thing. Framing, lighting, uh, the when does it get boring? Like, yeah. oh, that shot doesn't work. Uh, that shot's way too long. Uh, all those things you, you don't catch if... You watch your videos and watch other people's videos because when you watch yours, you have an inherent bias because you shot it mm-hmm. and you can still experience the emotions that you were feeling that made you do it that way. But so, so when you let some some time lapse between when you shot it and when you reviewed it, or when you watch someone else who's doing a similar thing, uh, then you start to have a better understanding of of what what your video looks like to someone who wasn't thinking about you shooting it and who hasn't seen. Um, you know, it's it's hard uh, to switch off the skydiver brain. You know, yeah. like to a an experienced jumper when the videographer is carving around on their head, like that's a cool thing because it's a skill. You know, but to a student, the te- the world's upside down. Yeah. Why did you turn the yeah. TV upside well, why down? Why is it my make... face uh, featured? Yeah. Why can't you, can't you see, see me? my smile? Yeah. yeah exactly. exactly. Which yeah. Uh, I think that it's important to remember that this person is not a skydiver. The parts of it that we think as experienced skydivers are cool are not the parts that they paid for. They want to see their big silly face in free fall, flapping around. Or, you know, they want to see themselves throwing the horns up at the peace sign, whatever it is for the... They want that, that posed photo for, for Instagram or whatever whatever it, whatever it those goddamn kids are doing these days. And, I, and I'd say the, the difference between the person who, who takes that advice and goes and reviews their videos and the person who goes, yeah, whatever, uh, is the difference between somebody who has a passion for their craft and the person is just like, yeah, another 40 bucks. That's probably very true. And I think that, uh, unfortunately, because our job is very enjoyable and a lot of people who enjoy doing it and couldn't otherwise afford to do it 
uh, are drawn to doing it for work, and maybe it's their passion to do it, and not their you know they might not have a pa- you know they might not have a passion for video or for telling someone's story or for doing a good job or for any of the things that uh, I think make people good at what they do. But that's just kind of the hand that we're dealt with the industry that we're in, and it's something that you just kind of yeah. uh, try and balance out and uh, encourage people by uh, doing your best to lead by example and do the right thing. And I think that that's one thing that I, I like about uh, managing the video department is I don't ask anything of anyone that I don't do or exceed myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not barking orders at, en- at anyone and not doing that, that thing already. So I feel like that gives me a little bit of credibility to to have that position and to give that, that criticism. But uh, it's still, it, it can be very difficult sometimes to try and get people just to do the fucking job they signed up for, you know? That's a, a fantastic example, by the way, to to learn from is, is watching you manage that department. Uh, I hope so. that that's true. I would really like to believe that that's true, and I don't I, know. I, I, I like what I see. Well, thank so. you. That, and that means a lot, but it's hard. You know, I... For me, I have a really hard time knowing how I'm perceived by others and how effective the things that I do and say are. Uh, you probably remember when I made that uh, anonymous feedback thing. It didn't. Uh, it didn't yield much. But did you see that when I posted that? So this thing it's called, it's called Suggestion Ox, and what it is is you just yeah. someone clicks a link and they can give you anonymous feedback of what it could. They could say whatever. It could be super re- mean and brutal, or it could be super supporting and uh uplifting and i really really wanted someone to call me a shithead and like give me some things that i could could really work on and i i mean it felt good to hear the positive things that people had to say but at the same time uh that doesn't give me much room to to grow you know if someone just says hey you're doing this great and this great and this great it's like well cool i'm not perfect like give me give me something to work on and i think that that's a really hard thing for people to be direct about uh, even even when like imagine this happens almost everywhere in the drop zone the video room especially that you'll be saying something like there's a conversation happening about a person and that person walks into the room and that conversation completely stops where if some of that stuff was just said to the person's face as difficult as it might be for that person to hear some of it that's where growth is going to happen and it's uh it sucks to have someone say hey you're shitty at this <laughs> and it's you know it's that soul-destroying feeling that motivates you to do better you know it's like well fuck i am doing a shitty job or at least i you know at least someone else thinks i'm doing a shitty job what how can i make this feeling go away oh well i'm gonna do it different i'm gonna do it better and when i do it better and this same person that just put me down when they come around again and pat me on the back i'll know that i got there and uh and maybe that's not true for everyone i suffer from the exact same motivations yeah i i want to know when i'm doing something wrong Granted, I may not initially react like that, you know, but I, I, I look for that because I, I, I want to do it better. I have this weird desire to appease people, you know, and and to my detriment often. Um, but, yeah, the same things motivate me, you know. I th- I, when I'm teaching canopy courses, I... T- I'll tell people, if you're doing this, you're really good at what you're doing. If you're making these decisions, you're super strong at this. And and I use a canopy course analogy, but it's life in general. You're not the judge of if you're good at it, and neither are your friends. Don't ask your friends for what you can do better. Ask your enemies. Ask people you have a problem with. Ask people you have a grind with. 
it's hard. I don't do this thing as a personality. I, I do it with other parts of my life, but as far as my personality, I don't do this as well as I think I should. But I would like to go up to people better and say, JP, you and I don't always get along, and, and I respect you, and I respect you enough. I want to know why you feel like we don't get along and what I can do better. And, man, asking your enemies, boy, you want growth? Try that on for size one day. It fucking hurts. What's amazing is, uh, well, I guess it's not amazing because we all, we all want to avoid conflict, but, but whether it's your friends or your enemies, you're asking that question of how many people avoid giving you the answer. Yeah. You know, be, because it's difficult to look somebody in the eye and go, hey, this is what I don't like about you. You know, it, it's a, none of us on the surface want to appear to be judgmental, but we all are, by our nature, we are. We we don't, and it's for me. Uh, it, when, when somebody asks me for a criticism, the one thing I try to do is, "Hey, man, something you can." I I don't tell them what's wrong with them. I tell them how to improve, and and I don't necessarily say, "Hey, this is not the way you can do it. This is not necessarily the way you need to do it." But something you might want to work on is getting better at this, because if I say, "Hey, Nick, you if you could get better with your patience and and breathe more when you're talking to your Guys who work with you instead of saying, Nick, you're a fucking asshole and you yell at everybody. I'm, I'm conveying the same message. And, and I think everybody realizes that is not true of, of how Nick deals with people. But rather than – and, and I, I, I respect and understand it's hard to tell somebody the truth. So don't tell them the truth of the problem. Tell them the truth of the solution. You could be better at this instead of you're wrong about this. And if we can learn to say things better that way – then we'd be willing to ask each other this question more and our self-awareness, I really believe will grow. And I'm giving advice and self-awareness and, and doing this. I'm fucking not good at it, man. This, this advice is more for me than anybody else. I'm talking it out with you guys. Just I, I feel time. like I have, uh, when it comes to self-awareness, I have like this permanent 20 minute lag. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Like, like it takes me 20 minutes to go, God, I shouldn't have fucking said that. I was an asshole. See, my lag isn't 20 minutes. My lag is as soon as I might have it down on the pillow to go to bed. Fuck, 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 See, fuck. You, you guys are both friends with Jason Hyder. So uh, has he suggested The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, this book to you? Yes. It's a great book. It's a great, I mean, I listened to it. I didn't, I don't, you I don't, can't I don't read. read very often. You're illegitimate. Yeah, I just want to make time, my uh, my commute. As productive as it can be, and that's usually listening to a, a book or a, a Whitney Houston song. But uh, I think the <laughs> fuck you, man. <laughs> I think the uh, thing that is most uh, quoted from him in that book, and I'm probably going to butcher it a little bit, but I think it's uh, between stimulus and response, therein lies choice. So that when something makes you feel a certain way, it can be anything. It could be positive. It could be negative. It can be anything. There's a, a moment, and the more conscious you are of that moment, the more time you have to make the choice of, uh, of how you're going to react. What you, what's your next move going to be? None of us are victims of our emotions, you know? We all, we all make a choice, whether, you know, no matter how, uh, you know, how much of a role habit plays or how much of uh, a role our you know, the previous events of our morning might play. We all make a choice in that moment to continue to be a fucking asshole or to go, okay, like, I just heard a thing that I don't like, but I don't have to give a response that I'm not going to like either. I'm going to have this tiny little moment, and I'm going to take just that little second to pick a response that might actually be constructive to the situation. 
which for, for me, especially in the morning, especially before I've had my chance to wake up, my program automatic, what feels natural response is it can be a little bit snappy. You're an asshole little, in the morning. Yeah, I, I, I you I, own it, but you are. I don't. I, I, I feel like I need a little bit more, time, a little bit of time to warm up. You know, and I think the the mornings where I actually work out before interacting with people, I think I'm a little better yes. because I feel like I'm firing a little bit more. You know, and that I've already got. Uh, I feel good to already have a, a check in the box of things I've accomplished for the day. And uh, when I w- when I show up groggy and I'm still listening to whatever music I'm listening to, and someone's trying to draw me out of my introverted little world where I'm comfortable, yeah, I get a little cunty. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about when I uh, when I say a five second delay, you know, like 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 the Today Show is broadcast. Oh on yeah, a five absolutely, delay, absolutely. Right? I know what you mean. I yeah. need a five second delay between my brain and my facial expression, <laughs> right? Because that's what gets me. It's not that I turn and go, go fuck yourself. You know, it's not that. It's that somebody says something stupid, and I do this. Right? You know, it's it's that's what I need. See, Ben Nelson's figured it out. I don't know how to free. Well, yeah. Live with resting dick face, and they never know when you're mad. Well, I I have that too, because I. Because I guarantee you, the number of times I've been sitting on the drop zone with my iPad, not thinking anything negative at all, you know, and I'll just see people walk by, and then go sit at the next table. I I gotta I gotta imagine I got the the resting dick face going Dude, on. At I that point. almost always when I fly commercially, yeah. if there's an open seat on the airplane, it's right next to me. <laughs> That's just got that shit face. That's it's great. A useful, <laughs> useful. Uh, see, it has its uses. <laughs> look like Nick. That's the yeah. Easiest. Just look <laughs> angry, unapproachable, and uh, yeah. I often have an me. empty seat next to me on an airplane. That's not true. I'm the only one that's ever happened to in the history of the world. Well, I'm, he's I'm in the in, left. I'm in, I'm in the left. Oh the shit! Right. I missed the pilot joke. God uh, uh, damn it! Back to six thousand nine hundred and seventy-nine, which I double checked. Uh, man, it, it's one of the with jokes Nick and I made. This is probably going to be the shortest podcast ever because we're going to make JP pissed off at some point, and he's going to leave right away. I am. No, and actually, really, we I was joked just about how that. These things but that's end. Ben. We just end them randomly, and oh, okay. here's one of the issues. We're coming uh, up on four hours. We're going to have to wrap it up. We turn into a pumpkin at four hours. Face, oh, okay. uh, the podcast supports any time, but Facebook only supports four hours. I'm just going to fall asleep. That's so we happen. are at 347. So we really, we're, we're, it's time to kind of stitch things <laughs> together. So before I stitch things together, uh, one of the things that, that people really wanted to hear a lot from, and one of the requests I had, requests I had from Skydivers. Should you just say requests? <laughs> uh, How many S's that? are at the end of that word? <laughs> 11. Um, so <laughs> it's going to turn into a Dane Cook bit. In a um, uh, people have a- asked. Asked, what do they I, ask you? They ask, they ask me. They ask me to hatchet things. Is uh, having do a jump pilot on, and I think we've shared a lot of information from a jump pilot. And there's been a lot of stories besides a jump pilot. Uh, that's I what I do. Okay. Yeah. 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 As far as we've shared a lot of stories, is there anything else you want people to hear from the pilot seat? Personal, loving, I hate you. It's a it's a it's a very fun job. I I wouldn't do it if I didn't love skydiving and skydivers. Regardless how testy we seem to be sometimes, uh, you know I I don't want to sit here and 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 say we're the most abused person on the drop zone because we're not. We have a great job, um, and and we're paid pretty well for doing what we do and. and my God, I get to fly airplanes every day. 
you know. And I don't have to do it like some airline schmuck. Apologies to any airline schmucks watching. Um, but, you know, when we're beat down, broke dick, exhausted on a Saturday afternoon and we've dealt with every silly question or worse yet, when, when we put it on a weather hold and every skydiver who sees their shadow for five seconds comes and, you know, understand I don't think there's a one of us that ever intends to be cranky. Um, we're looking out for your best interest. You know, we're, we're, we're really trying to keep things safe and legal and make sure everybody comes back and is able to get on an airplane again and do it again and do it again and do it again. I have been on the skydiver side of things. I'm just as frustrated when we're on a weather hold. I'm just as frustrated when when uh, uh, a pilot is snappy with me. And uh, from a personal standpoint, I will always try to be be better both in how I interact with people and be better as a pilot. You know, uh, there's still things I can learn every day about flying an airplane and flying a jump plane. But uh, yeah, just know we're on the same team. It, it, these guys really do. They, they want to serve you. They want to help you. It is a financially piss poor job. But there's a reason you still do is it. Is it? I really believe that most of my friends who skydive for a living can have a financially better paying job, unless you work in Saipan, apparently. I'm, I'm going broke. Um, you ain't going broke. You just ain't getting rich. This is news. They, yeah, yeah. Um, but there's a love Did you know that 50 Cent had a, uh, an album called Get Rich or Die Trying? It's 50 Cent. 50 maybe, cent. maybe you should 50. make an album that says Get Rich or Fly Trying. Oh! I'm finna. I'm fly finna write that book. <laughs> you finna write that. Yeah, finna finna write that. Oh shit! Fitty JP. So uh, one of the things that you I'll tell somebody is uh, people one one of the last advices I'll give you at dealing with a pilot, and is when you approach a pilot on the ground, the first thing JP hears on the ground is how's the weather? How's the weather? What do you think? What do you think? And actually, hey, what's the weather gonna do? JP has deleted. How me long and, until we I'm, go? The, the same as you, this, we're back to the same thing. You're the person who just thumbs over their shoulder for the pin check is the same thing. Hey, listen, if the if the first thing you say to me is what's the weather going to do and you didn't say good morning or or didn't realize that I don't actually know who you are. You may know me because I'm the only jump pilot. Because, because I'm kind of a big deal. No. People know me. Mahogany and, and <laughs> leather bound books and all that. Mahogany. But, yeah. I, I'm not actually. That's not personal. I just yeah. heard I, the, an Anchorman reference waiting to be made. Yeah, absolutely. But but the truth is, I wish I knew more of the people on the airplane. But I never have the time to meet them. They never walk up to me and say, "Hi, I'm so and so who friended you on Facebook. Uh, how you doing?" You know. Instead, they're in their little click at the drop zone. And you know, if I walk over and try and bust into it, I just look like the creepy old pilot. Man, and that's right there, the nail on the head. If you want to really uh, help the pilot out, instructors out, staff out, people in life in general, when you approach them, don't immediately ask for their help. Do two things. The first thing, hi, you're JP. My name is DJ. Actually introduce yourself. I have a little bit of a pet peeve and an issue about that because there is, you joke, you don't know me, you don't know who I am, but there is a point where people at the DZ all know who Nick Lott is because of your position and your role. People all know who certain ones of us are, and they people will come and start talking to me about my private life and tell me things I saw on Facebook, which I'm super stoked that, that, that you have that interest in my fucking pathetic life. Um, I have a hot wife. That's worth checking uh -huh. out. 
But like introduce yourself and say, hey, you're what? JP. My name's DJ. Nice to meet you. Uh, and the second thing, how are you doing? Yeah. And, th- and that's the thing. I'll even disagree with you. I love it when people come up and ask me for help. But here's the thing. Hi. How you doing? Oh, I don't mind my, the help part. My name is. And, like. and the question to ask rather than, hey, what's the weather going to do is, hey, can you show me how you check the weather? And, man, I will bore you to tears again with all the resources and how you read it. Because you know what? I don't check the weather when I get to the drops. And I check the weather when I'm looking at my phone in bed in the morning. You know? And I look at my trends that way. It, it's, I want to teach you just as much as I know. You know? That's, Absolutely. That's the fun of it. I think uh, it's. I've watched you teach. The thing that you love the most is absolutely sharing the knowledge and and ask for that opportunity to learn, not that opportunity to be given information. Yeah, and I get that a lot of people when they come ask the question don't want to learn anything. They just want an answer. They want to hear. You know, hey, what's the weather going to do? And as soon as you start, we're jumping in five minutes. As soon as you explain what the weather's going to do, you start explaining what the weather. You watch their eyes glaze over, and they're just like. One of my favorite things is when they question the pilot. For example, Jason Hyder today says, we're on a call, and then immediately or shortly thereafter goes, never mind, we're going on a weather hold. And somebody not named Eric Jackson then gave uh, Jason Grief saying, we can make it. Five minutes later, boom, one of the loudest thunderclaps sitting right there on the DZ that shook the building. And Jason goes, uh, not Eric Jackson. How's that sound to you? Uh, and, uh, and Eric ate crow. He was super fun about it. Every skydiver in the world. You know, oh, I see a hole. Great. Uh, we don't have the space shuttle. We can't make it through that hole. You know, and and, yeah. and I have known jump pilots that will remain nameless that that I just no, throw people under buses. No longer get asked the weather question simply because when somebody comes and says, Hey, what do you think? I see a hole, they go, Cool, twenty minute call. And then everybody gets geared up, goes out loading around the five-minute call without having ever looked at the sky. They just go, uh, weather home. That's hilarious. Yeah. And if I'm, you're going to badger me, I'm going to start doing that. that. Yeah. <laughs> I won't do that, but I do know people who have. So we're wrapping up our last uh, minute or two. Nick, do you have any last things, questions, comments? How did you get so beautiful? I love lamp. Beard. <laughs> Beards. Beards makes us pretty. Yeah, everyone's got to have a good beard. Hey, hey Nick. So, guys and gals, thank you for listening to us tonight. Next week, we're going to uh, be on the air live on Facebook on Friday night at about 7 p.m. Big Smitty is going to come back to H-City. He's going to visit us again, and Braden has absolutely been one of our favorite people, but guests, and if you haven't heard it, man, download his podcast. He, he's been a fucking blast. Other than that, anything else, Mr. Pizzle? No, I, I, I want to see Big Smitty. Dude, guys and gals, this is J.P. Finari. This is Mr. Nicholas Lott. Heyo! Mr. P in the house. I'm DJ Marvin. This is Gravity Lab Radio. Thank you for joining us, Blue Skies. Thanks for having me. Dude, thank you, brother. So happy to have you here, man. So, uh...